everyone. Between the Sheets, episode number 324. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, uh, kind of a quiet week this week, hasn't it? Sure. <laughs> Nothing happened uh, in the past past few days, has it? No. Very, very, very quiet on the home front. No, no, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty quiet. Um, no one badly embarrassed themselves as being gullible marks or anything. <laughs> well, some of these people have always been that way and just not getting exposed. But oh well. It is what it is, and we'll leave it at that. Because who knows what's happened since we recorded this. <laughs> so, <laughs> the time you hear this. So, yeah. Well, who knows? It's good. There's been so much has happened that uh, it's crazy. But anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's go back to the 80s, shall we? And um, let's have one of our favorite guests on the show, and especially loving on the 80s shows. And uh, this should be a very fun one to talk about, as we have quite a few friends of his uh, in the forefront on this show. With some big things going on. As we are joined by our dear friend, the King King Sport, Bo James. Bo, welcome back. Hey, I'm glad to be here. And we don't know what's going to happen between the time recording this and dropping this. I might be dead after my first five day in a row run since the pandemic hit. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But definitely a. Uh, You'll be plugging that later, but yeah, be back on the road again, huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it's a good time of year to be going out, too. At least it ain't. He's going to be out, probably outdoor shows, correct? Uh, No. No. Okay. We just finished up the fall the fair, uh, fair and festival season, so we're back inside in community center schools and wherever else. Yeah, because I know the fair's going on around here, and it's ending, so I thought maybe they would have yeah. maybe – Another weekend or something up the road. Uh, probably in Georgia. They do fairs in Georgia till the end of October, and then they head to Gibby Town to wrap up the season. So yeah. we've already had frost up here, so it's a little too cold for That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Frost already. Yeah, it's the, it's gotten to about 50 degrees in the morning. So that's the coldest it's gotten here. But, uh, wow, that's, that's crazy. But anyway, enough about that. All right. So now let's go back to 1985, and we discussed a week that was October 13th through the 19th. Now, last year, we did October 5th through the 12th, so it's a perfect fit here on this week, and as we do. And let's begin with Jim Crocker promotion, shall we? Dave says, I guess the biggest topic of conversation for the next few weeks will be the Starcade. Not Starcade, the Starcade. The WCW. After three years, you think they learn how to spell, Dave says, because it's D A R R C A D E. I guess Dave's not thinking, Bix, that maybe they're spelling it this way to avoid any type of legal issues from the game show Starcade. You think? <laughs> when, did, when did Starcade, the game show, launch? Um, 1982. 82-ish. So it was fresh. Yeah, it was 82, 83 on TBS. Yeah, on TBS. And uh, it could be seen on, oh, God, um, Shout Factory. I know they had it on their streaming app, old episodes. So I think there's still a website, like an official website that has all the episodes, too. Yeah, so there you go. If you want to see the OG of Sarcade. Yeah. But anyway, 
So it's like it's like how all of the world class shows were wrestling Star Wars. That's right. Yes, those That's shows. Right. Watch watch those shows. See how Mark Lawrence and Bill Mercer refer to the shows. It's mm-hmm. always wrestling Star Wars. That's right. With, with right. the holiday, with the holiday in front. That's, That's too. right. Yes. Yes. All right, Stock A5, which will take place above Greensboro and Atlanta, be closed-circuited in selected arenas around the country. They've heard that there will be five bouts in each location. Although Crockett has enough wrestlers to put on 14 matches, though not enough talented wrestlers, that seems a few too many for one show. The only match official announced will be the Coloss, defending their NWA World Tag Titles, which they just won on October 13th in Charlotte. We'll talk about that later. Against former champions Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson in a no-time limit, no-DQ steel cage match. Dave's pretty sure that match will take place in Greensboro. While no other bouts have been announced, Dave's told the complete show will be announced on November 3rd on TBS. He does know that Tully Blanche will defend the U.S. title against Manon T.A. and Ric Flair will defend the world title against Dusty Rhodes. And Dave's sure everyone's seen the angle involving Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes set up Thanksgiving's main event. Forgetting the fact that Dave doesn't think Flair should be made into a heel... Although he's excellent in the role, in fact, he's excellent in almost any role, it seems, and that Rose doesn't appeal to a wide cross-section of fans, he thought it was done very well. Unless they try and close-circuit it in too many places outside their normal territory, it should be a bigger success than even the first one. Mainly because promotion is hot right now, and big shows are drawn better than ever this year. Dave's told there was a near riot at the Omni that night. There was. Dave expects Dusty and Rick to take place in Atlanta, which it did. Which to minimalize the likelihood that too many fans will cheer Flair at the Dan Greensboro last year. Dave also believes that Madden TM Baby Doll will get into an altercation on TBS over the next few weeks to heat up the US title match. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know why Dusty and Flair was in Atlanta, I mean that there's a variety of reasons here. They did it in Greensboro the previous year, so why do it again in that town? Two Dusty in Atlanta would be more cheered than Flair would be. And, you know, I mean, it, it, the angle was shot in Atlanta, so you need to pay it off in Atlanta. So, yeah, you know, Bo, I mean, it's like the perfect the perfect mix to having that match in Atlanta. And, and two, two statements in that paragraph. 14 matches, but they don't have enough talented wrestlers. Yeah. Everybody working there was a talented wrestler. Dave? Maybe not ever. Yeah, go ahead. He's not. I don't think he understands at this point that some of the TV guys and the preliminary guys like George South are some of the best hands in the territory. Dave was hot and cold on Crockett in this era. I mean, yeah. the, the last 85 show we did I mean, it was just a while back. I mean, he was talking about he couldn't watch the TBS show anymore because it was it was too much. He said it was just it just wasn't good. I'm trying to see what show that was. That was show 315. So that was in August, August 11th through the 17th. So, yeah. And the statement that Dusty doesn't have a wide enough appeal to enough of an audience. What? (laughs) Well, he's not Hulk Hogan there, Bo. <laughs> That's what Dave, I guess. I, I guess what Dave's saying is going close circuit, like west of the Mississippi and stuff like yeah. that. Going outside your comfort zone. I think that's what he's saying because WF was going close circuit nationwide in the internet, even into Canada. I think he's saying that Crockett tried to do that with Starcade 
you know, going too far out, then it would have been a, a big failure. I, and I don't think that was ever thought of in 1985. 1985, no. Not yeah, because, because you still have uh, the Memphis Territory running Thanksgiving night. Dallas is running Thanksgiving night. Florida's running Thanksgiving night. Uh, all of them are. running. Yeah, they're all running. All the ones in the South, they're running on Thanksgiving. And Kansas Portland. City, Kansas City. Mid-Suffering yeah. Suffer, Mid a Superdome with Starcade attached. Yeah. So they had live yep. matches in the show, the, the show on uh, closed circuit there. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, no, they were going to stick to their. I, I was so mad that we didn't get it. Uh, AWA ran Thanksgiving night. That's why the Road Warriors yep. wasn't there. In Atlanta, you know, just, yep. um, they showed WrestleMania on closed circuit in uh, Johnson City earlier that year. So, I thought for sure Starcade will be on closed circuit. It, in Johnson City, seeing how that was now a regular town, and it wasn't. They didn't show it here, and so did, he get it? did Knoxville get it? Knoxville had wrestling that night with Continental. That's right. Yeah, because that's that's when they're coming in. Yeah, they're starting to run Knoxville. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they ran Birmingham and Knoxville on. Uh, no, no, no. They didn't come to '86. They ran Birmingham on Thanksgiving. That was the hair match with the Riches and the Nightmares. Knoxville uh, start up in February or March, right? Yeah, they got TV Christmas week. We already had the TV here, but it started in Knoxville Christmas week. Um, I don't know if Crockett had TV in Knoxville then other than TBS, so I'm sure they didn't get it either, uh, which I've still wondered because th th we ended up getting Starcade closed circuit 86 and 87 and drew very well. Um, so I don't know why they didn't offer 85 here, unless maybe nobody wanted to work at Freedom Hall on a holiday. That it's is possible. really strange, though, that a fairly notable regular stop just didn't get it. Yeah. yeah we had to wait and uh, see what happened on TBS. I, I, don't think, I don't think Macon had it, because I think, I think they were thinking Macon was too, you know, too close two-hour drive, so I don't think they wanted to... I think they wanted to pull from Macon to Atlanta. Yeah. What was the closest closed-circuit site to Tri-Cities? Did Asheville get it? I think so. Yeah. So, probably Asheville. Yeah, I think Asheville had it, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I mean, what Dave Dave has the you know the main matches here. They already had the plan set and the motion, and uh, you know exactly what's going to happen. So, yeah, Starcade is just now starting to heat up on uh, on television as we're going in, and we'll have uh, clips to play in just a few minutes. All right, as mentioned earlier, Ivan and Nikita Koloff beat the Rock and Roll Express to win the NBA World Tag Titles on October 13th in Charlotte before a sellout crowd of 12,000 fans. Main event on that car was Flair and Magnum. Flair and them earlier drawn 4,000 to Asheville that afternoon, which is an awfully large crowd for a city that size. Dave's told that Flair was still getting heavily cheered in both those cities. Popularity of the Rock and Roll Express is starting to die down. So having them lose the titles and putting the role of challengers is being used to revitalize them. It's putting a title to switch before <laughs> Starcade to set rematch on the big show. Uh, what? <laughs> Here's... I, okay. I... I think what Dave is trying to say, he's not making a good point in saying this. 
is that when the after the Rock and Rolls beat the Koloffs and they had their rematches, there was that stretch there for about a month, maybe a month and a half, where they were just defending the titles against random ass teams, Paul Jones Army teams. They didn't have yeah, any, they were just feeding them heels. They, yeah, they, yeah, they didn't have any angle. They didn't have any angle. But if you watch TV, you saw that they were hot. But they didn't have any angle going my, on. My God, go to the matches and see people dressed like them. Yeah. Go go to go to Kmart and see people dressed like them and see guys buying bandanas and red sweatpants to dress yeah. up like them for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, they were still hot. They just didn't have an angle going on. I think that's what Dave's trying to right. say. He's saying it wrong. Yeah, because, my gosh. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and this, yeah. we're going to talk about something else coming up here in a minute about all this stuff when we get to it. Well, let's talk about Flair. Uh, I mean, they do the big heel turn at the you know, at the Omni at the end of the September, and they immediately put Flair and Magnum as the series. You know, the Carolinas playing off of their past on TBS. That just seemed that seemed like the wrong move to make at this time in my mind. From um, Magnum's it, for Magnum. Is that we, we yeah. Flair Flair is God in the Carolinas, you know? Yeah. And here. We got Flair and Magnum here in July, the day after the bash. Yeah. Was Flair and Magnum in Johnson City and it was split half and half. Yeah. And yeah. People were gonna cheer people there was people that were gonna cheer Flair no matter what in in, in the Crockett territory. Um you know, even even when he came into Continental, there were still people that cheered him off of seeing him on TBS and stuff. I mean, Flair's just one of those guys that, yes, when he was a heel, the majority of the people hated him, but he did have fans. Yeah. And, but, and, but this era, though, um, even more than uh, than others, because it kind. Of, I mean, he did become more of a heel in the Carolinas as the Horsemen went along and stuff. But they had made him out into being such a hero in the Carolinas, you know, coming off of the uh, the Harley angle in '83 and everything. When he after he turned back, baby oh. face right before that. I mean, his promo work. I mean, he was such a, a staunch baby face. And '84, remember, he does the interviews. On Crockett TV, where he says Charlotte is my home, they stopped introducing him from Minneapolis and started introducing him from Charlotte. And he said, "I'm a I'm a Tar Heel. I'm a I'm a uh, uh, Blue Devil. I'm a Gamecock. I'm a, a Clemson Tiger." He went through all the universities. This is my home area. This is it, you know. And that was less than a year before where we're at now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then so they he, he became the guy, and they did the Flair Dusty Stark '84 deal where they kind of had Flair play the heel in that whole thing, and I mean the the fans were cheering Flair more there than you know, and then they put Flair back in. That's the the, the staunch babyface again against Wahoo and Tully, and then they tried to dabble with Flair and Magnum in, in the Summer '85 playing off TBS, but. But yeah, Flair. I mean, Flair was still the top babyface in the Carolinas up until they, the the big angle at the Omni, where you know they made him the clear cut heel everywhere. And like I said, it, it wasn't until the Horseman basically is when it all stuck. 
and he became and he started getting booed more often in, in the Carolina. And hard times. And yeah, hard times as well. Does Dusty's interview is where Dusty really even the people that didn't weren't with him before really got with him. Yeah, the injury angle really, yeah, definitely put him over the top, I think, uh, as far as sympathy. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's play the clip, shall we, of the World Tag Title Change uh, where uh, Ricky and Roberts with Bob Cottle on the, the next Saturday's Midland Championship Wrestling. And uh, let's go to that clip, shall we? We're back at Pro Wrestling Illustrated Scouting oh, Reports. Wrong and clip. Uh, Wrong clip. I'm so. Oh, were they out of order? No, Did I give them in the order they were in the notes? I think you missed. You missed one. Oh, okay. Because it is in a separate spot. Oh, okay. Uh, I see it now. It's the one you have highlighted. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. I mean, it is what it is. It's also been it a very se- long day. <laughs> no. I had to deal with a certain infamous dick. Bands wherever they go, the excitement that these two create the rock and roll. I was speaking of infamous dicks, Robert Gibson. <laughs> that one's more literal. <laughs> Express, Robert Gibson, Ricky Morton, the former, and I gotta emphasize, former world tag team champions, Ricky. Well, you know, Bob, ever since Robert and I become the Rock and Roll Express, we have been all over the world wrestling together. We have held a lot of regional titles. But the main title, the main goal we set out for was to put the NWA World Tag Team titles around our waist. Well, we've done that. We accomplished our goal. But I can't come out here and cry about spilt milk because i got to say one thing. The Russians are the toughest. They are the biggest. And they are the baddest team in professional wrestling today. But you know, it took three of them to beat the Rock and Roll Express. But I'll say this right here. Every time we got in the ring with these guys, there was always three. The fact of Robert and myself. But you know, it's no longer Robert and myself now. It's Robert and I and all these nice people out here that have stood behind us. So let me say one more thing. 202, I don't care who it is or anywhere, any place, any kind of match. You can't beat the Rock and Roll Express. And we have proved that time and time again. So I'm going to say this right here one more time. For all the people that have stood behind us through thick and thin, remember one thing. That Rock and Roll is here to stay. Robert? Hey, like Brother said, but we're here to stay. Two on two. They know team in the country, baby. Or the whole world can beat the Rock and Roll Express. As you can see, it's always three of the Russians, but two on two, Dave, there's no way in the world. I tell you, fans, uh, these two have been the champion. They know what it's all about, and, of course, they want to go right back there. A little later on, we're going to be showing just how the Rock and Roll Express, we want all of you fans to see just how they lost that championship. So if you two will stay here, and fans will be right back with that in just a moment. Fans here with the Rock and Roll Express, and we have a piece of videotape. Let's look at it right now and just see from the tape exactly how the Rock and Roll Express lost that World Tag Team Championship. Hey, right here, we have Ivan Koloff with a double drop kick. He is gone. Here, the third man, Crusher Khrushchev, he is gone. But look at this. Nobody said Vic Nikita can go off his feet. But watch this right here, Bob. Double drop kick. The lights are out, baby. Right here, we had the match under control. I feel we had him beat. But just to put a little bit of icing on the cake, no time limit, no disqualification. 
As you said, I'm on the top rope right here. The same thing he's done to me several times. The sickle, brother, but I have the chain in my hand. Boom! He don't know where he's at. He is gone, brother. The match belongs to the Rock and Roll Express. Right here, we are still are the champions, but there's no referee. The referee yeah. got knocked out. I mean, you just keep on There you see. Yeah. Right here. He is down for a 10 count, brother. 20 count. Look, he's nowhere around, but here goes brother. Look at here, the third man again. Crusher Khrushchev. Knocks him down right here, Bob. You see right here, we have the match won. Now, you I'm going over. Down for 30 seconds or yes, longer. Sir. I'm going over to check on Robert and the referee. Right here, you can see as he comes behind me, he's still dazed. He don't know where he's at. I got him right here. But look at this. Boom. If you see that right there in the corner, there's a chain hanging right there on the turnbuckle. Out goes the lights. Bob, at that time right there, brother, I didn't know what happened. See the chain? The chain right there. I'm in the middle of the ring. The one, two, three. And the world titles we lost. But let me say one thing, Bob. Like I said many times before, rock and roll is at their best when they're down, brother. And rock and roll is always here to stay. You got us on this one, brother. You slicked us once. Shame on you. You slicked us again. Shame on us. Robert. That's right. And like he said, he saw the chain there. That's how they beat us. It took three of them. Two on two, they can't do it, baby. The three on three, they did it. Hey, let me tell you something, guys. We're down, but we're not out. And Ricky still with the chain now. And there goes the three right. They're having to still help him out of the ring. Keita right here, the big guy, brother. Nobody said it could be done, but with that double drop kick, with that sickle with the chain, brother, Nikita's out. And we're going to be back. Don't forget, brother, Rock and Roll is here to stay. Be looking for us because we're going to be right in your face. All right, the former World Tag Team Champions, Rock and Roll Express, and fans, you saw right there just how they lost that championship. And we're about ready for action in the ring. And in the ring are the big Russians. And the new World Tag Team Champions. And right there, Bob. How about the fact that they sold that Nikita uh, double dropkick thing like they did, Bo? I mean, they really put that over that uh, Nikita was out. That was the first time that anybody had heard him. Yeah. Blair hadn't even did that to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bix is one of those things that had to be done, you know, to uh, if they're going to do Starcade, they're going to do the cage match. They got to take the belts off the, the rock and rolls and let them chase it and get it back. Pretty basic booking, you know. Um, plus, also, it's just kind of an outlier in general because they won the titles in their debut. Yes. So you've got to handle it a little differently anyway. Mm-hmm. So it also, it hurts them less than maybe it might in another situation. Not that it would anyway, but still. It's even less potentially harmful because you've already established that they can out-wrestle the Russians. They did it their first match in the promotion and won the titles. When 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 nobody else could. Right. And the Dusty thing, didn't do it. Flair didn't do it. Nobody did it. Rock and roll. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, some people would say, well, I mean, you're taking the belts off of them too quick and blah, 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 blah. I think, by, I think already by this point in time, the Rock and Roll Express didn't need the belts. And they were better as guys chasing, because they're going to lose the yeah. belts. They're going to lose the lose them quick again. They lose them to the Midnights uh, two months later. You know, then they then they they win they win them back in August and then lose them again in just over three months to Bull and and Man and uh, Rude. 
So they they don't have long long reigns with the belts. They didn't need to. No. The uh, the thing when Starcade '85, which is one of my all time favorite events, comes up, everybody thinks the swerve with Dusty or Magnum totally I quit. The first thing that comes to mind is the Russians leaving the cage against Rock and Roll and Nikita just obliviating some fan <laughs> and yeah. stomping that poor guy while he's on the ground. Like, oh. That poor guy had a holiday with his family, went to the wrestling matches, and probably ended up in the hospital after and in court. <laughs> oh, man, that's one of the worst. And uh, Ricky said either the next night or that sometime that weekend because they had the return matches everywhere after that for a few weeks. He said Nikita about kills a guy. And as he's stomping him in the head, he realizes it's Sam Houston. (laughs) 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 He thought, he thought it was a fan because Sam didn't take his shirt off to come running out there. And he just sees a guy coming at him out of the crowd. <laughs> oh man. That's hilarious. All right. Let's talk about the rest of that Charlotte show. All right. You notice that Dave uh, said 12,000 fans, uh, says here's 6,000 <laughs> on the results. I, I, I'm thinking Charlotte, I mean, it's the Coliseum, but the old Coliseum, it's, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that was right. I don't think it holds 12,000. No, no, this is more this is more of a right number. Yeah, because the old Coliseum, the new Coliseum, yeah, but this is the old Coliseum. Yeah. So, anyway, 6,000 fans at the Coliseum. Thunderfoot, Joel Dean of Rocky King, your opener. Jimmy Valiant, Doc Canola over the Midnight Express. That's your second match on the show. Then you got Terry Taylor retaining the National Heavyweight title, beating Buddy Landell. Raging Bull over Arn. Tully retaining the U.S. title over Ronnie Garvin. Coloss winning the, the uh, tag, World Tag Titles from Rock and Rolls. And then Magnum beating Flair by DQ. Flair retains his title. Pretty stout card considering here, Bo. I mean, you still yeah. have Dusty's not on this show, and uh, some other ones not on the show. So, yeah. Oli's not there, yeah. Yeah. Pretty stout show here with this with this lack of talent they supposedly have this time. <laughs> but anyway. This is just right, Dave being disillusioned he, with wrestling, by the way, more than anything else. I think he, it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, he's just now starting to get back going into it. Right. Yeah. I think Starcade actually is what really bring him back in a lot of ways, too. So Well, well, wait a second though. Chris. Dave would not have Unless did he fly to Atlanta or or Greensboro? I don't remember if he did or not. Because he wouldn't have been able to see it on video. Remember, he didn't have a closed circuit site. And eighty five was the year where they encrypted the signal so well that there was no bootleg of the satellite feed. Yeah. So I'd have to look back. I did he go or was it eighty six that he went to? Eighty six. I know he went the one of them. Yeah, I, I think it was Atlanta. I, I'm not sure about 85, though. Yeah. Richmond on the 18th, 2,000 fans at the Coliseum. That's not a good number. No, uh, it's not. That's not good. Pistol Pez Wally over Mike Davis, Superstar Billy Graham over Starship Eagle, Dan Spivey. He's about to be out the door. 
Uh, Terry Taylor retained national title over Buddy Landell. Ronnie Garvin on duel with the Butcher by disqualification. Arn over Manny. Rocker Rolls and Don Canola over the Russians. And then Magnum over Tully in a steel cage match. So Magnum, Tully, steel cage. Only drawing 2,000 in Richmond. That's not hot. That makes me wonder something. Yeah. And I'm curious if Bo knows this. When did the idea, or when would the idea for the I Quit match in the cage have come about? Oh, I would say probably months before. Because I, I find it interesting that we have Magnum Tully in a regular cage match doing so badly in Magnum's backyard. And then when they have the big blow-off, it's a cage match that's also another gimmick match. They're, they're, they're booked in these cage matches here to get ready for Starcade. Magnum and Tully have been working together off and on a, a good bit this time, too. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it as well. People maybe are tired of seeing that matchup at this point in time. Who knows? But anyway. And Rock and Rolls are on the other card, too. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's that's an interesting number. Greensboro, we don't have an attendance for the next night on the 19th. Uh, Sam Houston over Thunderfoot, Ronnie Garvin over Buddy Landell, Don Carroll over Crusher Khrushchev, uh, Valiant Superstar Billy over the Midnight. Taylor retains the national title over Black Bar. Rock and Rolls is, well, they're not the champions anymore. Over the Minnesota Run Crew, only an Arn. And Tully uh, going to double count out with uh, Magnum in the U.S. title match. Which, double count out, Greensboro, October 19th. They're building for Starcade there. So that's where the cage is going to be. So there you go. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Uh, Gino Hernandez had talked with Jim Carver Motion about coming in after losing his hair at the Cotton Bowl, but the thoughts broke down because Gino wanted too much money. We talked about this scenario before on this show, that uh, Gino had, there'd been some overtures there, and there'd been talks there. Tully was advocating for him to come in, and who knows? I mean, it would have been interesting to see Gino as that member of the Horseman, you know, with Tully, and, and, and Arn and Rick after Oli gets hurt and it doesn't happen. So, yeah, well, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? How do you think a Gino Hernandez run in Jim Crock Promotions would have went? Not good. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have lasted. He'd like, he liked being a big fish in a small pond. He liked short trips at points in his career he was only wrestling in Houston and nowhere else just once a week the road schedule would have killed him uh, the excuse given here about he wanted too much money there's no way that's true because nobody was on guaranteed money then you had you you had a bottom guarantee that you would get per night and it was the same for everybody. Each territory was a little different, so he would have known this is you would make at least this much money per week, but if you do business, you have a chance to make this much money. Crockett's on fire. They're the second biggest money territory in the country. So that's not true. I, he would have not he would have not lasted. In Crockett. Um, I pulled up – now, this is from one of the manuscript versions, obviously, because that's what's easy to find. But I pulled up the 
part in Gary Hart's book about this, which is not long. Um, so he says, during my time away from Dallas, referring to when he was mainly working for Texas All-Star, I continued to keep in touch with Chris Adams' Gino Hernandez and became increasingly concerned for Gino's well-being because he had developed a cocaine habit that was really out of hand. I was on him quite a bit about his addiction. It was hard for me to watch him go through that. You know, blah, blah, blah. He knew he was a party boy. I actually thought that if I could get Gino out of Texas and into another territory where he didn't have his connections, I could get him on the straight and narrow. I went so far as to call up Jimmy Crockett, who I always had an open door policy with, and made a deal to go to the Carolinas in January 1986. When he asked who I wanted to manage, I told him I would bring in Gino and Chris as a tag team and the one-man gang in, as a single. Needless to say, Jimmy was thrilled with that idea. With that, I had the perfect opportunity for Gino to get out of Texas and a way for him to spend more time, way for me to spend more time with him and watch over him. I went to have a meeting with Chris and Gino in their condo that they shared together where I planned on selling them on the Carolinas. I was really hoping that my plan would work as I really wanted to get Gino out of Texas as soon as possible. When I got there, I told them, boys, we have a chance to go to the Carolinas and make a lot of money. To my dismay, no matter how hard I tried to convince them, they were flat out not interested in leaving Texas. I called Jim Crockett back and told him the deal was no go. Looking back and knowing what I know now, maybe his being in the Carolinas wouldn't have made any difference on his habit, but believe me, I was trying. And at least in this version, as he remembered it, this was just five days. It was just five days after the meeting that Gino was found dead. Mm. So if his memory was accurate, this seems like a separate thing, potentially. But I'm guessing it's really the same thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, Gary, and, Gary, and, Gary could go here and there sometimes with timelines, which God knows that's wrestlers. Well, and also <laughs> we need to remember this is not the fact-checked version of the book. No. The hardcover did a much better job smoothing out some of those rough edges. Yeah. And every territory had guys in it that were the connection. Well, Gino well, that, had well, connections there in Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, it's kind of implied with what Gary said, but we know now, like, Gino was kind of involved in cocaine trafficking. So... Yeah. And Gino had run a bar in Myrtle Beach during one of his times away from wrestling. Yeah. That was like 83, 83, 84-ish. That's between Southwest and World Class, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which is when Tully shows up in JCP in that era as well. So, hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen it. But... Man, it didn't happen. Now, quick question before we move on about the money, I guess, for Bo. Do you know, in that era, were the baby faces in Dallas selling gimmicks? The office was selling the gimmicks. Was the money going to the boys, though? I doubt it. Okay. Because, you know, years ago, I got Chris Adams' immigration file, and I think it was for 84. So most of the year, he's a baby face, and the last quarter or so, he's a heel. I'm not going to pull it up and do the math right now because, you know, it was a combination of Dallas and Mid-South and stuff. But I want to say it was about 90 grand in 1984 money. So he was making excellent money. And if yeah. sales were not... Now, granted, he was doing more t he was doing more tags the following year, but he was also pushed heavier. So I don't know how exactly that would change. 
But he he and Gino are making excellent, excellent money in a short they, rip territory. They would say you get X amount of dollars for your merchandise. This is your cut. But it was nowhere near what it should have been. Because uh, that was the thing that led to um, rock and roll threatening to quit Mid-South that got Jack Curtis fired. That's right. Was they got a check for the whole month for, I think, 500 bucks for T-shirt sales or something. (laughs) Everywhere we look, we see them. This is not right. So. Yeah. And they were figured in, so they were going to be taken care of to make sure they didn't leave Dallas. Oh, yeah. They, they had already planted their roots there. They didn't, yeah. they, they didn't want to leave, so unless they were told to leave, which that wasn't going to happen, because Carrie, I think Carrie especially loved working with Gina. So, yeah. Okay, so just from Southwest Sports, so from Fritz's office for 1984, Chris Adams made $79,715. Not bad. So, it, well over hundred fifty grand just on that alone. But he also yeah, had his money from yeah. his outdates and stuff, too. And a short trip territory. Exactly. All right, scuttlebutt around the locker room is that a lot of wrestlers have said that Nikita Koloff doesn't sell more for them. <laughs> That's not his gimmick to sell. <laughs> I don't know where that would come from because Dusty would have meetings and say he sells for nobody. So anybody saying whatever, no. It's just like uh, they had the meeting with Barry and he told the boys, if he hits you, it's like I hit you. You go down. They were instructed what to do, who was doing what, and where their position was at. If anything, it was not that he wasn't selling, it was that he is killing us. <laughs> yeah, it makes, I mean, this is from the Observer, of course. It's our main yeah. source at this time. So, I'm, you know, we know one person that has been mentioned on this show that was a noted, you know, source. I don't know if he was a source this early, but could have been. So, who knows who was spent you know, telling the information to who? So, okay, it could so have I been jealousy. Oh, it could have been jealousy or something. Who knows? Well, that too. Yes. So I just checked real quick. Chris Adams' total in you know income for nineteen eighty four ninety two thousand three hundred seventy dollars. So that's mostly the Dallas money, but also the Mid South co promotions, getting booked out to Kansas City and St Louis. And also some, like, you know, commercial and stuff shoots that were, you know, organized through the office. And with inflation, that is, let me do, check that again, just under 240 grand. <laughs> yeah, not bad. In that territory. In a, yeah, work, living bad. in a major metro with short t- trips. Yeah, not bad at all. Oh, there, there are problems stemming from the Chicago car in late September, Super Clash. This group and the AWA are still working together with combination shows in Baltimore and New Haven, Connecticut in recent weeks. They are mainly the boring AWA stuff like Slaughter versus Borzukov with Rock and Rolls and Russians coming in from here. I mean, yeah, I mean, they would, they would still the Gary Juster promoted shows and stuff like that that would go into 1986. 
in, in, into the spring of 1986. So, yeah. I mean, that relationship lasted for, uh, you know, well over a year and a half. Well, because also the Pro Wrestling USA syndicated show, I mean, it's pretty much all AWA lasts into at least spring 86, right? Yeah. No, yes, it's AWA television, but they're still promoting, you know, the Crockett names and stuff as being there. Yes. And I just checked uh, Adams's. Dallas office money alone for eighty four, over two hundred seven grand today. Hmm. There you go. Um, have been told Dave's been told the match between Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell over the national title, which may change hands shortly, have been pretty bad. But we know it's not uh, a source for the Disney Observer at this time. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if we've had Bo on or at least talked about this since Dave said this months back, but. You, I presume, had heard to some degree over the years the same thing everyone else had, that everyone assumed that Terry Taylor was a Meltzer source, right? Yeah. Dave says, and I have no reason to doubt him, that he didn't say beforehand, but he says that other than like one conversation after a Nitro, he hasn't talked to Terry Taylor since 1989. Now, I can I believe it. I can think believe it because all the, all the stuff we mainly talk about is from the 80s. And it's all, and it's also when Terry is close with Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's Dave. Torch is another another thing. Yeah, sure. Torch is yeah. a, whole, a whole another kind well, of fish. Oh, what was that story we saw several weeks back, where it felt like a very obvious Terry Taylor plant? Yeah, I can't remember which it one was it was about something being his idea. I think. Yeah, it was a booking but thing. It, it was phrased in a way that just. Felt very uh, self-aggrandizing. Yeah, I mean, we got to Taylor and Lando matches on tape. We got uh, yeah. one for the Omni. Uh, well, the Starcade one is excellent. One from the Omni aired on Best of, and then uh, the Omni one. I mean, the Greens were on from Starcade, and I thought they were they were well. I thought they were good. Hey, this, this is what I wanted to talk about. This he says we're he's he's saying these were he was told these were not good. Yeah. You got to realize this is the first set of smart fans Mm -hmm. that are now reading behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. The business is now opened up to them and there was not very many of them. Um, But there's a few. So now they think, well, I know that it's a work, which they wouldn't even know that phrase. They would say whatever, you know, I know it's put on or, or whatever. So now they're trying to book in their mind instead of just continue on being fans. Now they're trying to say an opinion of, well, this is no good, mostly based on the fact probably uh I remember Terry Taylor when he was in Mid-Atlantic in 1981, and he wasn't that good, or he lost a lot of matches. I remember Buddy Landale when he was here at the same time. Now Buddy's supposed to be Ric Flair. So it's not actually people getting with with a smart eye turning this stuff in at this point in time in the 80s. It's still opinions. Well, I didn't like that match. Well, I don't like either one of them. Why are they main eventing now when they, they should 
you know, they were just guys that got beat up the last time they were here. And there's some very opinionated fans in the Carolinas that were newsletter uh, people at that time. Yes. Oh, you yes. mean fans who might have and, sat in front row section D at the Greensboro Coliseum? Very possible, yes. But this is also the first generation of fans that warped into what we now have with the internet fans. Yes. Because they read everything and they watch all the documentaries. They they don't they they're so far removed from just being a fan that they can't enjoy it anymore. And I would say that Dave's uh comment earlier about rock and roll has lost in, or losing interest. Well, then we hear a clip while they're trying to do an interview with Bob Cottle, the entire uh, female population of the yes. building is chanting rock and roll. Yes, yes, yes. It's because it's some guy sent in a report and he's like, why are they cheering for these guys? Why are they like them? Dude, they're so just pretty boys, you know. I remember Black Jack Mulligan. I remember the Andersons. I, I remember Johnny Weaver and George Becker. That was real tag team wrestling. <laughs> yeah. So you you have to read between the lines of what was real, what was opinion in these early observers and newsletters, you know, whatever was out there then. Uh Dusty Rhodes doesn't have an appeal in Charlotte because he's a fat guy that talks with a list. Ric Flair's cool. So then you get the report. Dusty doesn't have a following across the board. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just be a fan. Yeah. You, you can still have opinions, but don't, you know, and, and I wouldn't put the national title on Terry Taylor or Buddy Landale. Well, look here, bud. For one, you ain't smart enough to know who to put the belt on for whatever reason. Two, it ain't your money. <laughs> Three, it's theirs, and they know where they're going with it. Yeah. But I, I've seen this with a lot of fans over the years where they get into the reading the stuff, and, and they just make opinions of whatever because it's an opinion that they read and, and they have an opinion against, you know, I didn't like him. My, my friend, Mike DiMuzio that we lost this year, Mike was the early observer reader and, and contributor to the observer. He still had some of those thoughts from stuff that he'd read almost 40 years ago. We, 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 we still have that with others too, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ingrained in their mind and, you know, you, it's hard to convince people that maybe they had the wrong opinion, you know, years and years ago. I mean, yeah. things change, you know, I mean, <laughs> you got sometimes you may, maybe you need to go back and rewatch things and relive things and you, your opinion of all. But the, the, the same people that are sending these reports in to tell you that Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell is no good are people that were cheering Rufus R. Jones two years before that, <laughs> thinking he was a megastar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and real quick before uh, I move on from the from this uh, story, I said on Twitter the other day I was d doing some 1984 research, and I've seen it before, but it just stuck out again. Landell's on uh, 
booking sheets in January 84 in Crockett. He's advertised on a few shows. That That's when he goes to Mid-South. So my question to you, Bo, is how different is Buddy's career if he goes to Crockett instead of Mid-South in January 84? I have no idea what the plan was for him in Charlotte. Yeah, because Dory's, Dory's the booker. And, so. Okay, well, Dory would have seen him in Puerto Rico. Yeah, he knew it. This is, this is Buddy coming back from the injury in Puerto Rico. And, and the Funks were regulars going in and out of there. So he would have seen him as the nature boy. Um, probably what would have happened, he probably would have been brought in with a push. And it would have got killed as soon as Dusty came. And he probably would have ended up going to Mid-South. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been later on, and then we wouldn't have had the growth of Buddy in Mid-South with, with Butch yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting to see see him in Crockett at that point in time with, you know, a, in another dynamic. I, was, I mean, J.J. wouldn't have been his manager. I guess it would have been Paul Jones. Do you know why he went to Mid-South? I don't remember if I knew. It's closer to Memphis. Well, it is. And Dundee. I mean, Dundee's there. I mean, you got the basically a Memphis crew there. Yeah. He's comfortable with that. And and that was Buddy's thing was he, he always knew if I wanted to get out. Every other Sunday's Little Rock, or whenever it was. Was it every other Sunday or every third Sunday? Whatever. Little Rock's on Sunday. That's 120 miles to Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> so I could be in, standing at the Coliseum on Monday to ask for a job. <laughs> well, they, well, Sundays, though, no, Sundays was uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma City double shot. When, when, was, when was Little Rock? Little Rock would be on uh, Saturday. Okay. Whatever yes. it was, he knew he he knew he could be close to Memphis and be there when they pulled in on Monday <laughs> Monday afternoon. Yeah, because so. they, they they would like change up their their schedule at times in that era um, because yeah. Shreveport was always Fridays. And then Shreveport became more of a Tuesday deal where they would do Shreveport uh, on Tuesday and then taping at Iris McNeil on that Wednesday. But Baton Rouge is also on Tuesdays. So they, they would alternate those days around at times. It was it, it could get confusing in, in, in that area. Yeah, at, so, at some point, though, Little Rock was on Sunday. Yeah, I, th- I think it was on Sunday before they did the uh, double shots in Oklahoma City before they started that up. So, anyway. Lee Ramsey had to have his throat operated on recently after a match with Abdul the Butcher, who seriously injured him using his fork. Wow. <laughs> he stabbed him in the throat with a fork so badly that he had to get surgery? <laughs> uh, I do not believe that. Okay. Uh, I've worked with Abdullah. I've been stabbed with a fork, a knife, a broken glass bottle, all that stuff. Never been touched. But it, an accident could happen, though. You know? What I do believe 
he dropped that elbow on him and went right across <laughs> his throat. <laughs> yeah, that could hurt too. <laughs> that's that's what I would believe if it, if it, if it was something that was it. <laughs> there was a lot of weird loss of translation stuff in the Observer in this era. It could also be something happened because it's Abdullah. He's probably got a, a blade taped to every finger. Yeah. There's a lot that could have happened. Um, plus, you know, we know with Abdullah, and we know better now, like, Abdullah would absolutely take severe liberties with people. So I'm sure something happened. But I, I think Bo is right that it's probably not as described here. Yeah, I, I would believe it was the elbow because he used to drop it right across people's throats. Yeah. yeah. When you got that much weight and that much mass coming at you, there's nothing you can do. Well, and also at this time, he still, he's started to put on more weight the last few years, but he's still kind of trying to work like younger Abdullah yeah. in this era. So he's probably going to have more accidents anyway. Yeah, he's he's not... You know, like he would be a few years later, size wise. He still, yeah, he still like, I, agile. I never, he never put a mark on me. He never touched me with anything that he did to me. Other people, I have seen it. <laughs> yeah, and and I always make clear there's no reason. I'll get it myself. Don't worry about it. You know. Oh, as far as getting okay. color. Yeah. All right, champ. Well, here's the thing, though, with that, though. You know, with whatever anyone thinks of Hannibal, like, it's very clear that Abby did not get his permission to cut him at all, and the same thing happened with other people, too. So even if you said you'll take care of your own blade and stuff, that wasn't a guarantee that he wouldn't do anything. Uh, no, but I mean, I maybe do, but just because I'm... I was around him so long, hmm. you know, because I started so young and, and was, you know, so maybe, I don't know, maybe he liked me for some reason. I don't know. <clears throat> but, I mean, I never had anything with him. I, other than when he would pull you up by your hair, he would almost snatch you bald <laughs> for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what that did, just other than the fact he didn't want to bend over to get you. <laughs> he, he he made sure you were coming with him. I was like, "Good lord!" <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, on the October thirteenth TBS tapings, Arn Anderson stole the TV bill from Dusty Rhodes, and then ran away when Drunk Rocket decided tried to get it back. Dusty was be stripped of the title on October nineteenth, failed to defend within thirty days. So Arn and some babyface will probably wrestle a star cape for the title, or though perhaps they have an abbreviated tournament. We got. The latter. Arna totally also kicked the crutches from out from Dusty at that taping. Even though I've seen these stunts pulled and they're expected, they are building a ton of excitement for this event. Many of these tapings saw Tully keep US title getting DQ'd against Ron Bass in a match that was very good. Today's pleasant surprise. Tully really is a good worker, but he's not world title material, even though many think he is. We'll play the whole Dusty uh Arn Tully thing in a minute, but uh what are your thoughts on the on the, the Dave's assessment of Tully here, Bo? That he's not world title material. Wrong. <laughs> Tully Tully could have traveled the world as the world champion, and you, and you would have thought for sure he's going to lose it here in my town. 
you know what, though? I get where Dave is coming from. He would need to change his image up a bit to be world champion and not come off as a flair knockoff. He would. And I'm sure he could do it, but he, w- he would have needed to make some changes. Well, he did change when Flair, when he became a member of the Horseman. True. Yeah. So he didn't have to do that in the more that's Flair. So he, I mean, he became totally bunch of enterprises, you know? I mean, he could have done that. And, I mean, and plus, I mean, he had worked as a baby face, so he could have been a baby face if needed, you know, in a territory to make the defenses. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the stuff was there, but, um, yeah, Tully could have been world champion. Absolutely. Maybe the greatest chicken heel of all time. Oh, he was so hateable. So hated. Yeah. You know? And knew how to beg off and now such a slime and just, you know, a sucker punch artist. I mean, he just, yeah, what a great heel. And yeah, one of the best. He well, and also the he way he had drew- with taking the, the, like, intentionally sloppy bumps too yes that hey right there there's another great point to these readers and people that observe watch this stuff kevin sullivan took different bumps tully took different bumps everybody took different bumps now everybody takes takes the same bump Shoulder tackle. They go fly and take it flat on their back. Punch, flat on their back. They all take the same bump for every move where the guys of that era would take a different bump for everything being done to them. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan would take a tackle and fall on his butt Mm -hmm. because it looked like he was knocked down, not taking a bump. Tully could do the the wobbly legs from Garvin's punch where you thought, man, he's knocked out. Yep. Or now it's, it's all, it's all, it's all the same. You occasionally see other things. I, I saw again, the gif of it the other day. I think it was from that first, uh, match in AIW between, uh, our dear friends, Eric Stevens and Dominic Garini that I think, Eric hit a clothesline, maybe a short clothesline on Dom, and he kind of took a flip bump on it, but he didn't take like a neat, you know, kind of Tito Santana flip bump or the Dustin Rhodes or Fatu bump. He ended up like tangled in Eric, but in a way that made it look better. Like, he he gets turned inside out, and he lands, yeah. like, on top. Because Eric follows through with the clothesline all the way down, and he, like, lands on top of Eric. But it works, like, because it looks like he just knocked the hell out of him in a way that he couldn't control himself. Yeah. That's something that's missing. Yeah. All right, so the Sunday TV show from Atlanta has turned into mainly a 30-minute interview session with Rick Flair and Bill after. The segment's too long, as even Flair can't ad-lib that long and say anything new. Well, let's get a little taste of this. Uh, this is from uh, Scotting Report and that great set they have, the uh, the uh, reddish burgundy set that I, I wish I had uh, in my house. And let's go to Bill Atter and Ric Flair, and then Dusty Rhodes will make a cam- cameo appearance here on, on location. Okay, so, so wait, go- wait, 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 wait. If you were to find this somewhere... Like, in, in a junkyard in Atlanta, you would take it home and you would just be Kramer with the Mike Douglas set? 
I just want the J- I want the JCP sports deal and the uh, Superstation stuff. That's what I mainly want that, that. Right. That that said, and that steel that I'm looking at smells like cigarette smoke. <laughs> it's that shade of red for some reason. Is it's very eighties. It's very evocative of like your last restaurants with smoking section. Oh, oh, I, I love, yeah. yeah. If it's my childhood, I, I feel like I feel like I'm at Pancake House about to order a Mister Pancake and needing to sit away <laughs> from the smoking section and the cigarette machines in the vestibule. Whatever uh, happened to Pancake House? Oh, excuse me, Pancake Cottage, not Pancake House. We never had those down here. I don't know what the hell you talking yeah. about. It was the same. It was the same company as a uh, country kitchen. If that right, don't have out. that. E- don't have that either. Okay. No, we have real country kitchens down no, here, big not Chain stores. I, I like chain stores. Yeah, we to be a country kitchen. We got we we got a restaurant here in my town called Country Kitchen. That's on Country Kitchen Road. They name the road after the restaurant, and you have to go five miles down the road to the restaurant it's out in the fucking country and you know it, it's not as good as it used to be but man that was some prime fucking eating back in the day oh shit you go think at the up at the buffet god damn it woo so good yeah they've had issues of ownership and staff changes over the years but man it was good eating but anyway enough about that let's go to uh willie after and uh, the nature boy oh wow country kitchen does still exist but nothing in the northeast. Oh, well, no, one northeast location, it looks like. In, uh, where is this? Oh, in uh, New Rochelle in Westchester. All right. Anyway, let's go to, uh, I was going to say Flair and Willie, but that really didn't sound like the best thing to say right now. Rick, we're going to have an interview with uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. You know, you amaze me. You still insist upon talking upon a has-been. A man who is not competing in our sport right now. A man who may never compete in professional athletics, period, again, much less professional wrestling. Well, just What's this deal you got for Dusty Rhodes? He's done. He's not competing at present time. Why waste important time in our program to talk about a man like Dusty Rhodes who's finished? He's a has-been. Well, you probably think that we have a videotape of Dusty Rhodes. However, we're now going to go live to Dusty Rhodes' home and speak with him. Hello, American Dream. Bill, I'm just real, real good to see you and talk to you here live from my home. Let me, I got two statements to make, two things to say, and I'll get off this program that is your program, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. You're talking to Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, because for the last 10 years, he has dominated the sport of professional wrestling. You are talking to him because you as a sports writer and a, and, and a uh, bill of magazines, the greatest wrestling magazines in the world, for the last 10 years, no man has graced to cover your magazine more than Dusty Rhodes, The American Dream. Not because we're friends, it's because Dusty Rhodes sells more magazines. No promoter has called Dusty Rhodes and just wanted him because he was a friend. They called Dusty Rhodes because he is the greatest single box office attraction in this country today. And now we're sitting here talking about my injury and everything. Thing. Let me tell you something. This big old boy from Austin, Texas, the son of a plumber, you know, my old man was a plumber and all he knew was plumbing. He was the best at what he did. Well, Dusty Rhodes is the best at what he did. Bar none. 
bar none. And for three or four weeks that have went by, I have taken an oath of silence and have not speak. And I want to apologize to my many fans because that's not the way I am. The mental agony, the mental strain, the mental anguish that I went through is over now. I've got that out of my mind. My thing now is coming back, working my way back, getting myself back ready for what I got to do. And I'm telling you what, I might have a thousand great matches left in me, Bill Apter. Oh, I might have. Hey, that you got something to say to me? Forget about Bill Apter. You got something to say to me? I might have that one super match. And that one there, baby, is what Dusty Rhodes coming back for. And sitting here with Ric Flair. It doesn't bother me at all because I know me sitting here and him sitting there, the cheap shot artist that you are, kid, you can't jump through the screen and get me from where you're at right now. Dusty, the one question that the, the fans want to know is will you ever be able to wrestle again? Just like I said. Yeah, yeah, let's hear this up front. Why don't you address this to me, Dusty Rhodes? I'm the host of this program. If you got something to say, say it to me. Forget about Bill After. Well, you know, in years past, Rick Flair would have said it to you, but... After losing the amount of respect that I have for you and the amount of respect that the people across this country have for you as an athlete or anything else, it doesn't really matter. I'll address this to you, and I'll tell you one time. Just like, just like everybody has a cutoff date in this life, brother, I am the American Dream. I live the American Dream, Ric Flair, from day one. I don't have to wear the, the uh, Ralph Lauren suits and, and wear the Rolex watches and, and pretend that I'm somebody that I ain't. And that's all you're doing is pretending. Now, I used to really believe in your kid, but now you're pretending so i'm gonna give you something to pretend about pretend that i'm not coming back but mark it down in your book brother i'm on a time schedule and dusty Rhodes, the american dream is coming back a hundred percent and this is just a little bit different all the ha ha and the glamour and all the wristwatches and all the suits you wear cannot save you now from dusty Rhodes, the american dream so you can talk all you want here about dusty Rhodes. that's what i'm talking about kid i'm going to tell you right now it's a medical impossibility. And I've taken pride in the fact that it's a medical impossibility for you to ever perform the level you used to perform at, if perform at all, is advised in a professional wrestling ring. You're done. My hands are washed to you and your claim to the World Heavyweight Championship. Let me say this one thing, Flair. My hands are clean of this situation. I heard one man that night that stuck in my craw more than anything in the world, standing at ringside when they canned me out, and he said, Dusty Rhodes, you're too good. You're too nice. You've got what you deserve, baby. Well, that's fine. That stuck right in my craw. I got what I deserve. Let me tell you something, Ric Flair, and you put this down, and you think about it, and you remember this. Ric Flair, I have no respect for you as a world champion. I have no respect for you as an athlete. I have no respect for you as a human being. You are a false. You are a phony. You are a has-been. You are not your pretender in a great athletic sport that you're in. And Dusty Rose tells it. Nobody's going to talk to me like this on my program. You're a pretender. I don't care what you got to say to the world, Dusty Rhodes. You keep in mind that I put you where you're sitting right now with your leg on that table, all wrapped up We're in a big white cast. We'll see you I'm on getting reports Rick next year. The world champion. Nobody else. And Bill Hunter, you remind me of that when I'm gone. <laughs> oh man, that's good. That that's setting heat up, Bo, right there for the the Starcade match. Yes, and Dusty's house most certainly smelled like cigarette smoke. 
Yeah, I'm sure it did. But yeah, that's good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, so we talked about Arn and Tully and Dusty from uh, the October 19th episode of World Championship Wrestling. So let's go to the clip. Dusty returning to the studios, and uh, yeah, he uh, he gets abused. So let's go. Did I open one of these twice, or are these in the wrong order? Because the next few I have are all from TBS. Oh, it's the, is it is this the only TBS clip? Yes. Okay, then it was out of order for some reason. Okay. Actually, wait, since this is VHS sourced, because for some reason the network doesn't have anything before November. Let me turn on my little filter here. There we go. And again, even though they, what is it? They had all but one of these shows on Classics on Demand, right? Something like that. It's very weird. I don't understand why they've never filled that in. But We're with Paul Jones. You know how bad superstar Billy Graham is. <laughs> you know, something upset. Wrong clip. Perfect Wrong clip. I know, then wait a second. You said it was the only TBS clip. No, there's another clip. I literally just asked you. <laughs> Boy, the clip, the clip game has then got off today. All right, let me I get you. Have, the... I must have copied and pasted something twice. I'm sure is what happened. All right, well now you have it now. So, right, hold on. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of that could have happened. So, and I'll just make a new thing and then redo the others. It says it's from I mean, Atlantic, though. Yeah, well, that's oh, it's a recap from it. Okay, you should have explained that. That's so, okay. So I did have everything in the right order. Yeah, Aaron, I took the better quality from the network Mid Atlantic. Oh, uh, okay. Well, there you. Go. Well, like because the watchman. I can't remember. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. There is a look, probably the most controversial thing in the world of professional wrestling, maybe in the history of professional wrestling, the left ankle, the left foot of this man right here, and we are very, very glad to see him back. We're talking about the world television champion and welcoming back with me, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Two things. Two things need to be said real quick. When I face the nation right now about this situation, I'd like to thank all the fans that... The fans know in what Arn Anderson's going to do. You saw him grab that championship belt, and off he went with it uh-huh. as he literally stole that championship belt. Just how long is this going to continue happen? to go on? We'll be back. We'll... What just happened there? No idea. Rewind that thing. I wasn't touching anything. Yeah, wait, what happened here? Could something have been cut out from this YouTube upload that was on That's the funny. network? I guess so. Look, it just, you look at the thumbnail. It just jumps. Yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, let me dig this up, and uh, I didn't notice that before. <laughs> Are we just leaving this in? Might as well. Yeah. Well, I right. I'll get I'll get it set up. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. The the time on the clip is ten forty two. So, I mean, forty two minutes. Excuse me. So yeah, that is uh that is kind of short on time. All right, so here we go. All right, so I got it set up. So let me get this sent to you. Just a little technical difficulties, people. We are. So do we think it's that way on the network, or do we think someone yeah, had to cut something out? I guess. I don't know. What would be on the network that would have flagged things only in that I one no, spot? I have no idea. It's, it, that, it's not going to be funky, but here you Is go. Is this from right. VHS, or...? Yes, VHS. Okay. Welcome back with me, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Mm. 
two things. Two things need to be said real quick. When I face the nation right now about this situation, I'd like to thank all the fans that send me the many cards and letters. I'd like to apologize publicly for the dates that I'm unable to make, the bookings I'm unable to make, because it's never in my history of my career wrestling I wasn't able to perform. The hurt inside of me goes a lot deeper than just performing. Don't you even come out! <laughs> what in the world is going on? <laughs> where did so where did it end on that other upload? As Dusty was talking. Okay, so it's not like it has nothing to do with the abrupt end to the actual segment then. Okay. No. Weird. It is weird. But yeah, and you totally keep the, the crutch off my thunder and Arn grabbed the belt and hightailed it out of there. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Roger Kent. Yes, Roger Kent made his JCP TV debut in an interview segment with uh, Jim Crockett from the uh, aforementioned studios that Bill After and Rick Flair did the uh, Scanner Report in. So, so wait, and, is he coming from AWA or from WWF? Um, he already left WWF, so I he wasn't announcing in AWA anymore. He was spot promoting. Doesn't he go yeah. back though before the second WWF run? Yes. But yeah, he does yet. spot. He does spot promotion work for AWA too. Okay. But anyway, let's go to Roger Kent, who looks different here than he looked anywhere else, as you'll note. And uh, yeah, let's let's hear how, how Roger Kent sounded here. Mm-hmm. Hi, wrestling fans. I'm Roger Kent, here to tell you about Starcade 85, the biggest event in professional wrestling in 1985, as part of the celebration of the 50th anniversary of Jim Crockett Promotions. Mr. Crockett will be along in a little bit to tell you about what's going to happen in Starcade 85. But let's go back to the origin of Starcade itself. Back in Greensboro, North Carolina, 1983. Yes, that's where the action took place. He got his chance to go after the world championship. I'm talking about Ric Flair, Nature Boy, who had his crack at Harley Race for that championship. Let's go back in time and take a look. Go to the next clip, because that that, skip skip all this. And unbowed. Well, Starcade really grew from 1983 to 1984. The promoter, Mr. Jim Crockett and Jim Crockett Promotions, added some real frosting on the cake for the battle between Ric Flair and the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Yes, one million dollars was put on the line to the winner of this event. Let's take a look at that million dollars. Ten thousand dollars in each package. Take a look at it. (laughs) Oops, I forgot to fast forward through that one, too. Oh, you gotta love the network. Would you like me to skip ahead? Yeah, skip ahead, please. So where does the to the to back when Rogers on camera, basically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Looks like Paul Bearer. He does. Or Mike Lindell. <laughs> yeah. I. Right. Gonna bring you all the great stars of Dominion here on the Superstation. 
Kate 85 at hand. What can it hold? It has to hold something because Mr. Jim Crockett of Jim Crockett Promotions is making it part of the 50th anniversary of Jim Crockett Promotions. We have him with us right now, and I'd like to ask you, Jim, if I may, with the success of Starcade 83, Starcade 84, what can you pull out of the hat for Starcade 85? Roger, we've been spending the last year working on Starcade 85. Starcade 83, a flair for the gold. The million dollar challenge in 84 have developed Starcade into the Super Bowl of professional wrestling, the World Series. It has become the greatest gathering of fans of all time. And that's one of our problems. We have so many fans that want to be a part of Starcade that to solve this problem, we have added the Omni in Atlanta and its 18,000 seats. We're going to have co-host cities of Starcade. Okay, are we hearing truck audio or is this from them reusing it? Yes. I, 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 what do you think, Buck? I think it's truck audio. That's what I was trying to figure out. Because well, we playing. heard it during the other segment, too. Let's keep playing. Let's see. Let's see. Gate 85. Now, how are they going to see this action in both cities? We're going to add four giant screens around the scoreboard so that a fan sitting in Atlanta will be able to see the matches in Greensboro, and the fans in Greensboro will be able to see the matches in Atlanta. Ten big man. <laughs> yes, back to the music again. So there you go. And, and, and basically, Crockett talks about they, they run down some of the stuff, the tag title change and all that. So that's where he announces the the tag title match hmm. at Star But let's talk about Roger Kent. You talk about a guy who is out of place. He does the TBS. Uh, he does t- some TBS work. He announces on the Saturday morning show, I think once or twice. And Bo, he just yeah, he just was not the right fit in this promotion. No, I don't even remember him being there. Yeah, it only lasted like three weeks. Yeah, I, I had no memory of that. Yeah, it only lasted like three weeks. Well, wait a minute. No, it's long, longer than that. He was the ring announcer at the Omni. Because Tom, Dr. Tom was the, 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 Not the ring announcer. Dr. Tom. No, Dr. Tom Miller. And yeah. uh, I think Roger, Tom. Yeah, Roger was the uh, announcer, ring announcer at the Omni. Oh. So yeah, he was he was there for at least a month. But yeah, real odd fit. And that die job is something else because he he had gray hair in the AWA in the seventies. <laughs> he grayed young, but still he had gray hair. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, I had gray hair young too, but at least I shaved my head. But there you go. Bob Caudle gave him the shoe polish. He found it at Jesse Helms's office. <laughs> Oh my goodness! All right, Dave. So I don't know what's gotten to Billy Graham besides steroids, of course. The guy must have a death wish, but his interviews have gotten fantastic. The guy's gotten gigantic again as well. But they seem to be pushing him for matching against Ric Flair, which is sick because he's strictly an entertainer, not a wrestler. Well, let's go to TBS and Paul Jones, who's pissed off at Billy Graham for going back to the tie dye and not being part of his army anymore. So let's uh. Let's go to uh, cartoon villain Paul Jones here. I hope someone calls him Put in Head. <laughs> Doesn't happen here. I know. Don't you ever call me Put in Head? <laughs> when I have a little sore throat. But I want to end a lot of rumors and a lot of gossip that's been going on between Superstar and myself. It is exactly that a rumor, and I don't like rumors. Now, what I want to say here. <laughs> 
As far as superstar, he may have a little attitude problem, but other than that, attitude I have a contract. Attitude. Hi, Super. I have a contract that is binding. It's sicker than blood. It's sicker than family, and he has to honor it. Now, if there's any truth to those rumors, do you think that Superstar would be standing right here next to me? I don't think so. But, Super, I would just tell the people here uh, that our contract is binding, and, and therefore, and I think it, it would mean a lot to them if you would put it in your own words. Well, I'll put it in my own words. First of all, we are not on a one-name, first-name basis, number one. Number two, this man is a habitual liar. Number three, nobody controls Superstar. I'm talking to you, Weasel. Now, Weasel, don't call me a Weasel. I'm calling you a Weasel. Don't call me a Weasel. Superstar Billy Graham, the man with the pythons, answers to nobody, and especially a Weasel, Mr. Paul Jones. Mr. Weasel, if you get close to me, I'll knock you here next Sunday, boy. Is he not a weasel, or is he not a weasel? Nobody tells Superstar Billy. <laughs> I could just hear. I pause. I could just hear Paul Jones, you know, doing a Mr. Spacey. Ooh, <laughs> that's going on. But what's the best? Good. Why are they just now getting to the split when he's been working as a babyface in all the towns since at least July? Well, he had already started working as babyface on Atlanta TV, but this is this is like a couple of weeks in where they had the finally the blow off. But yeah, he had started working in as babyface in Carolinas earlier. Yes, but that's yeah, I'd seen him in July as the babyface in, we're in, in Johnson a, City. We're in the that universe though here, you know. Yeah, things are different. But what you think? What you think about Billy going back to the tie dye and and all that stuff? I I really didn't know a lot about it at that point in time because I had not seen the WWF or knew his hit. I knew he'd been the world champion, and so I didn't realize at the time what a bigger deal it was. Him going back because uh, I my first scene of Billy Graham was, you know, Kung Fu fighting Billy Graham. Yeah. Uh, other than some magazine stuff when I was a kid. So, and I can see why they had him go back to that when they got to TBS, because it's shown in Northeast, it's shown in Florida, it's shown places that Billy had been over. Um, but there just wasn't a lot of gas left in the tank at this point. Not as a wrestler, no. That's what and Dave's talking about. You know, Rick, Rick Flair, Billy Graham matches would not have been good. And I, was there any? No. That's why I was saying I don't remember anything other than Graham maybe challenging him during yeah. the interviews. Yeah, I mean none that's on that I know of. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Vix, what were your thoughts on Billy going back to the tie dye here? If he was going to keep wrestling, it was needed. Yeah, the time had come to to, to go back to the hits. Absolutely. Well, he he never should have done the kung fu thing anyway. Yeah, but that's what he was into. So for three years, for some reason. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, just to get that urban legend out of the way, since we 
we're briefly talking about Kung Fu Billy Graham and we don't have newsletters that we'd be able to cover that, you know, any contemporaneous coverage of that. Maybe that Gorilla Monsoon article saying he was dead could have hurt his drawing power in the city. Couldn't have helped him with return—I mean, could excuse me, couldn't have hurt him with returns against Backlund because he never faced Backlund in Philly <laughs> in that run. No. Which is interesting, yeah. I wonder if they just decided not to go with him all the way because of that. May have been. So they did the Garden and did other major towns, so— Anyway, there you go. All right, let's go international now and uh, start in Japan. Land of the Rising Sun and All Japan Pro Wrestling. Giant Baba's group debuted its weekly Saturday Night Primetime show on Nippon TV on October the 19th. It's celebrated by bringing in Terry Font, the Road Warriors, Rick Blair, Rick Martel, among others. The TV debut was taped at Cork and Hall in Tokyo. Tape was an incorrect word. The program was shown live. <laughs> Tell me you're doing this on a typewriter without telling me you're doing this on a typewriter. <laughs> the three-man events were given shorter time limits to make sure all the matches would be televised, which led to both NWA champion Ric Flair and AWA champion Rick Martell wrestling the time limit draws. Flair wrestled Jumbo Sharuda and Martell wrestled Ricky Choshu, and there were 10-minute time limits, too. All right, uh, the results 15. of the show. Not 10. 15? Yeah, 15. That's right, 15. I uh, Toshiko Kawada over Shinji Sasazaki in your opener. Mighty Inoue, Matoshi Okuma, and Haru Sonoda, Magic Dragon over Nuronaga, Shinichi Nakano, and Isama Terunishi. Billy Robinson over Fumihiro Nakura. Ashura Hara, Roshikamura, and Goro Shirumi over Masafuchi, Tarzan Goto, and Takashi Shikawa. Killer Khan, Kunio Kobayashi, Yoshiaki Yasu over Art Cruz, Terry Gordy, and the Great Kabuki. Sure. Tenukunichiro and Takamas 2 Masawa over Chava Guerrero and Mil Mascaris. Then Martel and Choshi going to 15 minute draw, Jumbo and Rick going to a 20 minute and 15 minute draw, and then Dorian Terry Funk going to a double count up with the Road Warriors. Ah, don't you love that 80s All Japan booking? <laughs> yeah, but this was a, a, a big thing, man. Uh, going into prime time on Saturday nights on the Pond TV. It's funny how Choshu coming in helped propel that you know got the promotion hot where they got a great time slot yeah that's what it is i mean what what was their time slot before this <sighs> it wasn't late nights yet i don't think i think it was midnight or 11 i think midnight though mainly yeah i think it was either 11 or midnight it was after it was after the prime time window so to speak okay and New Japan, of course, I think in this era, still maybe on Fridays. Well, they because also they don't were... get taken out of like prime time or semi prime time until like late eighties, right? Yeah, New Japan was on Friday and it's in prime time. That's why the fr- Fridays were a lot of the big shows were on Friday because the shows, you know, would basically be live to tape and sometimes live. Uh, also, weren't there some big shows that were billed as like Friday night special and stuff? I mean, yeah, but I mean, they were all a lot. Most of your your TV stuff was on Fridays, mm-hmm. taped on Fridays, so it aired same day. Yeah. Um, and this is you know where we get the um, the Flair Martel match comes out of this uh, two days later, outside of our week on the twenty first at Cork and Hall, so. Uh, yeah, I got some some big guns here. Absolutely. 
Now, no word has come as to what the status of Dynamite Kid, Terry Funk, and David Smith is regarding the upcoming tag tournament or the future of this group. Dave knows that Dynamite's one of the few wrestlers who has refused to sign a secure contract with WF and Japan and perhaps return to Calgary may be part of the reason. Well, he does. <laughs> the, Bulldogs work, the, the Bulldogs were at the Tag League. But I think they signed before the Tag League, right? Yeah, but they do, they do let them work the Tag League. Now, Dory teams with Baba because Terry um, Terry's doing stuff with Hogan in that time period. So Terry doesn't go. So Baba and Dory team up in the tag league. Okay. I'm trying to find the part in Brett's book about finding out that Davy and Dynamite had, had signed because I know he places when it was because the story is, is that according to... Dynamite and Davey, after the meeting when they told Brett and Jim, Vince was so happy to sign them. Okay, I just found it. Yeah, they, Okay, I'll just read it then. Alright, so this is... This is... This is 84... So this is early... Okay, so this is early 85. So this is, I guess, when they're coming back after having kind of left originally. Um, it says three days after whatever this was at the Hojo. So this is okay. March 28th at the Hojo's in Toronto, Tom and Davey were at the bar. Despite the fact that they'd kayfabe me about their Japan deal, I was more than happy to see them more reinforcements. They just signed with Vince up in the hotel room. He told them they could make big money as his tag champs and keep their Japan deal too. Going to call us the fucking British Bulldogs, Gabe. Tom chuckled. We start on March 25th. Okay, so the, I'm mixing up the dates a little here. It's it's in March. Uh, Davey said that right after they signed with him, Vince climbed up on a small table and danced. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, okay, so what we're talking about here, then, is trying to get the Bulldogs to be exclusive. Yes. Because, okay, so the timeline is basically Brett, Davey, and Dynamite show up for TVs in the summer of 84. Um, Dynamite and Davey quickly become disillusioned because they know they can just get really big money in Japan, whereas Brett kind of feels like this is his break. So they quit. They go to all Japan at the end of the year. And then in early 85, they make a deal with Vince where they're working both companies and they're pushed but they're not on the road to the tag titles until they uh, until they become exclusive at the beginning of 86, or end of 85, however you want to put it. Yeah. And, well, I mean, Dynamite would have gotten hurt anyway, but I think they, they made the right decision because, we've talked about this a little bit before, they do not get enough credit for how well they did as draws, as tag champions. Mm-hmm. Nobody in that era, as far as tag team champions was booked anywhere close to as strong an act and a legit main event level act as the Bulldogs. Yeah. All right. Uh, Samatir Nishi and Norio Hanago are now the all-Asian tag title holders. They beat Takashi Shikawa and Masafuchi on October 14th for Kumoto. Terry Nishi and Anima Hamaguchi were the champions, but Hamaguchi is now out with a knee injury. Results of this show. Kawada over Sasaki, your opener. Apollo Shigawara and Masika Takasugi over Yoshihiro Momoda and Mitsuo Momoda, the Momoda brothers. 
Matoshi Okuma over Art Cruz, Ashura Haro over Haruka Egan, Terry Gordy and Billy Robinson as a team of Raki Hata and Great Kochika. That's a match. Yeah. Chava Guerrero and Mascaris over Kuriakabayashi and Mascarisu. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Great Kabuki over Shinichi Nakano. Giant Baba, Mighty Inoue, and Tiger Mask 2, Masao over Rimago, Roshikamura, and Gorshurumi. And then we have the All Age Attack title match. And in our main event, Dorifoot Jr., Jenu Grichiro, and Jumbo Sharuda went to a double count out with Riki Choshu, Killer Khan, and Yoshaki Yatsu. So there you go. I don't like that you didn't say Ishingunden or uh, International Blood Army. Yeah. International Blood Army, of course, was the Roshikamura faction of his ex uh, IWE. Guys, yeah, I, I love that name. International Blood Army, yeah, it's great. Yeah, oh yeah. And Gordy's by himself on this tour. Um, he's that's what he's been starting doing that in '85, going by himself while Hayes and Buddy stayed uh stayed over in the U.S. So, yeah. All right, New Japan with Vincent Man pulling Andre the Giant and Adrian Adonis for the tag tournament. Their respective partners, Matt Superstar and Dick Murdoch, will team together. Another team has been added, but won't be announced until they are found. Apparently, Superstar hasn't signed a contract with Vince McMahon, which is why he's coming here. Hmm. Well, he's been billed, too. He was billed on some house shows in 85 uh, as being WF, and yeah, it wouldn't happen until the, the year later. But Mur- Superstar and Murdoch had team with each other in the past. I just watched them team together in uh, the 81-ish, at the 81 Tag League. 8182 Tag League. And, but yeah, here they are together again. This is the team that would go to Mid South, you know, after that and uh, do the big stuff there with DiBiase and Doc. But yeah, now we have Vince pulling his people out of Japan, so to speak, on a, the, the people that are going on a kind of regular basis. Even though Inoki is paying him large sums of money for his talent? Uh, not at this point in time. That's done. So wait, how long was? Oh, that's right. We talked that about this. No, but so how long was that payment that he got in the spring supposed to cover? Um, it's done now. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. I mean, that was done. so a million dollars for was for what three months? Um, it was something. Huh. I mean, Andre still goes over, but yeah, as far as anybody else, no. Well, that's Andre it. still goes over in '86. Yes, I'm saying so. He's still going over there. Yeah. But I think that's a special deal. Right, because he also worked for Otto in 86, too. Yeah. They're scheduled on the Dream Card on December the 6th for Tokyo during the tag tournament, headlined by Andre versus Bruce Brody, but that won't take place. Bo, imagine that match in 1985. Yeah. That would have drew all around the world. We might have would have had Andre and Maeda a little bit earlier. <laughs> See who's going to sell for who in that match, and uh, who's going. Uh, how's that finish going to go? Oof. I mean, it'd be a screw finish, but man, that would have been interesting to say the least. Because I don't ever remember them wrestling each other in the eighties, and they wrestled each other in the seventies. But I don't ever remember wrestling, wrestling each other in the eighties. I don't either. Unless it was, I mean, maybe in, in nineteen eighty. When Andre would go to Houston and work for Fritz or work for Paul Bosch, you know, like that. But, yeah, that would have been it. So, that would have been a match. 
Speaking of world class, Kevin and Carrie Von Erich are scheduled to wrestle 10 weeks in Japan during 1986. They may appear the last few days of the tag tournament, if not certainly in January. And they do. Which is always a trip. So. <laughs> Something else there. Kevin said he didn't like working in Japan. Um, yeah, I could see that. I could see. He's, I mean, I mean, those guys like to be home. Yeah. He said he wished he would have worked in Mexico more. Yeah, I mean, that fits his style a little bit better, you know? Mm-hmm. Although his uh, habit for knocking guys' teeth out would have fit in better in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ishikawa Professional Industrial Exhibition Hall on October 15th from 2960. We have Shinya Shimoto over Masakatsu Fanaki in your opening match. Young Lions. Hirokazu Hata over Masio Chono. Keiichi Yamada over Naoki Sano in the third match. Oh, I'm sure that was just terrible. <laughs> Shunji Kasugi over Keiji Muto. And then we have Ricky Basan and Sumon Kim, the South Koreans, going over Shiro Koshinaka and Black Cat. Is this Carl! Sumon, well, wait, is Sumon Kim is the Strong Machine 3 or 4? That's one of them. Okay. Uh, Carl Steiner, Bob Del Sera over Don Arakawa. Rambo Sakurada, Kendo Nagasaki, doing a Rambo gimmick, teamed up with the Cobra to beat uh, Bad News Allen and Fishman. Bruiser Brody over Kengo Kamura. And Antonio Noki, Katara Hoshino, and Seiji Sakaguchi over Kong of the Barbarian. Ray Candy, I think Ray, and Candy's doing Super Mario Man here, and Rip Oliver in your main event. Yes, this is the Super Mario Man era, Ray Candy, in, in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. A gimmick based on video games. But he was called Super Mario Man, even though he did not look like Super Mario. He was basically, his gimmick was, he was the colors of Nintendo. It was red and silver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wearing a mask. And so there's that. And, and a big surprise, TVSI beating Nippon TV in the ratings war as the October 18th New Japan TV show beat the October 19th All Japan TV show for 14.5 to 11.6. Wow. about that? And that's at a different time slot, too. Interesting. On a Friday, Friday to Saturday. So, yeah, how about that? Cork and Hall on the 18th in front of 3,000 fans, Biggs. Sure. We have Noki Sano over Shin Hashimoto. Ricky Masana, Sumon Kim over Black Cat and Hiroko Zahata. Dino Arakawa went to a no contest with Fishman. Oof. Well, uh, hand- okay, real quick. What was the deal with Arakawa like, sometimes just randomly being booked as a junior, regular junior heavyweight and not being booked like Don Arakawa? Because he was sh- short. Even though no. he did, was not a good stylistic fit with anyone they were pushing in the junior heavyweight division? Well, neither was Fishman. Hmm. Handicap match, Giant Gustav defeated Katoro Hoshino and Shinji Kasugi. <laughs> what? The, the video. Oh, I was I, I, I sang a bar of Ali Oop. Like the video uh, with Giant Gustav. Oh, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Well, it wouldn't okay. have broken up on the recording, so. <laughs> I right, rip Oliver and Carl Steiner over Keiji Yamana and Keiji Mudo. That's wow. a match. Kengo Kamura, Seisha Gucci, Rabani Zalan, and Super Mario Man, Ray Candy. Bruza Brody of a Rambo Sakurada. Cobra went to no contest with Shiro Koshinaka. 
And that's Toto Inoki beat Kongo the Barbarian in your main event. Now, Jim Crockett pulled the Barbarian earlier from the current tour, which didn't sit too well with the New Japan office. He's got, he needs him back in Crockett land. Got to have all hands on deck, I guess, for, for the Starcade push. I'm guessing this also leads in part to Inoki making the deal with Watts on top of the deal with Fritz. Well, that already happened. Did that already happen? Mm-hmm. I thought yeah, the, the Watts guy started coming got, in early 86. Deal's done, though, with Fritz. We talked about that on the last show. No, no, no. no. I, I mean Watts. Doing the well, Watts deal no, on top of the Fritz. I mean, Crockett, I mean, Crockett had no deal with Anoki uh, anyway. Yeah. And Barbera still goes over there well after this tour. Well, so. yes. it, it, it only, I don't think there's any correlation. Put it that way. Keiji Muto's looking very impressive of late. He's my possible pick for Ricky of the Year. No, wait Not a second. Not if has any say on it. <laughs> wait a second, though. Had Muto been on TV? Uh, yes. Oh, how much? Uh, I don't know. I ain't got to that. I ain't got, got 1985 yet. Because, uh, what? I mean, I know... I know you I mean, the Young I Lions start... finals that airs, but... Yeah, I just started 84. Yamada so. and, uh... Yamada and Kasugi, right? Yeah. Like I said, I just started 84, so I'm, I'm in February 84, so I haven't got to 85 yet, so I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, he was. He was definitely impressive, as we saw in Florida the next year. Absolutely. All right, UWF Japan. Satoru Sayama has retired again. He doesn't have any details at present on this, but he assumes he will next time out. There are no future cards because for this group either. However, there is no word on their wrestlers joining with Giant Baba, who surely doesn't want them as he's got enough t- native talent now, or Inoki, who could use them. However, there are many problems that exist between this group and Inoki. Perhaps Sayama's retirement will alleviate many of them. And it does. <laughs> because they make their New Japan debut on December the 6th. So. Oh, my first birthday. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Sayama retiring, I mean... It was a big deal in many ways, obviously. I mean, it seemed like he was he was the tie that binded uh, there with the Japan UWF. Well, he was the him- big ringleader of the revolt against Inoki's embezzlement and stuff anyway. Yeah, and get him out of there, you know. Was able to thaw those, uh, those uh, wounds there. So, and, and boy, it gave New Japan a big shot in the arm in 86, absolutely. And they needed it. Yes. All right, All Japan Women. Actually, the women's group is creating a television network war in Japan. Fuji Network, which broadcasts the women, has made a smart move, changing the TV time to Saturday at 5.30 p.m., Baba's old time slot. So there you go. Uh, trying to pick up the fans who are in the habit of watching wrestling at that hour. They hear special shows in that time slot. October 12th, again, opposite Baba's final late afternoon show, and October 19th, Unopposed. Uh, starting November 16th, that will become their permanent time slot. Excuse me, November 16th. Uh, the women also had a special show scheduled for October 25th at 8 p.m., directly opposite Anoki's TV show on TVSI. Wow. Talk about getting aggressive here. Matsunaga Brothers. And all straight one was a hot promotion. Very popular at this time. So, because they could get away with doing something like this. It's just, and it's a different, different crowd, too. Well... Yeah, but that's the thing. It's 1985 All Japan Women. It's a completely different audience. Yeah. It's it's mainly a teen tween girl and 
maybe very young adult women audience. Yeah. So. Anyway, I wish we had the ratings numbers to see how they did, but we don't have that. So. All right, Canada. This is uh, pretty much the second second week, third week of the new Stampede. They ran Victoria Pavilion October 18th in Calgary. We have Rick Patterson over Hiro Saito. Tom McGee over Goldie Rogers. Mr. Hito over the Cuban Assassin. Carrie Brown over Shinji Takano. Bruce Hart over Hubert Gallant. And Honky Tonk Wayne Ferris and Ron Starr over Leo Burke and Super Straw Machine in your main event. Uh, Chris, why are you not using the proper name for the team of Honky Tonk Wayne? I'm not in Ron Starr. I don't remember it. Memphis Mafia, brother. Oh, Memphis Mafia. That's right. They were they were the Memphis Mafia. That's right. Um. Okay. How much of this, like late '85, especially the first month or so, stampede have you guys seen? I right, hold on. I tell you what I got. Because uh-huh. those are interesting to me because it's like it's halfway between the old stampede and the new stampede in terms of who's there. You've got... All right, right, I got October 5th uh, TV. I got 12th, 19th, and then the 26th. That's like... um, It's like a clipped up on some of that. Mm -hmm. But I got got the full run of October in some form or fashion. For basically the full run of November, yeah. So I'm, I'm going basically complete all the way through the end of 85. Mm-hmm. Well, no, oh, excuse me. Uh, December se- uh, was it December seventh, and then I don't have yeah December seventh, and then I don't come back until December the twenty eighth. And that's what a mix of stuff for me and from uh, Vern. It's what I got from whatever. So. Okay, um, but you get what I'm saying, like between that you've got Saito Takano and Harada there. That you have, you know, we have the tail end of Honky Tonk Wayne. Hubert Gallant is there, but not for long. It it feels like a cross between, like, 83-84 Stampede and 86-87 Stampede. Yeah, I mean, well, Honky Tonk Wayne lasts a while, Bix. He's, he's in 86. I know, but still, this is towards the end of his long run in the territory. I think he's there for another six months. <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, he's been in the territory a long time. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a transition. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that really blew my mind though, the last time I watched some of that Tom McGee stuff, I don't know if it's that these guys in this territory have a better idea how to carry him, or maybe he was working with some people that helps do train him or what. Tom McGee does not look like incompetent, has never watched pro wrestling Tom McGee in those Stampede matches. Yeah. It's very strange. Because the thing with him is, like, yes, were people capable of getting good matches out of him, and could they have tried to teach him? Yeah, but, like, his big issues that we, you know, had all seen, the fish-out-of-water selling, the dainty-looking offense, just all that stuff. Like, he... He didn't seem like he understood wrestling on any fundamental level, but in this early Stampede stuff, he looks fine. He looks like a perfectly promising, very athletic rookie. Yeah. So, I guess he's not as bad in the Choshu match as he would be later, 
So I wonder if maybe it's the type of way he learned things or whatever, like or how he retained information, I should say, in general when he learned things. I wonder if that time off he takes in 86 to train for a powerlifting, I think, competition for months and months, I wonder if that just made him regress. And at that point, because he's being put into WWF environment and stuff, there's no one really there that's trying to teach him. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's go to Mexico now, and uh, let's go to EMLO. They ran October 18th in Arena Coliseo. We have uh, Gran Niron and Rocco Valente over Los Pegasos, one and two. El Doberman and La Sombra Vamblana over El Savaje and Zorro de Oro. Acertijo and Emilio Chavez Jr. over Buffalo Savaje and Panico. Cachorro Mendoza, El Dorado, and Tony Salazar over Infamero Jr., El Supremo, and Messi Uno, and Mascar Año Dos Mil, Rey de Disco Jr., and Tony Benetto, the future Grand Marcus Jr., over Cien Caras, Herodes, and La Fiera in your main event. And so, Arena Coliseo, not in Mexico. Doberman, very, very good. Uh, I guess you would say journeyman luchador. Probably best known to people who might listen to this for his IWE tours in the early 80s. Yes. Where he's yes. one of the better wrestlers on all those shows. Mm-hmm. That's about where all the footage we got of him was in. And it was... Who was it that they brought into team with him? Was it Carlos Plata? Carlos Plata, yes. Then we have Monterrey. Plaza de Toros Mon- Monumental Monterrey on October 13th. Silver King. Yep. Young Silver King going against Hungaro Galindo. I think this is his rookie year, isn't it? Yes. Shabaka Maravilla and Ruben Juarez against Bluefish and Jungle Negra. Destructo Negro uh, against Valente Fernandez and a Mascara Contra Caballero match. Centurion, Lismark, and Timot Torres against Angel Blanco, Dr. Wagner Sr., and Grand Marcus Sr. And then our main event. Yo De Santo and El Solitario went up against Aristoteles and Lobo Rubio. Yeah, so there you go. The, the original La Ola Blanca there. Ana Blanco Sr., the Wagner Sr., and Grand Marcos Sr. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, UWA, El Torreo, Cuatro Caminos, October 13th, their fifth anniversary show. La Perigosa and La Venus against Chela Salazar and Vicky Carranza. Avispa Negro, Black Man and Kendo against Babyface, Luis Mariscal and Scorpio. Dos Caras and Enrique Berra over MS Uno and Prata Morgan. In the UWH Trios title match, the Bianos, 1, 4, and 5, the champions, went to a blood stoppage against uh, Los Misionarios de la Muerte, Negro Navarro and Signo Tejano. Think about that, folks. There was so much blood in this match, they had to stop the match in Mexico. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember when uh, Viana Tercera and Rambo renewed their feud in IWRG in, I think, 2000 or 2001. And we saw the results online. We were like, oh, my God, those two had a match with a blood stoppage. And I don't know if it quite lived up to our imaginations, but it was certainly not disappointing. Jesus. And in our main event, Connect, Cobarde, and Tamba went up against Los Brazos. Brazos de Oro, Brazos de Plata, and El Brazo. So, Would yeah, Tamba. Uh, 
Tamba El Elefante Volador, or would he be a big yeah. Tamba? Yeah, I think he's still Elefante here in Mexico. Yes. Okay. Jesus, blood stoppage. Mm. All right. Puerto Rico, speaking of blood. The, fr- the first head-to-head confrontation in Puerto, R- in Puerto Rico turned out badly for the World Wrestling Federation. Both groups, the F and WC, ran shows on October 19th, and Hulk and company drew 1,200 fans. They made a mistake of charging $40 ringside in Puerto Rico. Seats that weren't sold, they might add. While WC drew 10,000 fans with a top price of 15 bucks in Bayamon. Let's compare the lineup, shall we? WC and Bayamon October 19th, we had the Inferno against Supermedico, Jose Estrada. Jesse Barr against Mike Graham. Austin Idol over Hercules Hernandez. Kamala against Sweet Brown Sugar Skip Young. Hercules Ayala uh, defended the North American Heavyweight title against Harley Race. Eric Embry uh, went up against Jose Miguel Perez, Miguel Perez Jr.'s dad. North American Tag Titles, Los Invaders, one and uh, three, defending against the Renegade Warriors, Mark and Chris Youngblood. Yeah, Chris Youngblood, who was, I think, 16 at this time, because, of course, Jay had just passed away not too long before this. And then decision match for the vacant Universal Heavyweight title, Carlos Colon over Abdul the Butcher to win the championship. Meanwhile, WF and Sam won, and yes, this is that show, outdoors during the rainstorm. Tony Atlas over Steve Lombardi, Ricky Steamett over Moondog Spot, Winnie Richter retained the women's title over Spider Lady, Killer Bees of Iron Mike Sharp and Barry O, which is our best of WF Volume 16. Hulk Hogan defeated Big John Stubb by count out in the t- title match. That's on the Hulk Still Rules DVD. Corporal Kirshner over Tucker Chun Lee, Tito Satan retained the Intercontinental over Randy Savage, and Pedro Morales. Over the executioner. How I about that? You put this here because of the head to head. Yeah. How about that, Bo? Uh, WC just kicking the shit out of WF. Yeah. Rico. Does Gorilla still own points in no. the Puerto, Puerto Rican office? No, 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 no. That's done. That's done. Okay. Also, Chris, I, I forgot if you mentioned it, but it's not in the notes. Um, Cindy Lauper is in Richter's Corner. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, she's in Richter's Corner. Yeah, that was not in the notes at the time. And that's yeah, she, even though she had not appeared. She Had she appeared since that first Saturday Night's Main event? Uh, Dave actually talks about her in a newsletter, you know, being back involved, but that's because of the wrestling album. Right, because she was involved with some of the writing and production. And let me see real quick what history of WWE has as far as otherwise. But real quick, yeah, I mean, while you do for that, Bo, I mean, yeah, that's a a big victory for WBC in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah. I'm People guessing. don't realize it took, it took them a long time to draw in some places. Puerto Rico, they never drew until like the early 2000s when they teamed up with Carlos. You mean they think they were Sock, here, uh, Victor, not Sock Carlos? Nope, I think it was uh, Carlos. Well, they, they drew with IWA. But those were co-promotions. Yeah, but still. I get what you're saying. It was the WWF names drawing a lot of the time. But all, on their own with just a local promoter, even if it was Carlos as the local promoter, they don't really do anything until, like, what, 2002? Yeah. They, um... They sold out here in the Tri-Cities the first time because you had Hogan and Savage. And then they had a sellout, but heavily papered for a TV. 
uh, in a late 87 or early 88. And then they never came close to selling out again until early 2000s here. Yeah. They showed this show on 24-7 back in the day. Uh, not the whole show, obviously, but some key matches. And uh, No, it is the whole show, I believe. An hour and six minutes? Eight Chris, minutes? Think about how they what they had to rush through. Yeah, I guess. Are you but, seeing the screen share I have without the sound on? Yeah. Okay. I didn't get up to the rain yet, but let's see. Which is on YouTube, but it's the Mystery Titans Theater version. Well, right. That, yeah, and I couldn't find the regular one. Um, also, Gorilla yeah. is your ring announcer and only broadcaster. Yes. Well, of course, he'd be there. It's Puerto Rico. Who brought the ring? Oh, that had to be somebody local. Yeah, that's not a WWF ring. I, it barely looks like a wrestling ring. Yeah. It looks more like a wrestling ring than a boxing ring, but not by much. Yeah. So, right. if you want to check out this wildness, it's online. So, definitely look at that. Okay, here we go. The bear hug is when it starts pouring. Um, actually, let me go back a little so you can see the people getting their umbrellas out. But Yeah, it starts pouring down rain during the hug and stud match. Yes, and of course, the one. The, that because of the Hogan DVD and then the Killer Bees match are the most famous. Yeah, oh, yeah look at that. Is where it's just so it's against uh, who is it? Mike Sharp and Barrio. Yeah, and it tells you how the results here are off because they got that match listed before Hogan and Stud, which obviously is not the case. <laughs> but and Bo, I mean, you've worked outside many times. Um. Have you ever worked in a rainstorm kind of like yes. this? How yes. Hard, how hard is that? Oh, you can't stand up. I mean, it's uh, and uh, one thing that we've always prided ourselves on, and Bobby Fulton always prided himself on to the fairs and festivals. As long as it's not lightning, we will continue to go. And there's been a few over the years to worry. I mean, Pennington Gap, Virginia. Uh, Lee County Fair, uh, early 2000s. They set tents up where the people could get up underneath them, but we were still out in the open. And we were the only event that went on that day at the fair, and we had to fill 90 minutes. And, oh, my gosh, it was so bad. And um, big, uh, not Big Stone, uh, Wise, Virginia, the Tennessee, or not Tennessee, the Kentucky-Virginia District Fair one year there. The grandstand is covered, but the ring was not. It rained so hard, we had a brand-new red canvas on the ring. It rained so hard that it took the dye out of the canvas, and it looked like a pool of blood around the ring where it ran out into the puddles. Um, and by the way, because that reminded me of this too, something we should note with this card here is that on top of everything else, as we see Gorilla's makeshift uh, weatherproof announcing t table, um, that mat they have is not a canvas. It's more of a tarpy-type mat, so it's making everything even worse. Yeah. Rain with a vinyl canvas, because the rain will just sit on top of the vinyl, and it makes puddles. is yep. real bad, and it's so slick. Uh that's what happened in Mexico, Chris, with the Gran Apache and Oscar Sevilla, right? Mm -hmm. Same type of canvas. They, 
they tell the story of uh, Ron and Don Wright against Whitey Caldwell and uh, Les Thatcher in 69 in Chihuahua Park in Knoxville. It was raining so hard, the boys had to turn sideways just to look at their opponents. And they put it on, and the people stayed. That was the main event. They put it on second, so the main event went on. Nobody can ask for a refund. And Tito, it was terrible. Tito and Savage went on in this, too. <laughs> uh, what? Say, why is Virginia the same fair we did? I was talking about with the red canvas many years ago. Gosh, this was almost 30 years ago. Uh, we're there, and we knew storms were coming. And I was reffing. And Buddy Landell was working with somebody, and lightning hit right behind the grandstand. <laughs> and the noise was un oh, it scared us to death. But I looked at Buddy, and his hair had frizzed out from the electricity in the air. <laughs> I mean, his hair was out. He looked like, you know, the science where they touch the ball that makes your hair. That's yes. what he looked like. Yeah, and he yeah. goes, we're out of here, brother. <laughs> we were. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And by the way, Chris, but, your match yeah. times uh, to get an idea of how the show runs so short. 545, 705, 428, 606, 722, 410, 808, 114. Well, there you go. Thanks, Rain. All right. That's it for the first half of the show. It is halftime. So to some great 1985 commercials, we'll come back and we'll plug the Patreon. We'll plug the other things. And we'll talk about this, that, and the other. And then we'll come back with Bo as we go to the territories where we have uh, the debut of Lex Luger in Florida. Excuse me, Lex Lugar in Florida. And Wait a second. Hey, no, if it's his debut, isn't he the Lugar? Well, whatever. It's the, the Lugar, yes. And uh, a wild morning in Memphis featuring Superstar Bill Dundee. All that and more after the break. Uh-huh. First things first. Solgar Vitamin Supplements. You're in good company with Three's Company, weeknights at 7 p.m. You're really going to like this girl. I'm telling you, I mean, she has a great personality, and she's very bright, and she's a lot of fun. Then it's the 4077th MASH. Hey, what kind of a place is this? What do you care? We're open 24 hours a day, and the second cup of coffee is free. <laughs> morphine. No morphine for me. Well, it's certainly not for me. Three's Company at 7 p.m., MASH at 7.30 p.m., weeknights on Channel 5. Did an open marriage on the open road lead a trucking couple to a dead end? Find out on the next session of Divorce Court, Monday at 11 a.m. on Channel 5. It's the Channel 5 Movie Club. Tonight, John Ford's The Searchers, starring John Wayne... Jeffrey Hunter, and Natalie Wood. Hello, I'm Eddie Levin, a member of the Channel 5 Movie Club. Tonight, a special treat for all of us who are fans of giant westerns, fine directors, and the great John Wayne. It is The Searchers, which many critics consider to be the best of all John Ford outdoor westerns. Wayne's co-stars include Jeffrey Hunter, Natalie Wood, Vera Miles, and Ward Bond. 
in a moment with limited commercial interruptions, the searchers. NBO has one of the largest selections of fine full menswear at 30 to 60% less than the department stores. Everything for the well-dressed man from traditional menswear to the latest designer style. All at 30 to 60% less. Everything you want. Knowledgeable salespeople, custom tailoring, enormous selections. NBO. Great clothes, great service, great prices, great stores. Everything. Except shoes. your day starting off okay. This is 102 WPIX. Welcome to the penthouse. The ballads and the beat of New York. 102 WPIX. Welcome to 1986. Your tri-state Dodge dealer wants to thank you for making Dodge the fastest-growing American car and truck division. We intend to keep it that way by bringing you more imported cars and trucks than ever. Three doors, five doors, pickups, four-wheel drives, all imported for Dodge, built by Mitsubishi. And you can lease a Colt for as low as $99.98 a month. Dodge boys have more fun. The tri-state Dodge dealers, we're picking up right where we left off. Governor Tom Kane has launched the most aggressive environmental program. Wait a minute. I'd like to interrupt this Tom Kane commercial to bring you the facts. In four years, the Kane administration hasn't cleaned up one of the 97 worst toxic waste dumps in New Jersey. Not one. Of course, you won't see that fact in Tom Kane's commercials. I'll clean up at least half of those toxic waste dumps by the end of my first term, or I won't run for re-election. That's a guarantee. We can do that, and I say, do it now. The searchers will be shown with limited commercial interruptions. All right, we're back. We've been those great nineteen eighty five commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, which is kind of condensed this week, but here nonetheless. And we'll talk about our Patreon at the beginning, patreon.com slash tween sheets, and we're halfway through the month of October. So that means in a couple of weeks, part two of our twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, little series on the uh, the NWO will come out. Yes, we need we'll to pick... talk to each other about when we're recording. <laughs> so we're going to uh, pick up where we left off at the beginning of August, and we'll go through uh, the end of October and, and where Bischoff uh, joins up with the group and everything starts going in another direction then with all the new additions. So, yeah, was, so we already did... Uh, Memorial Day through the end of July on the first show. So everybody go listen to that if you have listened to it already. And be prepared for the next show. And, of course, we have all the other shows that we've done in our now five full years of our Patreon. So $5 a month gives you access to all of that. And there's a lot of audio there for you, folks. So it's well worth your money. Dollar a month gives you access to the uh, Discord. Thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. I make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already and have a backup choice handy if it is a show that we've done already and or a show that someone else may have picked on the calendar. And we should note, by the way, next week's show is also a Patreon pick, like last week's was. Chase Nakarada requested it, and we will be doing it. We'll talk more about that in the plugs, but yeah, we have a Patreon show next week. 
So, yeah, so you got that. 30-day rule in effect. Make sure you get the information before 30 days. 10-year rule in effect. And follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get all this information in the VIX and we can get it handled. All right. $50 a month allows you to, to uh, sit in for a segment of that show if you choose and 100 for the whole show if you choose at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, we would like to thank, and you did a little bit of a little bit of marketing that seemed to work this week. <laughs> yeah, I tried. That's another story for another day. All right, we'd like to thank Darren Rinaldi. Thanks, Darren. Justin Lathrop. Thanks, Justin. Fabiola Macias. Thanks, Fabiola. The returning Rich Moulton. Thanks, Rich. Craig Dempster. Thanks, Craig. Mr. Psychosis Mask himself, Matthew Hollinger. Thanks, Hollinger. Joe, it's R-O-E-H-M, so I'm assuming that's Rome. Joe Rome. Thanks, Joe. Louis Nelson E-N, which I almost read as Louis Nielsen. <laughs> Thanks, Louis. Troy. See, again, with these names, please just email me if you think I might have difficulty pronouncing it. Uh, Troy, it's either Richard or Shay. Thanks, Troy. Uh, Graham Cameron, who decided to give to pledge six dollars and eighty cents a month. Hey, whatever you know, <laughs> whatever whatever rocks your boat, I guess. Thanks, Graham. Uh, the returning Bix blocked me. <laughs> that could be a bunch of people, but thanks, uh, Bix blocked yeah. me. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Joey Ryan signed up for our Patreon, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, Dalton Thacker, the off-brand version of Dalton Castle, I guess. Thanks, Dalton. I thought you'd be bigger. What? Roadhouse. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Roadhouse in a very long time. <laughs> every time, every time that somebody like met Dalton for the first time, that was a line. I thought you'd be bigger because he had the reputation of you know of his reputation of being the bouncer and beating the shit of everybody and being this badass motherfucker. And then you see this Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Who was not a large man. So, there you go. Alright, we well, thank all you new patrons, old patrons, returning patrons, all the patrons that have come along the way in the five years of our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Alright, of course, uh, plugs. We got uh, IWTV. Everybody knows about that. Uh, you got uh, Viper VPN. TinyWorld.com slash uh, BTS VPN. BTS VPN. So go to there if you want to watch some great stuff on the internet uh, without anybody tracking you, I guess. So there's that. Or, take, then, or uh, show a different country for Geoblock stuff yeah. and all that. Geoblock, absolutely. And then you got uh, the plugs. as uh, The Twitter plug is first. At Chris on the K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. And, of course, we have Between the Sheets. Next week will be 1993 for Jason Nakarado's request. And we will be having the returning Mikey Blanton from Black hey. Level Pro. So we're going to talk about Halloween Havoc 93 and all the wackiness going on surrounding that show. Lots of opinions on that show and from the booking to the wrestling. And, yeah, it's going to be quite the interesting section. It's Dave and Wade are very, uh, very opinionated when it comes to WCW at this time. And then we'll have uh, 
all the stuff going WWF, the Survivor Series heating up, Randy Savage, that Fallout Randy Savage, Rio WWF, and all that stuff is a shoot interview on Hulk Hogan. And we'll have John Arezzi's uh, big show uh, for his uh, convention. I was there. And quite an interesting incident between John Arezzi and Sabu, as told through the Pro Wrestling Torch by both men. So, uh, yeah, lots of interesting uh, information on that one. This That's going to be a deal. Now, one thing I didn't mention at the end of the show when I did the big plug, of course, we record this last. Um, I know that October 26th had a lot going on that day. We will not be talking about Sid and Arn. Why? Because that took place on October 27th in the early morning hours, and we've already covered that on a show, regular show and a Patreon show. So that will not be coming up on this show. Now, we will talk about Oro's death, which does happen on October 26th. But we covered that as well on the show we did starting with the 27th. So we'll touch on it. But again, we talked about it, you know, more in depth on that show since, you know, everything he died in the ring, but all the stuff was coming out after the fact. But yeah, no sin and arm on the, on this show as far as that whole deal in England with the scissors. So yeah, even though, you know, it happened, happened technically in the 26th in the U.S., it was 27th in England. Yeah, it's the type of thing that can get confusing because when he initially did the request, he thought it might have Sid Arn, but he was still fine with it after uh, after we realized that it didn't. Yeah, and the show that we did on that uh, is not currently up on Red Circle as we record this, but we need to get that up. Yes. Show 15 with Kurt Brown, so everybody can listen to that after they listen to the next week's show to get that part. Yes. So it's those that haven't heard it because it's been six years ago basically now so yeah. so yeah so you can listen to us in the early days between the sheets and it's look, i was fun looking at looking at those notes and double check and stuff it is interesting how our notes went from 14 pages for 1993 <laughs> 14 pages to where they are now so what were you ugh. leaving out back then uh i don't know let's put it that way I don't remember, but anyway. Well, okay, uh, well, there, there's one thing that might artificially be lengthening them a little, is that usually now you're copying results from Cage Match instead of from the Observer, and I those think, are formatted with fact, more line breaks. One thing I did notice, though, is one thing I did notice is I would, like, uh, go succinct with Dave and Wade, and I would like instead of copy and pasting, I would just do my own editing. So <laughs> I think that was a lot of it too. <laughs> well, that also took a lot of extra time. <laughs> to yeah, it to did. Do it That's why I quit doing it. So anyway, and I felt I lost. I was losing the true essence of everything. So all right, but anyway. Uh, so that's next week in between the sheets. Um, no other podcasts in the offing right now. So there's that. But Bix at David Bix on Twitter. Uh, has something from uh, Mel Magazine in the works, finally. So, yes, yeah, it's the same thing I, yeah, same thing I talked about before. I mean, basically what's been happening is, even though they restarted the first week of August with the new ownership, there's been a lot of, like, because Josh Schallmeyers, who's the founder, and I think technically editor-in-chief, but is also 
other deeper management is still the one who had been editing my articles, and he had to travel a lot and stuff, and blah, 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 blah. And so finally he said he should be finishing up this article I have coming over the weekend um, for it to run, well, Tuesday. So now the day after this comes out. So if he gives me a specific day, I don't think there's ever been a time he gave me a specific day and it didn't come out. You know, it's normally just if we got held up in the middle of the process. So I'm happy to plug it here again. I'm trying, I mean, you know what this is because I've told you, I'm trying to figure out if I should say what it is. Um, I guess just wait. Yeah, it's not, it's not like breaking news, but it's some very interesting history that nobody knew about. Of a major uh-huh. historical figure in professional wrestling. Um, and someone who, though controversial, is absolutely the victim in this situation, is all I will say. But it's very interesting. So that's something that people will get to read, presumably on Tuesday, at melmagazine.com. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's go now uh, to the territories as we head back to the United States. And begin with championship wrestling from Florida. Blackjack Mulligan's returned here as well. Mulligan appeared on one WS show last month, then walked out again on them. This guy's trying to break all the records for walking out of promotions. He said on TV interviews his family is soon to be reunited. This past week, Barry Wyndham has missed all his scheduled days for WF. You can draw your own conclusion. Only one thing puzzles Dave. Why would Wyndham, or for that matter Mulligan, leave the WF? There's one speculation that Mulligan's planning on promoting Florida himself soon, using his sons as the big stars. Which, that doesn't happen. But, um... It is interesting, though, because we get the Wyndham family, well, Kendall was already there, Blackjack's coming back in, Barry's coming back in, and you're thinking, well, if this is all this is going on, this must be setting up something for maybe Blackjack to get the book or whatever... No, Wahoo book is booking this whole time, in this yeah. point until he leaves, basically. Yeah. Um, so, who knows why? I guess they just wanted to be back in Florida. I don't know. They wanted to go home. Mulligan booked two places and failed miserably. Yeah, he was not a success. Amarillo, Knoxville, and. By the time that he turned Knoxville over to Kevin Sullivan to book, it was too late. That was the, of course, folks, that was the Ric Flair, Blackjack, Jim Crockett uh, promotion that lasted a few months. Yeah. In 81, 82. And they killed Amarillo in 80. Yes, they did. Uh, Him and uh, Dick Murdoch in 79, not 80. Was it 79? Yeah, who would ever think Murdoch would be an office guy and a promoter? And a, you, know, you just, <laughs> yeah. you know what? what you the, Murdoch was working all those towns. He was doing. Yeah, I mean, he was. He was doing the best he could. I think. Yeah, but but he just he's not a business guy. He's no. not going to. You know, what do you want us to do, Dicky? Ah, oh, hell, whatever you want to do. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was told a story about some guys that had came back from Dothan to Knoxville when Flair and Mulligan had it. Was it Chihaui Park? And they were looking out the 
building there that you dress in at Chihaui Park into the amphitheater. And they thought, man, this is really bad. And one of them said, well, I think we still got an hour to bell time. And the bell rung to start the matches <laughs> for the night. <laughs> and they went back in to find out what they were doing. And nobody ever came and gave them instructions. <laughs> so they just went out and did whatever they wanted to do. Oh, man. Hilarious. Barry's talked about this picks on shoot interviews, you know, and, and we'll have more on Barry and WF later in WF section. But I mean, I guess the, because his brother's there and his dad's there, I guess that's the main reason why he, he went more than anything else, you know, to be back with his family. On top of the schedule and homesickness and everything else, because it's 1985 WWF. Yeah, it, as, it's, you know. it's not. It's not really homesickness because you got to realize he was a second generation guy that has grew up with his dad moving territories. So mm-hmm. it's just that schedule. It's that schedule that just kills them. Yeah, and, and being cold in the Northeast, you know, you're a guy that's grew up most of your life in the South. You know, that can be kind of yeah tiring, tiring so to speak. Hell, I got the best of Jack Briscoe for God's sakes. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Kevin Sullivan's latest attack on a woman took place at the October 16th taping in Tampa. As he, along with Bob Roop, attacked Lady Maxine, who was in Wilhelm Dan's corner, as he wrestled Snake Brown, the legend Snake Brown. Sullivan smashed her head into a turnbuckle, then punched her. I mean, it's basically what it is. You know, we're not gonna, we're not going to play that clip. Because it just basically is what it is. But uh, speaking of Lady Maxine, though. Mama Pringle has sent Peggy Lee Pringle to Florida to take care of Lady Maxine for her brother, Percy. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Is Lady Maxine going to get the win back at the hotel room later? <laughs> no, I don't think she's, uh, she cares too much for that. Okay. Uh, Lady Maxine to join me here at the desk because I want her to see this as uh, well as all of you to see it. Uh, I have not uh, discussed with Lady Maxine anything about this, but you know perfectly well that you have embarrassed Percy Pringle pretty badly. Well, it was his decision to get in the ring. I could only do what I did. Well, yeah, I certainly can't argue that. Percy Pringle has got some other ideas, though. He thinks he has a way of getting back to you. Right now, we're going to take a look at what happened when I met him at ringside. Percy Pringle is a man who never ceases to amaze me uh, with the information that he comes up with. And, uh, well, right now, he's got an announcement to make that uh, has me floored. You know, there's very few people who knows anything about Percy Pringle or knows anything about the Pringle family, Gordon Soto, because you asked him questions for all these months that I've been here, and I've never answered any of them. They want to know, Percy, I want to know about your mama and your daddy and about your family. I want you to meet a very important part of my family, and that's Peggy Lee, my sister Peggy Lee. Mama sent her down here for one reason, and one reason only, Lady Maxine, and that's for you. Tell them, sis. And Lady Maxine, I'm here to take care of you, and baby, you better watch out, because you've hurt my brother as far as, you know, saying he can't do this and he can't do that, but I'm going to take up your light work. I'm going to smash you, girl. You're going to get out of here. You won't ever come back to Tampa. It's not big enough. No part of Florida. Isn't that right, brother? Can't you see the family resemblance? Lady Maxine, you'll never forget the name of Pringle, and you too, Soli. Well, as I said before, this man never ceases to amaze me, but uh, Lady Maxine hey, has got some troubles coming. 
All right, Lady Maxine, you've heard it. That's a tough-looking lady. I don't know. I, I think uh, we're starting with a weak gene pool to begin with, uh, with the Pringles. And if we, if, uh, what's her name, Pe Peggy or something Peggy like that? Peggy Pringle, yeah. Well, you know, they've been giving me people like uh, Brenda Britton and Percy Pringle. It's about time they have a woman come out here and wrestle me. But uh, like I say, I don't know if she's going to be able to do much because she's starting with a with a half a deck anyway, with Pringle as her brother. Okay. All right. I just wanted to get your reaction to that, Lady Maxine. And right now we've got another match. Let's go to the ring. Lady Maxine had the look, but her promo skills definitely were not there yet at this point in time. Uh, That's the problem with using with the, her as a baby face, I think. And with the yeah. Pringles there, was there ever more of a Southern Alabama and Georgia accent <laughs> between those two? <laughs> yes, they are Southern. That's indeed. They true. They're Southern. <laughs> but you know what that reminds me of, though? Remember the first season? Well, no, 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 not Dark Side of the Ring. Excuse me. When Nigel Sherrod was doing those videos to try to uncancel Fabulous Mueller or whatever the hell was do he was doing, and yeah. he he did one with Peggy Lee Leather, and was asking her to, I don't know if he was asking her to rebut things or something, but he brought up I think the Sweet Georgia Brown thing, or someone else who had passed away. Um, maybe Luna and Peggy Lee's response, seemingly confused and not realizing these were not recent comments, or excuse me, not realizing they were not recent comments, replied, but she's dead. She turned <laughs> dead into a two to three syllable word. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens in a South Fix. I mean, it's just the way it is. <laughs> dead. Yeah, Day, uh, I guess it's two. Yes. We drag those. We drag. We drag the word sometimes, especially the women. Yeah. Especially the ladies, got back to back those... vowels too. Yeah, and and people like me and Chris can pick apart what part of what state you're from just with your accent. There's so many different <laughs> accents from here. Yeah, Peggy has a Georgia and South Carolina accent because she spent so much time in both places. Mm -hmm. Tennessee, you know, you you can pick out Tennessee, you can pick out Kentucky, yeah. Bam. And, and my the accent here in East Tennessee is different than the rest of the state because we're not only Southerners, we're Appalachians. <laughs> mountain. So we have we have mountain, uh, uh, yeah. So and you get into West Virginia, how they pronounce the O's and U's, you can tell if they live north or south of Highway 19. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. All right. Uh, but there's another debut on this show that's way more important. Percy Pringle had been promising some muscle for his, uh, his little group, and he got in a big way. That's, let's go to Percy Pringle and the Lugar. Well, they're going for a very obvious uh, uh, evocation of Hulk Hogan here. Yes, he's wearing a yellow and red T-shirt. Yellow p shirt with Puma, uh, Puma logo red. on red. Yes. Hmm, interesting. And this, 
And by this point, we have the action figure and stuff. He isn't doing it 100% of the time yet, but those are his colors. Uh, mainly, yes. It's main, the main one this time. And it beca- and it's really this time where it becomes solidified because of all the licensing and stuff. Correct. Well, I'll tell you what. Yes, he is here today, and we're going to, first of all, take a look at uh, part of the training regimen that uh, this man Luger goes through with Rick Rude, and, uh, uh, of course, all of it uh, masterminded, if you will, by Percy Pringle. Let's go now to the Athlete Fitness Center. Uh, thanks to Rick and Debbie Poston for giving us the camera time there, and let's take a look at uh, the Luger. Yes, Mr. Soley, one of the biggest questions that I'm asked is, how do my men train? Just what do my men do to prepare for their battles in the ring? And usually I like to keep this kind of quiet, you know. I feel that, you know, you're invading in our private life. It's none of your business Holy of what shit, we do outside the ring. Here. But I've had so many inquiries, so many questions, I decided to let the cameras come in. And what a better place for my men to train than the gym of Central Florida. That's the Athletes Fitness Center here in Tampa. So I want you to put the camera on my men and just sit back and watch out what a real athlete does when he works out. Watch. Body work. Why is Michael Watts breakdancing in the background that he looks longer than him? Yeah, they, were, they were watching everybody's TV. Oh, yeah. is doing um oh, what's the name is it is it just leg curls is that the name of the machine and percy is standing on the weight plates as they go yes. up and down so i'm guessing i don't know what weight they have it on but it's a good visual Percy's head just went into the ceiling. Yes, it did. Like a um office ceiling with the panels and it went a, through and you could see this, Yes, and you could see the ceiling dust coming down. Yeah. That's tremendous. That is most impressive. Now, let me ask you a question, Mr. Pringle. I've done a little checking around. And, uh, first of all, I happen to know that this man was uh, for more than seven years in the NFL. Now, where'd you learn all this? <laughs> he also squat lifts over 800 pounds. Uh, he has been a bench press champion. He's also wrestled for years around the United States. And yet, for what? some reason, you're not letting him wrestle. Why not? There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to snatch it up. And there will be a time for Luger, and when the time is right, <laughs> you'll know, Gordon You know what? We're going to be in Daytona the 25th. Yeah. It just might be in Daytona. I haven't decided yet. I've talked to some of the championship wrestling from Florida officials. It might be in Daytona. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'll 
guarantee yeah. you the time will be right, though. No doubt about it. Any comments from you, Lugo? He don't need to say anything. But I got to comment, though. Gordon Soley. I got some business to take care of. There's been people stepping on my toes. And we're talking about an Indian strap match in Lakeland. Let me ask you something. Bring this camera in here, Doof. Close. Let me tell you something, Gordon. Would you want to be rude. strapped to a ravishing Rick Rude that's awful? Teed off. No, thank you. Lakeland. We'll see. Thank you, sir. The dynasty's on the road, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. There's no oh, question about that. We'll be right back. That's right. The beautiful... I love the uh, bumper music choice on Florida shows in this era. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. What uh, What hard rock song is that? I know the song. I just can't place it. But anyway, uh, God Almighty. Luger was, uh, I mean, as Gordon says here, I mean, a very impressive looking individual at this point in time. There wasn't many that looked like him. Well, it was at the forefront of his list of Galakids. Yes. He Gordon, has the most gigantic Gordon traps I've the, ever seen. Go ahead. Gordon got days and years mixed up there in that first statement. <laughs> uh, it's just you, you know how that is, Bo. I mean, you got your, you yeah. got it. Well, you know what and... though? With the well, like, like but the Bo doesn't know. mean the football thing though. I think he means the wrestling part. No, I meant the football. He said seven years in the NFL. Oh, so he yeah. did make a training camp or something? Yeah. Oh, he never Bills, played right? in regular season. He never played regular season. But he made a training yeah, camp never roster, played regular right? season. Yeah. A, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, they, they used to talk that shit about Paul Orndorff. You know, Paul Orndorff never played a regular season game with the Saints, but they would always say former New Orleans New Saints. Jim Neidhart. Jim Neidhart never played a regular season game with the Cowboys or the Raiders. He played, they, these guys played in the preseason or went to camp or something like that. So they were technically part of there but they never were on the active roster during the regular season didn't luger play in the usfl though he did play in usfl absolutely yeah just, that wasn't even re- mentioned re- yeah yeah recent well that i think that because they give it away um recently i was watching a game where luger was offensive guard for the um i forget which team he played for and his uh, matchup that night, Rod Simmons, a <laughs> defensive tackle for Tampa Bay. So yeah, Luger and Ron Simmons going against each other all game long during that game. Oh, wow. Okay, Chris, I just pulled up Luger on Pro Football Archives. They don't even have yeah. him on a training camp team. Larry Fole. Yeah, they only have him playing well, in the CFL they- and the USFL. Yeah, I mean, they usually don't do training camps. Well, though. okay, so if I, I mean, look up Neidhart, will he be on there? Probably not, no. Let's see. Because um, Larry, Larry Fole was a member of the Green Bay Packers in the tra- in 1983 training camp. There's pictures yeah. of him from the camp. Have you ever seen the picture, Bix? I don't think so, but I would think this type of site I would expect to to list Hold training on. camp rosters, so. No, 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 they don't. Okay. They only they only list uh, people that played in the season. There you go. Okay, I just saw that photo too. Look at look at look at little Larry Fall there with his Nate Webb haircut. <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, how, go ahead, bud. How old was he when he broke into the wrestling? 
he was in his twenties. June fifteenth, so he's twenty-seven. He's twenty-seven here. Looks great, though. Yeah, looks fantastic. And also, he—I mean, he did one. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, he did play pro football for close to seven years, just not in the NFL. Yeah, he played Canada and USFL. He did play. Yeah, he was on the Alouettes for three years. Yeah, he. I mean, he did play football, absolutely, but just not NFL. Yeah, right. So it is what it is. So it's it's less of an exaggeration than it sounds like on the surface, because I don't think I realized his football career was that long. Well, the the biggest bullshit of all was him wrestling for years. Well, okay, so that's that's the part I didn't get. Why? But that that's that that they're they're selling they're selling the bullshit. You know, but I don't think I don't think it works for what you're trying to present him as, though. Their story is is there that that he's that Percy is is holding him back, even though he's a known wrestler. Okay, that's what the story is. All right, enough. All right, let's go to the results. Orlando, thir- on October 13th, we have Coco Samoa over Cuban assassin Dave Sierra. Frank Lang, Frankie DeThorne Lancaster, going to a draw with Prince Ikea, Abadouba Damien. Tyree Pride over Jack Hart. Billy Jack Haynes over Playboy Buddy Rose. Wahoo, retained the Southern title over Rick Rude. And Blackjack and Kendall over Maya Singh, Bob Roop, and Kevin Sullivan. Tampa, on the 15th, Frank Lang over The Invader, not Jose Gonzalez. Hector Guerrero went to a draw with Prince Ikea. Carlos Colon, but still not he- uh, Jose Gonzalez as the invader. Carlos Colon and Tyree Pride, what a team that is, over Cuban assassin and Jack Hart, Barry Horowitz. Billy Jack Haynes over Buddy Rose by DQ, while he retained the Southern Top Rick Rude, and Blackjack and Kendall over Miami and Kevin Sullivan. And then we shoot to Miami on October 16th. Cuban assassin over Frank Lang, Hector over Prince Ikea, Buddy Rose over Mike Graham, subbing for Billy Jack Haynes. Carlos Colon, Tyree Pride, and Kendall Wyndham over Jack Hart, Maya Singh, and Kevin Sullivan in an elimination match. Lady Maxine over Percy Pringle, and Wahoo retained the Southern title over Rick Rude. So, yeah, we guess Carlos here making some of his rare shots in Florida. Must have been doing some business or something. I would think so. Or, yeah. give, or giving Tyree Pride some rub. One of the two. But, yeah, there you go. All right, here's the interesting thing. Rumor has it that Crockett will take over this area before 1986 is very old. Well, <laughs> it's a year early. <laughs> Maybe it was but, a typo. Uh, I don't think I don't think they're predicting that far in the future. But uh, that's a thing that you would see in the newsletters in this era. And we talked about this, Bo. Is like Dusty's going to go back to Florida. Dusty's going to go back to Florida, and. Those are in there for most of the early part of 85 until Crockett starts getting hot, and that's like shut down then. Because yeah. Crockett, Crockett had hard, some hard times, no pun intended, in the early run of Dusty's booking. But he got it red hot and got it doing big business, and he didn't need that Florida but attorney. He wasn't going. I mean, when he left, he left for good, and Crockett knew it was going to take time to rebuild that territory. Because it had been hot for so long, and then it just, after Starcade 83, where do we go? We've got yeah. to rebuild. Yeah. So, yeah, we mentioned it took over 1986, but didn't happen. 87. I mean, real quick, I, I do want to ask, you know, something on that topic that's relevant since we talked about it two weeks ago. 
But what do you make of the whole Barry Windham thing about how low the payoffs were when he quit in 84? Um, they were low, but I don't think they were as low as he said. That's kind of where I am with it. That Were they uh, probably unusually low payoffs where he pushed Wrestler and Crockett promotions? Yes. I just can't see it being the numbers he's given. But also, was he taking draws every night? Was yeah. that figure after he had taken his $75 draw every night? Yeah. Because he claims yeah. what? Uh, like $200 or something? Something like that, yeah. So if he was taking a draw seven nights a week, that comes out of your check. So he's taking mm-hmm. a $75 draw every night thinking I'm in the best NWA territory in the country. Obviously, this isn't a big deal. And then all yeah. of a sudden, the, you know, 500 bucks or whatever that's not in his check feels like a lot more than it would have otherwise. Right. Yeah. Possibly. All right. IWA in Florida. Yes, the uh, outlaw group at this time in Florida, they ran uh, Ocala, the High Life Fronton, on October 17th. We have Ox Baker and Dr. Red Roberts against Billy Mack and Mark Starr. Vern Henderson against Crazy Luke Graham. Terry Orndor, who disappeared from the face of the earth for a few years and comes back here, against Tommy Graham. No idea who this Graham is. Then we have this match. Chick Donovan against Chris Champion in a no DQ, no time limit match. U.S. Women's Tag Titles, Beverly Shade and Tracy Richards defending against Athena and Velvet McIntyre. And then your main event, the All-South Tag Titles, just Ann Gunkel's All-South Tag Titles, Doug Summers and Randy Rose, the champions, defending against Bugsy McGraw and Tiger Conway Jr. Who, who ran this group? Oh, man. Um, there's a couple of their TVs on YouTube. Might it be Florida? Yeah. In 85? Yeah. Are you thinking about global in 87? Uh, maybe it was global, but I was thinking. It's global. Thinking, and I've seen some of their ads on the newspaper gimmick. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of newspaper ads for the IWA stuff. Yes. Yeah. But it just, it never lists a promoter. Um, Beverly Shade was a promoter. Um, because I remember reading an article saying that she was uh, she was a spot show promoter, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know of who the main promoter was. I don't know. And Velvet being here, I feel like is kind of interesting because Mula worked IWA a lot. Well, I was going to mention that. Yeah, that this was like yeah. the main place she did her weird out of the WWF t- title defenses, but. I mean, Velvet's just a few months removed from being one half of the tag team champions, right? Yeah. Yeah, Mula defended the WF women's title in IWA. Yep. After she beat Wendy, was she, was she a spiral lady? She would defend in IWA shows. Isn't that more and they were after Mania? See, I had figured that was more like after Mania 2 no. when the women kind of no, disappear no, no, for a no, while. No, 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 no. IWA's dead by then. Yeah. Huh. Oh, no. no. So I'm curious what would be the most recent 
Well, wait, what am I talking Well, Moolah obviously is in more actively in WWF at this time, but I wonder what v- Velvet's last WWF booking was before those. I don't know, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, basically, Bo, what they did was they piggied off of Van Gonkel because they would they used the, Mr. Wrestling Tomb would come down there. They would use some of her guys as Doug and Randy's here defending the tag titles. And, yeah, they would piggyback off them using some of these other guys, the local guys. And I'm pretty sure Dr. Red Roberts had a hand in, uh, in stuff, too. Yeah. He was probably involved in the... Promoting Doctor Michael Bannon. That cannot be. Okay, I start to say that could not be the Red Roberts of the sixties. No, no. Oh no, no, no. This is a guy who's a legit psychiatrist. Yes. Yeah, he was uh, one of the global stuff. Yes. Um. Okay, I just checked real quick. Velvet had done a swing through the WWF in September, and then she worked the Australian tour in November. Obviously, I mean, WWF obviously doesn't care. No, and I know, but I'm just probably, saying it's interesting. And, and, and this group's running opposition to the NWA, so they definitely really don't care. Exactly. You know? All right. Um, Continental. October 14th at Batwall Tour in front of 4,500 fans. Roy Lee Welch over the Terminator. Who was Bo? Who would have been Terminator? Know. So you really don't know this one. Okay. No, that's one of the mask guys that we've not been able to figure out. Ricky Gibson over Bill Ash. Robert Full over Bob Maine. Not Bobby Jackers. So it was Bob Maine. Any idea on that one? He was one of Mike one of Mike Jackson's guys. Okay. And then Norval also made the street by DQ. Brad Armstrong going to a draw with Jimmy Golden. Flame going to knock no contest with Roberto Soto. Nightmares over the riches and a cut your whip batch. And then a steel cage match. The Bullet gets his revenge on the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller, where Bullet used a figure four, had it for a long time, so Fuller is now out injured as uh, repercussions for Bullet Bob's injuries in the infamous Robert Fuller turn from the and last that, I show we did. Yeah. And the uh, their country whipping match was different than the one in Dallas. Uh, in continental southeastern, if you lost, you were handcuffed in the corner and lashed with the belt ten times. And they milk it, they whip Tommy, and they get up to they keep trading the belt back and forth and get up to like number eight, and then they just waylay him and just beat the poop out of him. Uh, after they dump Johnny out, and then Johnny comes back in, chases them off, and then they set up for the rematches in all the towns. And uh, the reason why we don't have, we're not playing clips from this is it's not online. So one of those continental shows. I have not, yeah. Bo has it, but it's not online. So yeah, that's why we don't have the clips of the show, but, uh, wait, how is it not right, online though? Most of the shows we have from 85, they're online or Bo's. It's not online, Bix. I don't have it in my collection either. That's one of the weeks I don't have. <laughs> yeah did you find it after you did the set Bo? no it's in the set King okay, of that's really weird, it's huh. not part of the set that we had when we did the, the when we uh, had all the 80s project stuff okay yeah cause I looked I, I looked and uh yeah I don't have it I think mine is off of mobile TV 
I would have to go and look. I've not had time. I meant to do that before we recorded, but I've not had the yeah. opportunity. But I yeah, think ben. it's off. Of, I think mine's off a of mobile. Yeah, Ben doesn't have it up on his channel. So, yeah, that's one of, one of the ones we don't have online. So, wait, I just realized something because as I was closing the tab where I had the WWF results open, Peggy Patterson's Peggy Lee Leather, right? Or is that a different wrestler? Peggy Patterson was different than Peggy Lee. Okay, yes. I couldn't remember because I feel like I had heard that before. And if it was her, I thought would have thought it was funny that one was on the Florida, I mean, championship wrestling from Florida, and the other was on the opposition. But obviously, it's not the same person. Yeah, I'm looking at my Continental now. Uh, I have 10, 12, 10, 26, uh, 11, 9, 11, 16. I don't have, I don't have 11, 2. So yeah, those are some of the gaps that's in my uh, my collection. So there you go. But talk about the angle, all right? This is the big payback, Bo. So um, talk about how that how that went over. Oh, it was. You thought he got even, and that was the end of it. But then Ron just starts managing. He goes. Which, he goes back to managing the stud stable. Yeah. Um, and you know they they did. And they did a deal uh, right before this where he got Jimmy Golden and you thought Jimmy was gone. And Jimmy stays away to, I think, January. And then he shows back up and Dothan comes out of the crowd and gets Bullet and Brad. Uh, it just They were on fire at this point. I mean, yeah, because basically, basically Robert was by himself because that's yeah. when he gets the TV championship. Yeah. And... Uh, He's got Boomer H. Lynch with him, and Jerry Stubbs gets sent out. Uh, and yeah, no Stubbs, early, yeah, early 86, you get Stubbs wrestling too. Yeah. You know, you know, every time that they thought, okay, he's he's got even, somebody came back or they were somebody new. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they just were, was great booking in the fall of 85 and early 86. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just man, it was just so good. Yeah. And the nightmares and the riches are kind of in the shadow of the Armstrongs and uh, the uh, stud stable, but it could have carried the territory on its own too. It was so Basically. hot. Yeah, I mean they did everything. Everything. Uh, th- uh, yeah, they had every kind of a match. Texas death match, tar and feather match, hair match, chicken suit match, trap match, street fights. And if you've never seen the street fights with the nightmares and Tommy and Johnny, oh my gosh. Yeah. And and, and just the fight in, on the stage in, in uh, the Boutwell. Oh God, yeah. Where they take the bumps off the stage. Yeah. You know, that, that, that stuff was, I mean, you thought, Somebody's going to die in this deal here. Because, I mean, they just, it was so believable. Mm-hmm. And when the riches started bleeding, people lost their minds. Oh, yeah, it was a fantastic view. Absolutely. All right, let's go to Memphis. Big things happening here. October 14th at Mid-Stuff Coliseum. Tojo Yamoto over Ken Timms. The mass superstar. No, not Bill Eady. Jerry Stubbs. Over Billy Travis. Scott and Steve Armstrong went to a draw with the Heavenly Bodies, Dr. Tom Pritchard and Pat Rose. 
Phil Hickerson over Bota, the witch doctor. Harley Race retained the Mid-America Heavyweight title being Coco Ware by Countout. Fabs over uh, the Sheep Herders. Jonathan Boyd was actually, yeah, Jonathan Boyd and Rip Morgan. Strap on a pole match. And then our main event, Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler over the Mongolian Stomper and Taurus Bulba. Now, the Armstrongs are here to get revenge on Pritchard and Rose for injuring their father, Bob, who came in for the angle. Yeah, I always thought that was an interesting deal, though, that Bob pops in in Memphis for this real short deal, and you know Scott and Stevie come in and have a little deal with Pritchard and Rose, and they go back to the Continental again. Um, uh, we're getting ready to get to why they went back to Continental. Um, he had one match in Jackson with... Tom and Pat jumped in, or maybe with Pat and Tom jumped in, whatever it was, they beat him up, hung him. Then they did the interview talking about his face injury from a year before with Steve and Scott were coming to get even. And But here's the deal. At this point in time in Columbus and some other places, Memphis and Continental TV overlapped. Mm-hmm. So he's put out and hurt as the bullet in Continental. They see that angle where he's carried out. Now he's carried out in Tennessee. Uh, Scott and Steve were carried out. Uh, Scotty was carried out in Pensacola and Steve in Birmingham. They're injured. That's why they're not wrestling in Alabama. But here they are on Memphis TV that's showing in some of the same cities. This is when syndication TV started messing with everybody. Yeah, people started getting outside of their uh, comfort zones. It, I mean, this is what it, it, it was screwing up the, the, ter- the territory's plans. I mean, when you're trying to share talent like that, you know? This is uh, Stubbs last week in uh, Memphis. And You'll be able to hear the whole story on my Patreon, patreon.com slash King of King Sport, as we go through Bill Dundee's career. And it may not be the, this part, it might be in the one next month, but we talk about this angle with him and Jerry Stubbs because Dundee really wanted to work with Stubbs and he got him to come to Memphis so they could fight over the superstar name and be Dundee's return as a babyface. And, and we, he disappears. This is his last week. He goes home. And uh, we get right after we did the DVD, me and Dundee went somewhere and Stubbs was there. I think it was one of the Ted Allen memorials. So we both walked right to him. Jerry, why did you leave Tennessee? Without hesitation, looking right at us, a $288 check. <laughs> for a whole week for a week yes now again i don't know if that's after draws which the draw in tennessee was less than what it was in crockett uh or if that was without draws we didn't know we just started laughing and walked away <laughs> he remembered the dollar amount all these years later <laughs> what it was <laughs> so that's how you know <laughs> That's how you know exactly that's what the truth is, because he remembered the exact dollar. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he called Fuller and said, I'm coming home. All right. Well, 
Let's go to the October 19th television, shall we? Bill Dundee uh, got a little excited on these TV tape, this TV tape in here. So let's go. Let's go from the top as the Fabs come out to talk to Lance Russell, and uh, right before this, Bill and Jerry was out there doing an interview, and they showed clips of the uh, match with Stomper and Bulba, and Dundee was hyped up. He was he was this- in. A, in a, rare way on that one this this is because Stubbs left bill was they were not going to turn bill back heel this fast um and so he would have got his check in either louisville or evansville that week and he didn't make any more towns so they knew he ain't coming they got the tv and this is what they went with wow so we can thank jerry Stubbs for all this then <laughs> yeah that's crazy all right, so let's go to the clip, shall we? Lance and the Fabs, and we're off to the races. Wrestling uh, right up there in high cotton, so we brought him out here. One of the great tag teams of all time, Jerry the King Lawler and Bill Superstar. Okay, the greatest. Now, to quote a friend of mine, I guess you could call him a friend of mine. Remember, handsome Jimmy used to say, Woo, I feel good today, remember? Well, I feel good today, and I'm going to do a little, I guess you could call it bragging, because, okay, if you all tuned in a couple of weeks ago, somebody said to me, You're going to wrestle Jerry Lawler. I said, Yeah, I'm going to wrestle Jerry Lawler, because he wants to be the world's champion, and I want to be the world's champion. We're going to have a little match to decide who's going to wrestle the world's champion, see? So then, some clown runs in, jumps in, makes Jerry mad, makes me mad. So we get up and we fight them. So we become a tag team. And let me tell you, folks, for years, we was the best tag team around here. We done whooped them all, brother. And if they lined them up now, we could do it again. If you took the Road Warriors, Jerry and I could whoop them. If you took the Freebirds, Jerry and I could whoop them. If you took the Rock and Roll Express, Jerry and I could whoop them. We whooped Joel Duke, Jean-Louis, the Valiant Brothers. We done whooped them all. We could beat the Fabulous Ones. We could beat the Sheep Herders. We could whoop everybody, brother. Now, I know some people say, well, he's bragging today. He's all fired up. Yeah, but if you've got something good, you tell the peoples, brother. The king and the superstar were near on, Jack. They're the best there is. And that's all I got to say. Well, right now, we're going to take a look at just how good they are when they're going against Taurus Bulba and the Stomper. And this is... Well, I guess we had this after all. Oh, what? Nate, the superstar, Bill Dundee on the top rope, all the way down. Did you want this? Yeah, I forgot. I forgot I'll leave with this. Yeah. And as Bulba was going to catch him with that elbow, Bill grabbed the rope, whirled around. Here's the tag. Lawler hits the ring. Now, I, done, I forgot about them two goofs. We beat the Stomper and Bulba, just like I said we'd last week. Stop and I'm me. telling you, brother, well, I'm bragging for him and bragging for me. It don't make no never mind. When we're together, we're the best there is, and we're going to whip them out. 
Enthusiastic oh, yeah. partner. You let me those. talk to <laughs> Yeah, okay, Jerry. Well, all I can say, you know, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I think Bill's just about said it all. But uh, he's a little confident. He's a little cocky. But that's the kind of partner you need when you're in a tag team situation, especially against guys like uh, Bulba and the Stomper there. And, uh, you know, this is the hotbed for tag team wrestling. Yeah, I told Bill before, you know, he came in here. Uh, it's no secret. I know that I'm not the only one that wants to be the world heavyweight champion. Uh, you know, Bill would like to be it, too. Uh, we had our match before. Uh, I hope that's uh, in the past, and now uh, we'll go on to bigger and better things as a tag team. Right, Gully, I'll tell you what, we're glad to hey, see you. Back. Play that tape again, Lester. Let's <laughs> <go first. laughs> okay. Bill Dundee, Jerry the King Lawler, and I'll tell you what, thing. If confidence will get it, there is uh, there's a guy who can flat build it up on confidence because Dundee has got it all. He's ready to whoop the whole world. I think he wants all of them in there at one time. Well, here's a couple of people who were mentioned in the match as a matter of... All right. We're bring all right, so now let's go to the next clip. Now, this is going to be the fabulous. What, what, what a uh, impressive-looking team Boba and Stomper was. <laughs> They looked like killers. Yeah? Yeah? Odd seeing Stomper in this run here. Uh, I mean... Yeah. It didn't and last Ernesto. long. Yeah, he's part of Ernesto's crew. It didn't last long, but, I mean, yeah, he's he's here for a little cup of coffee. Yeah, but he hadn't been in Memphis in years. Yeah, a long time. 79. Yeah, 79 was the last time he was there, so it was six years. All right, well, let's go to the fast now. As now everything's about to start heating up. Hey, it's Tampa Vice. <laughs> and it's me, the fabulous Going through a huge mob of women and children. Amazing improvisation by Randy Wester, whoever there, realizing that the best way to get the crowd to disperse so Stan and Steve could get to the podium was to make it look like the cameraman on the other side of the ring was shooting the fans so they would get distracted and try to be on TV. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah, what a professional. Do we know the name of the director? Oh, um, oh, man. I do, and I can't think of it. Me and Randy Hales just talked about him the other night. Oh, gosh. That's some excellent thinking on your feet, though, for whoever... Did that. Same guy directed it for years. Um, man. Uh, well, it wasn't Mike Shields at this time. He gone. No, no, no. Randy and Mike did all the loop tapes and the, the arena stuff. Uh, the guy that actually here at Channel Five was the Channel Five guy. Gosh, I can't think of his name. Was killing me. Well, anyway. Come on, I hate to come out here and laugh, but good Lord, did you see that? 
Obviously, those guys have never watched ESPN or the National Football League or even Australian rules or rugby. Did you see those two guys out there goofing around with like two pantyweights playing smear the queer or something? I can't believe it. Let me tell you something. If they want to do that, there won't be any problem Monday night, brother. We'll go out there. We'll... Oh, anything. Can you believe those two guys? Yeah, oh. now the idea, though, is that one of you is going to be ended up end up on the end of a handcuff. One of handcuffed, yeah. right? Okay, the other guy goes to the ball. If the ball goes out in the crowd, they crack and throw it back to whoever they want whoever to. Whoever they want to. They don't have to give it back to the referee. Okay, I, I like that. That's better. So okay. if you got some friends out there, Steve, we want to be sure they throw it back to you guys. Okay, yeah. Lance, you know, there's one thing, though. You know, before we get started here and any more about the sheep herders, I'd like to clear one thing up. You know, it's one thing to come out and say something, and it's another thing to do it. You know, I'm not saying anything wrong's been said, but you know, a lot of people watch television and they believe everything they hear right off the bat, no matter who's saying it. And you know, this is kind of a touchy situation. I realize this. I hope the fans will understand where I'm coming from. But you know, in a field of professional wrestling, when you're the champions, you know, we're not wearing the belts out here. We're not braggadocious. We're not showing off or anything. The idea is we are the champions. It's understood. But I'll tell you something. You know. Thank you. I'll tell you something. You know, when you get out here and somebody else comes out and says they can beat you or, you know, gives that kind of impression, you know, it's kind of hard to accept that. You know, like we have wrestled a lot of teams. We have been beat before, but we've beaten a lot of teams, too. But, you know, earlier Bill came out here, you know, and it's one thing for him and Jerry Lawler to say they can beat the Road Warriors, they can beat the Rock and Roll, and they can beat the Fabulous Ones. But there's another thing about doing it. And, you know, I just want everybody to understand that they've never wrestled us. There's no problem. They've never wrestled us, and to say they can beat us is just saying it. And right now, that's where we're at. Is that understood? Yeah, I understand. And if they want to wrestle us, we'll be glad to wrestle yeah, we'll them. Happy to. I mean, you know, we that's like what it is about being the champion. If you're going to be the champion, Billy's a little hyper today, I think. Making no idle statement. I was around here a long time. Just because Jackie Fargo woke up one morning, still wanted to be in the wrestling business. Fix you and fix you, make your team. And you're a good team. I'm not taking nothing off you. You're a real good team, brother, but so is me and Lawler, Steve. Okay? And I just think if you had signed the match, we can beat you. Hey, we didn't say nothing, Bill. All we said is you haven't beaten us yet. It's just as simple oh, as that. Oh, we can turn fix that up, Daddy. Just climb right in that little... Lawler, get out of here, I think all he was trying to say, Billy, was the fact that you guys okay. have not beaten them yet. Hey, That's banana bitch, just shut trying. up. Blow that bugle and shut up, Daddy. I'm doing the talking here. We can... Laura, will you get out of here? Get Wait a minute, Lance. We did not challenge anybody to a match. All we did is come out here and defend the point that we have not been beat by this man or Jerry the King Lawler. That's all we're saying. Well, you're going to be if you just haul his cat out here. Lawler, I need your boy that's challenging me to a match. Will you get out of here? I think the whole point has been misconstrued here. just simply saying that... We're about to have a match here, and that ain't even what we were talking about. We were talking about something entirely different than this that. This challenge is uh, a match, my boy. Come on, let's get up there. I think there's some misunderstanding about this whole thing. No, 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 no. I, I saw that. Yeah, I do realize that. Look, Bill, <laughs> I don't know what to say except calm down a little bit. These guys, they haven't challenged anybody to a match. Look, I mean, you know... I'm, I got to agree with Stan. I don't know what you had for breakfast this morning, but I got out on the wrong side of the bed, but just calm down. Look, calm down, nothing. I just believe, and no, I don't believe. I know we are the best. 
Crawl up in the ring. Let's go. Hey, hey, come on, dude. We got a whole program here for crying out loud. I told you what. Just... There's a million people out there saying I'm bragging, Jack. I ain't bragging. I'm the best there is. And we can whoop this two crowds. Just as Jackie Fargo said, the great, that don't mean nothing, man. Anybody can buy a hat, fancy jacket, play music. We'll play the music now. Get up in the ring. Hey, if you want a problem, I just want to clear something up, Daddy. Well, I want to know you. here, and we'll sign some contracts, oh, you know. Okay. If you know. just kick and just say so, we want to... Oh, come on now. Don't get into that look, stuff, Bill, you look, guys. Look, I'm not, you know, I'm not chicken of anybody. These guys have made a legitimate point. You come out here, and you're telling everybody we've beaten the road wars, we've beaten the fabulous ones. We've never wrestled the fabulous ones. But so why did we could beat them? Well, yeah, but we, I told you once before, I don't like, I'm not a friend of the guys, they're great wrestlers, but I don't like matches like that. I told you, I don't like wrestling against you. I certainly wouldn't like wrestling against these guys because I don't like to be in a match where the people have a hard time deciding who they're going to be for. Now, look, as far as I'm concerned, these guys, Steven Stan, they have the Southern Tag Team titles. They're the Southern Tag Team champions. So... Let's face it, they're the best tag team. I got the Southern Heavyweight Championship. That, that symbolizes I'm supposed to be the best single wrestler. They're the best tag team. Let's leave it at that. Oh, now you all going, Buff, where does that leave me, Daddy? I ain't got nothing to what you're telling me. You're a champion. We're champions. You ain't nothing, little boy. You ain't getting... Well, come on, here, Daddy, and I'll whoop the whole lot of you, Daddy. How are you going to give me a belt? Billy, that's not exactly the point about it. You're misconstruing everything again, you and the, What they're just trying to simply say is there's a way to handle things and there's a way not to handle it. You want to jump in the ring and do it. Well, th there will be there's a time a, there's for plenty of guy, There's plenty of jerks around like Stomper and Pritchard and Rose and Bulba and both. We don't have to wrestle guys like the Fabulous ones to prove anything. You know, if you're just come, if you're scared, just say I'm scared. I don't want to wrestle. No, that'd be fine. I'll quite understand. Billy, you didn't say that. You guys have got a match coming up today against Pritchard and Rose. Yeah, Why we whoop them just... too, but I want to whoop their two just to prove a point. B okay. Billy, okay, okay. okay. No, no, Will you guys please let us get on with it? The Fabs have got a match coming up. We'll see you out in your what is match. Wrong, what is wrong anyway, Bill? What's the problem? What, you know, we don't have anything to wrestle. I mean, we don't have any reason to wrestle these guys or anything. It's no, it's, it's no reason to do that. If you're just scared, just say you're I'm scared. not scared. Oh, Let me just say this. I don't want to wrestle them, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to be your partner anymore. What the hell will you? I don't know what Bill Dundee's problem is. Maybe it's a short man's complex or maybe it's something else. But we're not scared of the guy. And if he's come back here to make some big, respected name for himself, he's got more than an opportunity. All he's got to do is get a new partner now because I'm sure Jerry Lawler will have nothing. I am certain that is a fact right now. And uh, uh, we're sorry about it all happening again. Okay, if we can get the fabs in there, Dave, let's get a legitimate match going in the ring here. And Dundee going absolutely bananas today out here. Okay, the fans are up there. We're ready for the competition. Uh, one fall, 15 minutes time. All right, Bo. So, uh, your thoughts on what we just saw there? Oh, it's great. Um, Vix, back it up to where all four of them are standing there to, on the podium together. <clears throat> and just get a steal of that. Um, I closed it already, so let me... That might take a second, but go ahead. Go ahead in the meantime. 
yeah. So all of this is being booked that morning. Because of Jerry Stubbs. Oh, oh because, because of Jerry Stubbs. And there's getting ready to be another wrench thrown into everything here in just a minute when Dundee and Lawler come back. Um, if you want to know when Dundee has great input into what is happening, and you'll see this coming up, or we're going to show the him and Lawler's match and how they get yeah. to the match. We're okay. show, yeah. yeah, we got clip. You will see that because they're going to stop the match in the ring and they're going to open the curtain up to show you the back of the studio in the garage door where the ring comes in. All right, there that you go, but never okay. Now, does Bill Dundee look like a midget standing there with the other four? No. No. Dead giveaway, he's getting ready to turn heel. He has made himself regular size. Because <laughs> especially where I ended up managing to stop it here, look at how where they're all standing relative to the camera. Uh-huh. Fab's in the back. Lawler's kind of in the middle of them height-wise, so he's standing right in front of Steve. And then Dundee is way in front of them, while also being to Stan's left. If Bill, if this was an angle to turn Bill babyface, Bill would be standing on the concrete floor to make himself smaller. To get the sympathy of the little battling Aussie. He's the wow. thickest guy standing out there. Yeah. And if you and if you remember, the first thing that Steve Kern threw out there was the short man complex. Mm-hmm. Dundee's bigger than Kevin Sullivan. Him yeah. and Ivan Koloff are about to, you know, I've talked about this before and on other stuff. But now he's getting ready to be a heel, so he has to make himself visually bigger so he can get the heat on him. That's why Kevin Sullivan's height was never mentioned once he became a heel. No. Mon Monsters are not short. No. Ivan Koloff's height was never mentioned in his career. No, but not at all. Never. But there's matches of Dundee working with Ivan, uh, you can find. But if Bill was so good at making himself um, what he needed to be, if him and Lawler are a babyface team and they're taking publicity shots, he bends his knees to make Lawler bigger. If Lawler was the heel, he made himself Dundee made himself smaller. Now he knows he'd get ready to go heel, so now I got to be bigger and badder. Same thing uh, on Southeastern Rewind. We just dropped the Dundee, the beginning of Dundee's heel turn, which is kind of just like this angle that Bill redid in Knoxville in '88. He is standing out there with the Armstrong, with Scott Armstrong, and Johnny and Davy Rich. They had had several interviews. In the 10 weeks leading up to that together, Bill is always sitting in the chair with Gordon while the rest of them stand behind him. 
when they plant the seed for the heel turn, he's standing up in the middle of all three of them. Mind hmm. manipulation like that is a lost art in pro wrestling now. Oh, yeah. It, it, they didn't just manipulate what they were doing in the ring. They did it how they walked, how they stood, how they talked, how they did everything. And they were masters of it. Now, the other thing that Dundee does in his booking and his, his input of booking, if it is a serious angle that he is all in on that this is going to draw money, there will be something in that angle to make you think we were not supposed to see this. The Tupelo concession stand brawl drew so much money because we were not supposed to see it. The match was over. They had turned the camera off. Then they turned it back on and got tangled up and barely got it down there in time to see the fight. Come on here, Randy. Yeah, all by design. All by design. Well, okay, so let me ask the you angle this. angle we're getting ready to watch with Lawler and Dunn. Uh-huh. Well, real quick, the first time, the real first time they did the concession stand brawl in 78, where the cameras caught none of it, was that on purpose? No. We we talk about that in the uh, Dundee uh, thing that you can hear at patreon.com slash king of kingsport. Oh, so they had intended to shoot it in 78 had the actual issues with being able to get the camera all the way over there, and then they worked it into Lawler and Dundee versus Blonde Bombers. It, it wasn't supposed to happen. The oh, the brawl time. even wasn't supposed to happen. Okay. No, because the dressing rooms were back up that aisle, and they were fighting outside the ring, and Jerry Jarrett and Herman Sheffield came out there. Dundee explains it all in the thing. And... He says, uh, uh, matter of fact, I believe this is on my Patreon right now. This was in the first part of uh, the interview with, with Bill. They jump over. The heels can't get through the people. So they just jump over in the concession stand trying to get away from the people. Lawler jumps in the concession stand. Dundee then jumps in. Now what do we do? How do we get out of this? We can't. We've got to fight. And it did business for the town. The town popped because everybody left there going and telling everybody about you should have been there last night. It might be put on, but they were going at it for real. So when we get to this part here with Lawler and Dundee in a few minutes where they stop the match with the Armstrongs, they pull the curtain down to show you the back of the studio you have never seen and all the years and all the weeks they have been doing TV. You had never seen the studio and what it actually looked like when nothing was going on in there. So people what about, wait a minute. What about LaLaRue? An 84 year car four. Yeah. The car angle. That would be yeah, the first the one. Right. Yeah. They did use the garage door. Okay. Yeah, they that would have been the first one. So this is the second one. Jerry Jarrett, same thing. That's where Dundee learned it from. Show them stuff you want them to see, but you they think you don't want them to see. So yeah. when they see this bare wall, and holy crap, there's a garage door right behind those people. You start paying attention, even more so. What is going on here? This is not the normal Saturday morning. 
Uh, same thing when they did the first fights in the hallway and the first thing out in into the um, parking lot. The problem was they overdid it. Yeah. They got to where it became commonplace. Um, the first thing that I can remember where you saw what they call the gorilla position now where we stood to go out to Channel 5 out into the studio where the hills come out. The first thing that I saw there that I can remember was uh, it was an angle with downtown Bruno, and I think, it was, but it was in Bruno's time where the camera went back in the hallway and showed something. You had never seen that part of Channel 5 before. So ever so often, they were great at showing you stuff that you thought you weren't supposed to see. Uh, during the Power Pro run, we did a thing in the studio, or not the st in the control room upstairs that overlooks the studio where the director sat. And they, Billy Travis piled drive Lawler on the floor in that studio. I mean, in the control room of the studio. Most people had never seen that control room, much less a fight in that control room. So they would show you stuff at times just to make you think this is completely legit and it's off. We're, we're seeing behind the curtain. We're seeing something we're not supposed to see. They're moving yeah. beyond the three walls without actually breaking the fourth wall. Yes. And Dundee was a master of that. And Jerry Jarrett was a master of that. Lawler was a master of that. Because you, you have to realize, like, um, they did TV in that studio from 1977 to 2001. Mm -hmm. And they still could bring stuff out that I've never seen that. Where, where is that at? Even people that had been there to the matches at the studio. What is that? So that just um, made me think about something. And with hindsight, especially, I can't believe they never did this. As people who have seen the Tom Snyder primetime Sunday feature from 1979 know, the wrestlers got dressed on the news anchor set. Yeah. In the other studio. Right. With hindsight, I'm kind of shocked they never had any of the wrestlers brawl in there. Oh, no, it was off limits. Because it was because you needed a because it's too small. You needed to be a private space for the wrestlers and nothing else. Uh, no, only the was, baby, uh, for the anchors. <laughs> it was the it was the NBC affiliate for the Mid South. You don't mess with it. Oh, so they didn't want to even slightly risk anyone break anything. No. No, but they were happy with giving it over to them to dress in. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you had to clean your mess up. The the heels dressed in the um, uh, back in what was the break room, a little concession, a little uh, uh, commerce area. Uh, by the time I got there, everybody was dressing back there. And then at one point in time, uh, right as the baby faces were dressing right off to the left, of where the baby faces came into the studio. There was a room in there that they dressed in in 88 and Lance would do interviews in front of that room. Um, so, yeah, I, remember I mean, he, even for a year, for years, they kept it. Even where the people, at the TV station didn't see them together or knew what was going on. It was well into the nineties before everybody went into one area in the back of the, uh, 
the back of the uh, TV station to dress. Well, everybody except Lawler. Lawler had his own dressing room. Um, well, now- so, um, but they would show you stuff that you like around the same time as the uh, Tom Snyder deal. They did a thing where Jerry Jarrett and Lance Russell are sitting explaining why we have squash matches. Have you ever seen that? I, I think, do you mean the yeah. thing from the Ken Lucas yeah. feud? No, there, there's a thing where Lance says, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to show you um, our production meeting where people ask, what, you know, what goes on. And they're sitting in one of the yeah, uh, offices, and Jerry Jarrett's giving him the lineup for TV that day. Yep. What, yep. what the matches are. And Lance says, well, can't we have Lawler against this guy? On TV, because of, and he goes, well, Lance, I would love to, but if we put a main event match even on TV, I have to pay them main event money. We can't afford to do that and keep the TV on. If we do that today, that's the only TV match we can have. <laughs> so what do we do with everybody else? So they're explaining to you, this is why we have a star against a local guy. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you that. Think and I think you, that was I think that was on the Tom Schneider thing. I think that's where the, where that aired. If I remember it correctly. It was around that time. It might I have or it might have been on the it might have been on the PBS thing when PBS came and, and did a thing on It the, was definitely the, it was definitely filmed. It wasn't like the the Memphis TV. It was a on a film. Yeah, yes. So yes. it was the Tom Schneider thing. But, but when, uh, what did you say, Bex? Hello? That was Hello? weird. Um, no, I said maybe it was the Tom Snyder thing then. It was. I, okay. I'm pretty sure it was. It, it might It might have been. They might have used part of it on there, but the, but I'm, they showed the whole thing on, on one of the weeks of TV to explain to people. Uh, maybe they shot it and used it, explaining that Tom Snyder's film crew had shot it, but they're going to let us use it. Uh, but they showed the whole thing and, you know, and he's explaining to Lance cause Lance is like, well, I know our fans want to see these main event matches. And he's like, well, that's why we can only put them in the arenas because I have to put the purse up and I have to put the money up and we don't charge to get into the studio. And, you know, we have 10 and 20 minute matches. We're in the arena and it's an hour cause we have, you know, only have an hour of TV time. So, I mean, they were masters of, of, manipulating your thought process in little ways that you had no clue that it was going on. None. And that is a, it's lost now. And it also goes to that thing Kevin Sullivan says all the time, that he feels like even if it wasn't an actual expose of the business, that he felt like being able to regularly see the back area on wrestling shows took away a lot of mystique. Yes, I agree with that 100%. Right. It doesn't matter that it's not exposing anything. It's that you had something that had some mystique to it, and now it's gone. Yeah. Where your mind wondered, and your mind thought, well, what's going on back there? What do they do? Then they show you interviews and guys sitting around talking, and, you know, well, that's what goes on? That's really not exciting. That's nothing yeah. like I thought it was, you know. 
All right. All right. Well, let's 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 go to this. Let's go to the third clip, and let's see what happens here as uh, we advance up forward in this whole story. Now to have the match between uh, Pritchard and Rose and the team of uh, Lawler and Dundee. <laughs> I don't think there's any secret. There won't be any match. Yes, guys. He's refused to wrestle as a partner with Dundee, so we're moving the match up to Jarrett and Tojo against the Shadow and the Invader. Okay, that takes care of that. Scheduled a little bit later on the program. Jerry Jarrett and Tojo Yamamoto. And Mr. Coffee. Bell. Now, we don't need any more trouble. I refuse that coward. Lawler's scared of the fans. He's scared of me. He'd even be scared of them, too. You two get out of the ring. I'll come here and whoop them both of Jerry Come on, Billy. Now, you just come out here looking for trouble. On the other end, see this little key here? I see. That's it. the key to a custom made car sitting out there. $25,000 sports car. Jerry Lawler, if you'll just bring that shiny little bell out, climb up in that ring, brother, and you can beat me, I'll give you that. Dave Brown, you hold on to that. Give him the Lawler if he wins. You two get out of the ring, because I'm sitting there. Boy, absolutely out of control this morning. Billy is sitting here saying he'll put up the keys to a $25,000 sports car out there if Jerry Lawler can come out here and All them rednecks out there think you're a king, because that's exactly what you are. King of the rednecks, daddy. Well, I ain't no redneck, and you ain't no king. See what it says on the back, Jack? I am not at all opposed to seeing Lawler and Dundee go for the Southern Heavyweight title, but uh, the ring is where the action should be involved with Jerry. Now, just how about stopping right here? Stopping right here. You're real tough when you can sucker punch somebody, aren't you, yeah, Dundee? Come on, Jack, I'll do it again. What is he talking about? What are you saying there? That custom car out there, Jack, cost 25 grand. The people out there couldn't afford the paint job. Neither could you, Lola. You drive around in some van that some redneck down here gave to you. You want to drive a real car? Beat me. Put the belt on the line. And you got it, Daddy. You drive some Chevrolet van that some goofy Chevy company gave you so you could advertise it on the Jerry Lola. Hello, folks. I'm Jerry Lola. I drive a little Chevy car. We should probably explain real quick what you laughed at. Bill, Bill's about Jerry Lawler uh, getting a van for free for promoting it, the leadership on the Jerry Lawler show, and he got and sat behind the desk and started pretending like he was driving the van. <laughs> so, it, it was a Dodge, not a Chevy. Yeah, that has always been my favorite Dodge part of this. Whole, that's always been my favorite part of this whole angle. Anyway, <laughs> let me tell you something, Dundee. First of all, that's how much you know it's a Dodge. It's not a Chevrolet. And Same thing. Tell you something else. I've seen your car. Ah, yeah, you like to drive it too, and it ain't worth twenty-five thousand dollars. It ain't worth twenty-five cents, if you ask me. Oh, it ain't, huh? That's a Chevrolet is exactly what it is. Now, let me tell you something. Yeah, but it's a custom one started off, Jack. I got, beat, I got all the cars and all the vans that I need, and your car don't, make, don't mean 25 cents to me. You see this title right here? Just like I told you a while ago, the fabulous ones are the Southern Tag Team Champions. That means they're the best tag team, and this right here means I'm the best single wrestler around these parts. You know, and I know how bad you'd like to get your hands on this belt. But you're not getting it today, Dundee. You know the only reason that 
Because well, we wouldn't wrestle him. And the only reason you didn't come in because you won't wrestle me. And you don't want my car, Lawler. He don't want you your car. You get that idea? I'll give you a little deal. See this beautiful black hair, Jack? You did it once before, but you can't do it again. I'll put this right here. In that ring. And you can whoop me today on television. Come on, Daddy. You can't back down now. You used the car for an excuse because you're a coward. What about it, Lawler? You can't do it, boy. Here's a guy who walked around ball following one of those big outrageous comments. Well, let me, well, let, me let me tell you something, fat girl. Sit down over there. I don't want you on my side. I don't want none of you rednecks on. Jared, get out of this ring before I kill you. Let me ask you. Wait a minute, Dundee. Let me get one thing straight. You're telling me now. Uh, Eddie Marlin's not here today, is that right? No. But there's somebody here that can enforce this. Banana nose can. You're telling me that if we have a title match right now and I beat you, you're going to sit in that chair in the middle of that ring right now on television and shave your right head? Right now, where 10 million people can watch, Daddy, right now. You mean if he beats you, you're not going to get up and run out of here? You make that dumb sure that he's not going to run out of here if you get that kind of a match. Tell you what I'm going to do, Lance. Hey, Dundee. I'll tell you something, Dundee. I'm going to accept your challenge, and I'm fixing to make you look just as stupid as you sound out here. You understand that? Now, the deal is... He will have his hair cut right in the middle of the ring, Jerry. Now that's that's it. We're not talking cut. We're talking shave right in the middle of the ring. And if he wins it, he becomes a new Southern heavyweight title. We've got the title right here. This is on the line. It'll be a one fall, 60-minute time limit bout. Pause it for just a second. The belt's on. Why did they not just jump right into the match once the challenge was made? To draw it out. To milk it so people at home could call their cousins and uncles and aunts and say, you better be watching. Dundee's getting ready to get his head shaved. Yeah, so draw it out. Yeah, this is a, a, a time to build it. To get the ratings. Yeah. Mind manipulation. <laughs> okay. Right. Referee Jerry Callum said, hey, let's get it on. And I am for it. Oh, what a treat. Oh, I love it. I'm sorry that we have all the distinction and all that stuff, Dave, but not really. But what a match, huh? See these two guys against each other. Here we go. Dundee using the fist, right hand, three out on Lawler off his feet. Dundee with a boot to the side of the head. I don't think you're going to see any finesse here. Maybe not too many pure wrestling moves. This one's just going to be a brawl. Alright, we can. I guess we can move forward with this because we're not going to play the whole match. So I think the next. Yeah, Alright, the next clip's the end. So we need to fast. We need to fast forward some to the the finish of the match. Alright, here we go. Alright. Out of his trunk. This is Lawler. 
Looked to me like a chain that he wrapped around his fist. Raped him in the eye. He beat low. He got it. Merrill Dundee wins it. something wrapped around his fist and looked like he raked him across the eyes with it. It looked like a little chain of some sort. Lawler has lost the Southern Heavyweight title right here. We're going to have to take time out and check. What a stunning situation. I was looking for a haircut today and the King has dropped the Southern Heavyweight belt. He said the referee's gone, Jerry, to check on it right now. We're going to take time out. I don't know. We saw him get something. Look. Why don't we take, take a break here and let's, uh, let's take time out and we'll be back to check with the referee. Jerry, we're going to check on it. Now, let's talk about the whole big underlying thing that's part of this. What was the year 1985 for Jerry Lawler? That was the year he was supposed to win the World Heavyweight Championship or he will retire. What's the way he gets a shot at the World Heavyweight title? By being he Southern be champion. Southern Heavyweight Champion. And now he's lost. He's lost his ticket to a shot at the World Heavyweight title. So that's and he had just had the match with Flair. Yep. He, he just had the Great American Bash with Flair and one with Martell. Something else that jumps out here, too. Memphis, Southeastern slash Continental, were not afraid to give you finishes to main event matches on TV. No, they were. Every, where every other territory just about gave you some kind of screwy finish or got out of it or ran out of time or whatever. Only and a time. Mid-South yeah, gave real finishes. Name, now they did, but... Name two guys that worked each other as many times as Dundee and Lawler wrestled each other and it was never the same match. Nope. I can't think of anyone, because all of your legendary feuds are a lot more similar match-to-match than those. Yeah. They prided themselves on having a different match every night. Now, you might get, like in, you know, they had the finish of the loser leave, 83, where he caught him with the uppercut and pile-drived him. So the loser leave in 83, six or 85 going into 86 they milked that to set up well this is how you beat him before they would do that kind of stuff in the big arenas in the big matches but i don't know how many times i saw them wrestle each other in spot towns when i was there and i would stay to watch and it would be different every night and you're just like man i i can't dusty Tolly, dusty flair Flair Steamboat, um, all those guys, 
they had a formula that they used every night. Uh, even Briscoe and uh, uh, Punk Jr. Yeah. Lawler and Dundee was different every time you saw it. And that just speaks to how great they were. And another little thing that came up in there when Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee are tag partners, Lawler calls him Bill Dundee. When they're fighting and feuding, he's Dundee. Mm -hmm. He even says his name different. Yeah. And another thing, too, is you got the situation where they're trying, Dundee wants this match, and he's somebody. They're talking about getting somebody to make, to make the match when Jerry Lawler is standing there and Jerry Jerry is standing in the ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at this time, oh, Jerry Jarrett, though, has ceded his matchmaking control. I know. I know. And another thing, the thing yeah. with Mr. Coffee that started that clip where Mr. Coffee came out and he said, hey, since they're not going to team together, we're going to move up Jarrett and Tojo against blah, blah, blah. They sent Mr. Coffee out there to do that. Just so you think, well, they're changing the whole thing that's going on today. Mm -hmm. yeah. Masters, puppet masters. And another thing, too, that you know, we didn't talk about before with Lawler and the promo with the fabulous ones is that Lawler flat out says, I don't like matches where it's babyface versus babyface because that forces the fans to pick their favorites. Basically saying, I'd rather have good guy versus bad guy. I don't want good guy versus good guy. I don't want to make the fans uncomfortable. Yeah. The, fan, the fans need a clear choice of who they're going to cheer and boo. You, where, when have you ever heard that on a fucking wrestling, a wrestling angle like yeah. that? You know? Yeah, ma masters at work here in some and, and this and folks, this is done that morning because of Jerry's yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> this isn't long term booking. Yeah. Thank you, That's Jerry Stubbs. <laughs> and part of the reason you go with this, besides that it's what makes the most sense anyway, is that you know Lawler and Dundee can fill all that time. Well, here's another thing too, is what is the hook to get Jerry Lawler to take this match? Dundee's hair. He doesn't care about the car, but I can shave Dundee's head again. On sure. TV? Yeah. Yeah. Live TV? So, and because of all the history with them and hair matches and stuff. So, mm -hmm. you got all that history that you all, that Memphis is always can play off of in every way. And I mean, it just all that stuff adds up to this angle. So, all right, well, let's finish it off. Let's go to uh, Bill Dundee. It looks like he fresh got, fresh got out of the shower, and uh, he's with Lance, and uh, he's uh, gloating over his victory. Big news! Remember the big news you was going to tell them all about? Well, I'm going to tell them. a little later. No, though. sir, Daddy, it's right now because it's the I would rather me. you get No, sir. What's going to happen, folks, is Banana Nose wants to take all the credit to tell you, but I'm going to do it first. Rick Flair, the world's heavyweight champion, is coming to Memphis. That's right here, Daddy. Here we go. On November the 18th, right? That is correct. And who's he going to wrestle, Lance Russell? He is going to wrestle the Southern Heavyweight Champion. And Flair. who is the Southern Heavyweight Champion? You're truly, folks. 
If you tuned in late, Daddy, it's me, Jerry Dundee out here taunting about it. We were going to make that announcement in a little bit about Ric Flair being in here, being into Memphis, uh, Tennessee on November the 18th with a world. To wrestle me! He's coming to wrestle me, Russell! <laughs> coming to wrestle the Southern Heavyweight title, and right now Let me you tell have you to why. have it around you. Let me show. tell you something, Dundee. You little thinking rotten low life shrimp you used a chain and you know you did you're no more the champion than that fat slob girlfriend of yours over there dundee now let me tell you something boy i gave you a title match now i want you to give me a rematch brother because i'll show you if you'll let somebody check you before you go in the ring that you couldn't beat me on your best day do you understand that punk? okay okay let me tell you something jerry lawler I don't have what a brilliant little piece of detail work there from Waller. Pointing out that the match got made so spur of the moment that the referee didn't get to check Dundee. <laughs> yep. They Absolutely. got this all lined up, and they barely had any time to plan it out. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It's insane. I have, I've had matches with them where... I go to find out, and they go, let's just do that old deal, you know, the old Tennessee deal we used to do. And that's all they say to you. And you have to know what the old Tennessee deal they're doing because there's so many old Tennessee deals that they're going to do. <laughs> but as the match is going on, you go, okay, now I know which one we're doing. That, that I mean, it's just there's no planning. There's no – I mean, there, there, this might have been a – 10-minute at most conversation between them. Probably five. Okay, I'm curious, though. Do you think having that kind of little excuse for how easily Dundee was able to get the chain in in there was always on their minds? Or do you think Lawler... No. Real, you Lawler think Lawler came just, up with it right there. Because right he realized, there. oh, yeah, we just did this spur of the moment. The referees didn't, text, didn't check us. Might as well mention yeah. it. Yeah, right there. Lawler used to write TV on napkins on the dashboard of the car <laughs> on the way home from the Friday night town. Just ideas. Where Jerry Jarrett was very detailed and formatted and had it together and what to do and you know. And it just and Dundee was a mixture of the two of them. Because the two of them are the ones that taught Bill. And Dundee's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to ever. And not just about wrestling, just about everything. And it has a lot to do with the life that he lived, you know, before wrestling. But I mean, just, but this, he just, he is the puppet master. He put so much detail. He put as much detail in the first match as he did the main event as a booker. Look what he did for Bill Watts. Look what he, he's booking this right here. This is Dundee booking. Look what he's doing right here. Because the guy quit in the middle of the week. <laughs> and they know they have Flair coming, and Lawler cannot do another job to Flair. Mm -hmm. And Dundee is not going to do a job for Flair either. 
Well, also, we should know, too, that Lawler didn't even want to wrestle Flair again after how badly the previous match had just gone. Yes. And patreon.com slash King of Kingsport. You'll be able to hear Dundee's side of all this, too, coming up. Amazing stuff. All right, uh, let's go back. We ain't finished the clip yet. This belt for one month, right? You know you've had it long enough, right? And this is the 19th. And a month from now is the 18th, so two days after the 18th, I won't just give you a title match, I'll give you the belt, because I'll be the world champion! <laughs> Boy, he's a real brave one. Give you the belt, Lawler! He's going to deprive you of an opportunity at least to go against Flair when he comes in to Memphis on the 18th. Oh, it's hard to be humble so, when you're you great as I am. You're going to stand here in front of everybody on television? You're going to stand here in front of all of these people and admit that you don't have the guts to give me a rematch? Is that what it is? You don't have the guts? Is that it, Dundee? You've got the thunder? No, I ain't going to stand longer. I got to sit because I'm in no hurry. I got 30 days to wait, Jack. And so do you. But in a month from now, I'm going to be the world's champion, Lawler. And you can have this little belt back. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I'm the be- Oh, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. I can't wait till tomorrow, Lawler, because I can get up and look in the mirror. I get better looking every day. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I know the mistake I'm making, Lance. You see, Dundee's real happy right now. As far as he's concerned, he's sitting on the top of the world. When you're real happy, you don't want to give anybody matches. The only way you want to give somebody a match is just like I did a while ago. You got to be a little mad. Well, right now, Dundee, you're glad. But you just wait a few minutes, punk, because I'll make you mad enough to sign this match. Just bring me your crown, boy. Just bring me your crown. <laughs> okay, Bill. I think we. You can have your show back now, Banana Nose. Take it back. Thank you very much. I think we get the idea. The idea is that you will not have the guts that Lawler had knowing that Flair and he knew that Flair was coming to Memphis to go against the Southern title holder on the 18th of November and gave you a title shot right here today and you've already admitted you're not going to give him one. Okay Dave we've got uh, well we're delighted this I'm sorry it comes right at this particular time with a situation but we've been looking forward to having the Armstrongs in here. We have indeed <laughs> Scott and Steve Armstrong in here right now. Here come their opponents. Here they are, one fall, uh, 15 minute time limit. So there you go. The Armstrongs quit over this right here. Okay, tell that story then. Because they thought they were disrespected. Wow. They, because they were put out there for their debut. And a TV debut, they had just started in the, in the towns that week. And this was a place that they had been with their dad, his kids. They were excited to work here. And they were not treated the way they were told they were going to be treated. Wow. They felt like putting our debut on right after that makes us look like prelim guys. So how can they, we trust right. to get a push? Yeah, trust the they don't get to work. They stopped the match to do the rest of the angle with Lawler and Dundee right here. All right, well, yeah, but I didn't put that in the clip, but go ahead, Biggs. I forgot, I forgot that happened here. Yeah, I go ahead. about that part. Yeah, so go ahead and uh, yeah, bring that back up, and then fast forward to the the whole the real quick. ending of this. Yeah, it starts. Yeah, they don't even really get to do the match. Yeah, it starts right away. I, I tell you, it's interesting. Uh, this is the first time that Scott. Well, 
that Scott and Stevie had kind of done some work here and there, and I think in there, a, a couple of different places, like Gunkle and shit like that, maybe or something. This is the first time that they've been away from Southeastern and Continental. Yeah. So this is them wanting to branch out. Yeah. So so their oats, so to speak. Yeah. Four hundred twenty-three pounds out of Mississippi. Over on the left of the screen, Jerry Garman and Benny Trailer. And oh yeah. And here's Jerry Lawler. Before we finish the introduction, dear. Before you guys start this match, let me say one Bring thing. Bring it back up where we can see it, bitch. For this week. Now it's got my name already signed to the bottom of it. And all we need to do is put Dundee's right there, and then I'm going to get a rematch for my Southern Heavyweight title back, right? But right now, he don't want to sign that, right? No, he doesn't. You know why, Lance? I just told you why. Because he's not mad right now. you got to make a man mad before he'll sign something. And I can remember, Lance, the maddest that I've ever been in my life was when I stood right here, and I watched a jerk named Rick Rude go out in that parking lot and bust up my Lincoln Continental. Well, let me tell you something, Dundee. You say you got a $25,000 sports car out there, boy? Well, I just happen to have a baseball bat right here, and I want you to get that camera ready. Holly, I want you to follow me over here, and we're going to see how bad Dundee wants to play. We're trying to get some wrestling. Dundee, I know you're listening back there. You say that car's worth $25,000. If you don't come out and sign this contract, when I get through with it, it won't be worth 25 cents. Jerry, please. You don't have to resort to that. It will be taken care of. Come on, Jerry. Boy, he is heading for it right now. Lawler heading back out of the studio. I like how Lawler just happens to have a key for that locked door. <laughs> well... It's almost as if he's office. Uh-huh, look at him. He's right here. Pause, 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 pause. The best part of this whole thing is that girl, Blundee fan, running out, basically begging Jerry not to do it. <laughs> Yes. I love and it. She tried to. If you if you missed it when he was going through the crowd, she tried to take the bat away from him. It's, it, and he oh, shoved her it. away. <laughs> this is this is insane. You just you ain't gonna get this in, in wrestling anymore. Not this believability. Not like this. No way. He's telling you. Off the air, I'll tell you who that is. Okay. If you touch one bit of paint on that car, I'll sue you for everything you've got, Jack. I ain't signing. He's going to give you 10 if you don't sign the contract. I'm telling you, Bill, it happened to him. He's going to smash that car right down to the tires. There is count of four. He's warned you. Count of, hey, I know he's serious. Like a heart attack, man. He's at six. He's at seven. He's going to tear it up. Hold it, Jerry. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Right here on the right. He signed it. He signed it. He signed it right there. No, 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 Jerry. He's got it. It's here. I promise you. I ain't kidding you. 
He signed it. Come on, don't hit the car. It's signed right here, the, the uh, return match. That's what you were looking for. He's got that ball bat in his hand. Well, you're going to have to do it in the ring. I'd get out of here. That woman is so happy that Lawler didn't out. smash the car. <laughs> well, that's one way to get your way. She applauds when Lawler walks away. Here it is, Jerry. He's got it. Anytime the cameras went outside, the apartment building up on the hill behind the TV station emptied out with kids. <laughs> Signed, sealed, and delivered. That's what you were looking for. He signed it right there. Now let me tell you something, Dundee. I know you're listening, punk. You just saved yourself your car, but you just cost yourself a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship and my Southern Heavyweight belt, brother. Because when I get you in that ring this week, I promise you, I'm promising you, I'm promising all these people, when I get through with you, boy, not only will I have my belt back, but you won't ever want another match with me. I can guarantee you that, Dundee. Let's take a break. We'll be back with some action in the ring. We almost had some flying glass out there. Baby. When I get you in the ring this week, in that arena, in town. Yeah. Well, you got to do that. <laughs> I know. Let's... Let, let's... Let's point out this too. There's nobody in Lance Russell's ear telling him what to say or do. Mm -hmm. He's okay. going off of bullet points that was given to him 30 minutes before they went on the air. Yeah. Absolutely. Magic. They created magic every Saturday morning on Union Avenue. Mm hmm. Amazing. All right. Um, Dave was told that fans are sick to death of the fabulous one Sheepherders feud, which doesn't surprise Dave. Many told Dave they were tired of that matchup when he was there in early August, which we talked about in the previous show. It's now mid-October, and they're still doing the same match. Even though it's pretty wild, and some have been great, Dave bet they've wrestled each other 15 times on the last 18 Memphis shows. <sighs> Again, you know, I mean... Back to the... Back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I can... I get what Dave's saying. Is there are probably some fans that were tired of seeing those same two teams wrestle each other every week. You know, you kind of... you kind of It gets to that point where, you know, you've seen it all. You know, it's time for some some, some change. Well, and also, you don't you know? have, like, the, the talking of a Lawler Dundee fueling it either. No, but even Lawler and Dundee didn't wrestle each other that much like that. Well, in you 75, know, how many weeks did they do consecutively, more or less? Not, I mean, a few, but not not like this. All right, so October 14th. Or 77, uh, maybe I meant. I forget which. I was I was maybe thinking of Lawler Fargo. They, but... didn't, they didn't hook up till 77. Yeah, I was thinking of Lawler Fargo, I think. October yeah. 14th, they had a tag. October 17th, they had two singles. Um, Okay. October, no, September 30th, they didn't wrestle each other. Uh, September 23rd, was there was no show. Uh, September 16th, they wrestled each other. Uh, September 9th, they wrestled each other. September 2nd, they wrestled each other. Uh, August 26th, they wrestled each other. 
Uh, August 19th, they wrestled each other. August 12th, they wrestled each other. August 5th, they wrestled each other. July 29th, Terry Taylor subbed for Stan Lane in, a, in, a, in that matchup. July 22nd, they wrestled each other. Uh, July 15th, they wrestled each other. July 8th, they wrestled each other. July 1st, they wrestled each other. June 24th, it was Jackie Fargo subbed for Steve Kern against Sheep Herders. June 17th, they wrestled each other. <laughs> so June, July, August, September, October. We're five months, and every show but three, basically, have been fabulous ones for sheep herders. Yeah, that is a bit much. That's a bit much. Is it drawing? Um, well, it's not the main event, really, and a lot of these shows. Well, it's, yeah, it's, especially because Memphis... It wouldn't have gone as much. It probably headlined more the other towns, especially if Lawler was skipping them. Oh, and, and we're not done. October 21st, they wrestled each other. And then October 20... Oh, uh, Bo, you're wrong about Stubbs, by the way. Stubbs, Stubbs comes back, and, and he's Dundee's partner. Yeah. He, so he's what Dundee's was the deal partner. with that? Um, he come back to get his stuff to move to Alabama. Yeah, it makes sense. Is that the yeah, only he's only. No, he I mean, works the, the 28th, week, I guess. He works the 28th and he works the 4th. So he works uh, two Mid-South Coliseum shows. So he's there for a yeah. week. Yeah. So he's there for a week. For a week. Yeah. And that was because Bill begged him. <laughs> and, 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 he jo- and he jobbed the Coco on, on the November 4th show. So you had the Fast face Dundee and the Mass Superstar on the 28th. Did they face I, I Dundee? Would say, I, I would say... I would say part of that too was when he quit, went home. <laughs> Fuller said, "I have nothing for you until Thanksgiving." <laughs> so yeah. you got to find something to do until then. Yeah, because the Armstrongs, when they this is what makes them mad enough to quit, and they go back, and they may have stayed for the week or whatever, but they they're real soon. They're gone that week or within 10 days they have to sit at home until thanksgiving night when they start back for fuller yeah that's the way it was that if you, there's not a spot for you you know mm-hmm. screw and uh well we're about to get some new blood in memphis though as the fantastics and dutch mantel are on their way here yeah and and i'll say this too now that dundee has the book um and he wants Stubbs to come back, and he's saying, look, come back for, for just this week, from Monday to Monday or two weeks. Just You don't have to do spot shows. Just make the main towns. Bill's going to make sure he's taken care of. Yeah, he's he, team with him, he, and, then, yeah, and then he dropped the Coco and put, put Coco over on the way out. If you don't live there, they can't just pay you whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the old saying about Memphis was, stay six weeks, they'll start paying you. Stay six months, you're here for life. Well, now let's move on to where Bill Dundee just left, Mid-South Wrestling. The November 28th Superdome car will be a closed-circuit view on the Starcade car, plus four live main events, which we talked about earlier. So the relationship is going pretty pretty decently here at this time with uh, Crockett and Watts. So... Uh, because Flair's coming in quite a bit here, more than he's ever had come in 
in mid south. So uh, yeah, they're they're cozy here at this point yeah. in time. Now, were there any other closed circuit sites that were not in the traditional territory for Crockett? I don't think so. Or maybe in other places in Georgia, maybe. Oh uh, well, I told you there wasn't none in Macon. I know. I don't know if there was one in Columbus or not, but I know there wasn't one in Macon. Why? I why think, go ahead. I, I think Chattanooga might have had one. I'm thinking I might have seen a newspaper ad for Chattanooga. Well, I said why Macon. I mean, they wanted to pull that people, yeah. the people Macon, which which could be what you know Chattanooga might not have gotten one either for that same reason because that's you know but for to Atlanta to Chattanooga is about the same distance as going from yeah, hundred miles. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it, All right, it's well, a little let's... weird, though, that they didn't... That's where I was getting. It's a little weird that now that they're on national TV that they didn't try a little bit of a bigger push. Well, they're not They're not doing the full force expansion. I mean, they're dabbling, they're, 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 they're dipping their toes in the Ooh. water in place. But they're not going full force. Until 86. Yes. Yeah. yes. <clears throat> All right, uh, we got the, the Sunday double shot, October 13th, Tulsa, at the Convention Center. We got Dick Slater over Nick Patrick. Yes, that Nick Patrick. Iceman Keen Parsons over Mark Lewin in a no-DQ tape fist must win by pinfall or KO match. The Midnight Rider, which was Hacksaw Butch Reed in under the mask, beat Skandar Atbar, loosely leave town. Missed off tag titles, win the Cooley Now Perez retained over Ted DiBiase and Dr. Jeff Steve Williams, and Dick Murdoch retained the North American heavyweight title, beating uh, Butch Reed in the main event. Oklahoma City at the Myriad, Dr. Death over Nick Patrick, Dick Slater over Steve Constance, because Tim Ashley has then retired or quit. Uh, the Midnight Rider, which was Duggan under the mask this time over at Barn Leave Town. And then Ted DiBiase over Bruiser Ball Sweet Tan by Countout. Now, the next day, well, Butch Reed won the North. No, I have something to add, though, Chris. What's conspicuous by their absence on these uh, Tulsa and Oak City cards here? Well, their partial results. Well, oh, okay. Because there is something else that's relevant, though. So, a little over a week after this, according to the lawsuit that's followed the following year, Watts pays Fritz his quarterly money for Tulsa and Oak City, because it was a partnership. And that's why world-class guys were constantly on those cards. It's starting with this card that Watts just stops paying. <clears throat> well, the only guy here from world-class is Lewin. Oh, that is right. Okay, I forgot that he's world class here. That's mm -hmm. interesting. How do well is Iceman world class or is he mid south? Iceman's world class too. So that's okay. two. That's a world class match. Okay, so you do have a world class match. That said, yeah. he's still this is still notable because he's not paying. He doesn't pay for it in for the duration, and that's part of the lawsuit, not just the guys who leave. Yeah, this is uh, around that time when that's happening. Yeah, because you look at it, uh, the 27th, it's all Mid-South guys on the uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa show. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the end of it. Yeah, because uh, November 10th, same thing. Yeah, that's it. That's the end. So, so. was there an actual schism, <laughs> or was Watch just deciding not to pay anymore? And that's what led to well, it. This is Kim Mantel. So when did Kim you know, Mantel actually start doing work for Watts? Before this. But what was his job? 
while working it with like what job did he actually hold officially with mid-south while he's actually the dallas booker and living in dallas um he was like uh involved in the business part of it huh mm-hmm. he wasn't creative well i know that he was, he was business i think vice president of business affairs or something like that and fritz knew right uh i don't know how much he knew I think he thought it was just a thing with the Oklahoma relationship. Okay. So, Something yeah, else interesting about that? Though? Oh, go ahead. It's an interesting deal, let's put it that way. Something else that's kind of interesting about that is, I, I think they had a contract for it, stipulating the percentages, but it, you didn't always have this kind of relationship. Like, I'm finally getting back to reading Death of the Territories, and one of the things I think is really interesting in the earlier part of that book, when setting up, you know, McMahon expanding into California, is that Vince Sr., I think it was, had some kind of weird partnership with Michael LaBelle involving syndicating television that was part of their relationship. But it's But you don't see something like that here. Here it's just someone getting a percentage. We talk about Daily TV. Yeah, I forget exactly what the deal that's was. What it's being shown in it's being shown in York. No, no, no. But the LA TV was shown on Spanish. LA TV wasn't syndicated though. I think it was over the. It had to. Oh, I forget exactly what it was. It was. It was weird. It was confusing. How do you think it got on there? No, but Spanish in, in international. How do you think Florida? Was, how do you think Florida got on there? Florida was being syndicated there. No, no, no. I know that. Spanish, how do you think they got on? How do you think? No, how do you think they got on there? Who, the LA who show think? didn't have to get on there. Is my point. The LA show well, was a network think? feed. Well, who who do you again? How do you think it got on there? You that, think Vince McMahon is who got Spanish well, were international they, were, were they not? on that on that station? What promos were airing during that show? That show didn't have WWF local promos. It sure did. Where have you seen LA TV with WWF? I New heard York talk about promos? it in New York. It did, just like Florida. Are you sure? Have you seen this? I remember. I haven't seen. I haven't seen none of this stuff, but I heard it. I remember reading about it on one of the old message boards. I'm back in the pretty day. sure this is not true, though. That was a net, Chris. Think about it. That's a network feed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> What's the local wrestling? They're not coming there. If there were local promos, it would be WWF buying time from the station. It wouldn't be a deal with LaBelle. Uh, would, they'll be so fast on that. All right. Um, so anyway, let's move on. Butchery won North American Top of Dick Murdoch on October 14th in New Orleans. The TV title, which Reed held, will be up in a tournament, which begins at the November 6th Shreveport taping. Uh, the two matches that we have, results-wise, from this show on October 14th is Duggan and Jake over El Corsario, Savio Vega, and Lord Humongous, and then Reed over Murdoch to win the North American title. Now, <clears throat> what's going on here is Ric Flair announced on TV that he would only defend the world title against the North American champion when he comes to the area, which now means that it's Reed. Before he leaves for Japan, Murdoch will get several rematches in order to qualify for the title. Murdoch will also be used as a heel on some bouts with Duggan, in which the winner will get to wrestle Reed as a stepping stone to Flair. Dave has no idea what's going to become of this. Oh, just you wait. So we got Memphis with their situation with Lawler, and the uh, being the Southern champion must face Flair. 
And in, in Mid-South, we have the same thing where the North America champion face gets to face Ric Flair. And we have three baby faces fighting over that that right to uh, to get that shot of Flair, Bo. Interesting to see how this angle is being done in two separate territories, but in a different way. <clears throat> it was done everywhere like that for years. You know, you have to be the champion to get the shot at the world title. Yeah, but it wasn't used in a in an angle like it is at this one time where you have like the baby faces fighting each other. Where it's a specific know. chase to that it is the world champion is coming on this date, as everyone knows the world champion will be giving his shot to the local champion thing. I think that's what Chris means. Yeah, and, this this specific storyline to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and the baby faces are fighting for fight each other. So that's that's the difference. I mean, absolutely, yeah. You I mean more often than not the, the the world champion would face the number one guy in the territory, you know, forever and ever and ever. But this is a different slant on that. And we got the same thing going in two different places at the same time. And of course this is where Murdoch fully turns heel um on DiBiase as part of this. Because he's not a full heel during this little feud with Reed, but they're still baby faces. But they're having hellacious matches, some outstanding matches. Yeah, for the for the title, and uh, it's not until the DiBiase thing, where where uh, Flair will wrestle DiBiase on TV and this and the other and blah 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 that who, we get the full turn. <clears throat> who just left Mid South as the Booker? Dundee. Who probably now, said on the way out, "You got these dates on Flair. Let me give you an idea." It's possible. I mean, it's possible that Watts would definitely would use that. Slater, I don't know. I don't know if Slater would have. Uh... Uh, Bill Watts has the final say-so. Always. Always. Yeah. Just like Jerry Jarrett had it in Tennessee. So he could tell Slater, okay, you're the book, but here's what we're going to do to Flair. And then figure out what to do with him after this. Yep. Well, he's gonna feed. He's gonna feed with Duggan and Reed. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. But yeah, Mid South. Mid South was kind. Had kind of been in a lull. In the, you know, in the summer, it wasn't as great as it was in '84 and early '85. But now it's picking up again. It's about to get hot again. So there you go. All right, world class championship wrestling. The next big show should take place on Thanksgiving or sometime that weekend at the Reunion Arena in Dallas. The big news is that Ric Flair will wrestle Kerry Von Eric on either that show. Dave has a feeling they may run on November 30th instead of 28th, so Flair can, uh, you know, they can push that match. Or Christmas. Dave's supposed to make his last likely that Dusty Rhodes will get the NWA title. Dave says he knows virtually every promotion outside of Crockett would not like the idea of Dusty as champion. Uh, I can get that, but yeah, we well, we don't get Flair and Kerry. The uh, last flare match in world class is against Lance, but it's a, but it's not on a, a special holiday show. It's on a Fort Worth show in December. So this is where this relationship between Fritz and the NWA is coming to an end because now, I mean, they, they can't get yeah. the dates they want on the champ because flair always worked one of those shows, either Thanksgiving, Christmas or, or both, but usually Thanksgiving or Christmas, he was in Dallas and Chris, who allegedly worked overtime to convince uh, Fritz to pull out of the NWA? Yeah, Mento. Funny how that works. 
<laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is funny how some of this stuff works out, isn't it? Yep, that that changes uh changes everything in in world class for sure. So um, yeah, I mean, understand where they're coming from because Fritz's whole thing was the NWA World Title. My son has got to be NWA World Champion. So when it doesn't happen, you know, and then you're not getting dates on the champion. So yeah. Now regarding Lance Von Eric. This is setting a strange precedent with Lance, as this is the first made-up Von Erich. Fritz is attempting to sign Ricky Vaughn to a very tight long-term contract before his set arrival as a wrestler in late November. For those who haven't seen Vaughn, he is good-looking, good physique. However, he's one of the five worst wrestlers in the business right now, and one of the two worst on interviews. They says, believe me, he is so bad, we'd all be wishing for a speedy recovery for Mike. Wow. Lance Von Erich is built as Kevin and Carrie's first cousin. He's built the son of Waldo Von Erich, who was Fritz's tag partner a generation back. Oh, didn't you not read the parenthesis because he gets Waldo's real name completely wrong? Yeah, I, well, I don't got the word. I don't want to read. I, I, you know, I don't care about reading the real name. I names know you anymore. don't usually do it, but my point is here: it's completely wrong. It has him as Bill Shepard. It's Wally Sieber. Yeah, well, there was that confusion for years. So, How, where'd that um, come from? Did he wrestle as Bill Shepard? I don't know. Maybe he had multiple aliases like people on the internet do, using burner accounts and stuff like that. I don't know. I wonder how but, many uh, burner accounts Ospare DRs has. <laughs> uh, but were you, were you watching World Class at this time? Yeah. What did you think about the <clears throat> introduction of Lance Von Erich, a fake uh, Von Erich territory? The interviews were terrible. His, he just He was uncomfortable. He you didn't believe what he was saying because he didn't believe it. Yeah. He just, he didn't fit. No, he did not. He looked good though, but no, he yeah. did not fit. He did not fit. Oh. And, uh, this is, I mean, this is a, I mean, he got over with the fans, but as we talked about before, this is a, th- a big thing that, that they're going to have to deal with because he's from Dallas and people yeah. knew he was Ricky Vaughn. Yeah. Oh, what was his real first name, Bix? Kevin. Kevin Vaughn, yes. See, you should be able to remember that, because what does Naylor like to call him? Kevin Vaughn Eric. Yes. So. The one thing I feel like doesn't get mentioned with him enough, though, is there is enough of a resemblance that using this guy in particular as a first cousin, I fe- I feel like did add something to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but if he hadn't been a local guy, though, it would have been totally well, different. sure. Of course. That's the thing. I mean, it doesn't matter that he, well, how he looks as much as anything else. It's the fact that he's a local guy who had had a successful football career locally. And what they should have just said was when he knew he was going to be a popular, just fudging enough, say when he knew he was going to be a popular, you know, he was going to be a big local football star, well, track star, whatever it was, say he decided to change his name because he didn't want, he wanted to get it there on his own or whatever. Just tweak the, we just tweak the acknowledgement. Yeah, that especially, if you're acknowledging that he's been wrestling elsewhere under an assumed name, to get experience, you've already introduced that concept. Why not mm-hmm. just go full on and acknowledge 
that people in Dallas would know this guy as Kevin Vaughn and just embrace it. Just say his parents, you know, or whatever, didn't want him to use the Von Erich or Adkisson name or whatever for athletics. And eventually, you know, they came around on it or just whatever. I never thought yeah. about it that way before. But it really, you think about it, like, yeah. I don't think they ever said the words Ricky Vaughn until the split, but they explicitly said he's been wrestling. Did they even say Portland or the Northwest, or did they just say elsewhere in the country? Northwest. 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 Yeah, yeah, Northwest. So they acknowledged where he was wrestling under the other name and everything. So if you're introduced, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing, basically. All right. Um, Jack Victor went legit knee surgery this week after his Cotton Bowl match with Brian Diaz. The cover for Adidas is then using a spin and toe hole, and Victor wouldn't submit to it on the card, so Gary Hart had to throw in the towel. So, yeah, that puts Jack out of for a little bit. Uh, Rick Rubin and Percy Pringle made their debut at the Spoiler Tour on October 18th. One Man Gang also is doing a lone wolf gimmick uh, as uh, on that show where Martin Lewin and Gary Hart turned on the gang. Gang after gang complained about them costing matches lately with them losing Iceman and Kerry Von Eric on the show. Gang say he doesn't need anyone's up. He's fighting everybody. Is it me? Does it just feel like a little bit of an echo of his Florida turn? Uh, kinda. Yeah. Uh, results of this show, John Tatum over Kelly Kaneski, Scott Casey over Chris Adams by DQ, Iceman over Jack Victory, Ken Von Eric over Gina Hernandez, Grappler over Tommy Montana, Scott Casey over David DJ Peterson. What's a handsome match? Rit Root over Rip McCord, Chris Adams over Ken Von Eric, and Iceman and Carrie over Lewin and Gang by DQ. So TV taping. Okay, so... Rude, yeah, Rude and Percy coming in was a... I mean, that that was big to get them out of Florida and get them here, and this is, uh, you know, the na big national exposure for, for them. Well, that's where I was going with this, though. So, did, were Rude and Percy written out in Florida at all, or did they just disappear? Uh, I think they did lose their leaves. But when, since we just saw them? Oh, after this. After this. So yeah, after are, this. are they flying in just to shoot syndicated TV here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're just coming in for TV for a few weeks. They're doing the old school WWF thing. Yeah. I'll tell, I'll tell you real quick. Hold on. When Rue's last, uh, last match is in Florida. All right. Let me pull it up. All right. Rude. October the 25th. Loosely town. And guess who he lost to, Pix, in Daytona? Just take a guess. I'm trying to remember who he had been feuding with. Well, just take a, you know, just take a guess. Take a Florida guy's. No necessarily be somebody he feuded with, because it's not. No, it's not. They just all of a sudden did Loosely Town. Is this yeah. someone that was in the results earlier? Yes. Would that be Bahamas champion Tyree Pride? It sure would be. <laughs> How did I figure that out? <laughs> Tyree I think that Pride you were kind of implying it was a bit uh, left of center, I guess is how. Yeah, Tyree fucking Pride. So there you go. So yeah, they they stay another week in Florida and then go to Dallas full-time at, at the end of the month. But yeah, this is the big run they needed, and uh, they both did very, very well here. And R Rude's confidence, you can tell, goes up so much during this run. Oh yeah, well he had built up in Florida. Yes. But also, you watch him in you watch him in early Florida and watch him at the end of his Florida run. I mean, he's a guy that totally had transformed, and he's 
really one of the real headliners on the last big house this territory ever draws. Yeah. Even Brody is the big match at that Texas Stadium show in 86. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a major feather in his cap. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave knows that Chris and Gino look ridiculous under their mask. Dave sure they'll cost care of the world title when the bout with Flair comes up. Well, you ain't got to worry about that. Well, yeah. And, and I, the deal, though, with the I masks, like- though, which what the problem with it here was that Christian Gino's plan, and I think eventually they get unmasked when their hair is still growing back. Their plan was to just wear the mask until their hair was back. Yeah, that, I mean, when they got unmasked, I mean, they had a nice amount of hair on their head. They didn't have the, uh, they didn't have full their full heads of hair back, no. but they had they had hair. Yes. Oh, quite a bit. Which is. Not the best way to deal with that that uh, stipulation. Because they, they never got shaved bald. Yeah, when they the were ring. shaved in the ring, how much hair was left? Uh, I mean, there was there was a lot of baldness, but yeah, there was a lot of I mean, like the back hair, you know, as far as the right. backside. You of their could head. you saw them mostly bald, but the fans never got to see them after the job was completely finished off. Exactly. Yeah. And reneging on that stipulation, Bo, I mean, that's a, another issue that definitely could hurt a promotion. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's too bad they don't have a booker. Oh, God damn it, I screwed up. I was going to say, it's good they don't have a booker who's trying to sabotage them, right? <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, who, who knows how much Mantel's booking here? I mean, this is... Uh, uh, true, he was pretty... Uh, he was pretty, you know willing to let the guys with their own stuff so well uncle, uncle gary is, is still uh got a lot of his booking power here at this point well time, for so. his for his guys programs yes well, who's well who are part of his guys you know he's not managing them mark lewin one man gang chris gino all of the top heels yeah so chris gino is part of this whole deal too so he's, he, gary gary might be telling him that too well, Gary claimed in his book, he said that it was their idea and he didn't like it, He that he was angry at them over it. Which which does make sense, because what did Gary do? I mean, he shaved his head, and he For always life. showed it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that does make sense. Well, that's there. earlier in the year, too. So it's only a few months earlier. So to him, even though I don't think he said that, but it would track, he's probably also thinking this is cheapening what he did. Yeah. All right, um, as we continue on, Dave says, I don't think we'll be seeing Chris Von Erich wrestle just yet, but we will before the end of 1986, I think. No, it's not till, is it, it's not till 90, 19, right? 1990, yeah. And, okay, look, physically, clearly, his issues, whether with the brittle bones from the asthma medication or whatever, he was never going to have a, like a quote-unquote real wrestling career. I think one thing we should say, though, is, you know, even getting on the gas and stuff, you can tell over these next few years, boy, did Chris Von Erich work his ass off to get into great shape. He wanted to. He wanted to be in the business. Right. He's the one that he's of him and Mike. He's the one that really wanted it. Yeah. Go ahead, Bo. What were you saying? Oh, he wanted it bad. Yeah. He wanted to be like Karen. He he did. Yeah, 
Mike wasn't necessarily uh, not wanting to wrestle. He was just kind of ambivalent, right? No, he wanted to. He wanted to be in the production side of things. He wanted right, to do his right. thing. I mean, he wanted you, to be involved those, in wrestling, but he didn't want to be a wrestler. I mean, you watch World Class. I mean, in some of those early '83 shows and stuff, and he's listed in the credits as being one of the production people. Is Mike Von Erich or Mike Atkinson? Uh, Mike Atkinson. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Texas All-Star Wrestling. They ran San Antonio at the Freeman Coliseum on October 13th. We have J.R. Hogg going to a draw with Tom Jones. Mr. Ebony, not the singer. Corta Corcheco over Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell, Bo. That's a match. Uh, Mike Golden over Nick Kaniski. The Hoods, which was Ricky Santana and Tony Torres, over uh, Paul Diamond and Shawn Michaels, American Force. One of American. Dale Vizi <laughs> over Hector Guerrero. Because I said Dale Vizi. Uh, Guerrero. Alberto <laughs> Madrill over Scott Casey by disqualification. And then Big Bubba Ottman. Yes, Fred Ottman, Big Bubba. Over Killer Tim Brooks in a no DQ match. You you need Jim Powell on here sometime to talk about his time in Texas All Star and traveling with Fred Ottman. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Jimmy, I mean, he worked in world class too and in this time period. Yeah. He was bouncing around here and there and everywhere. Yep. He worked, All right, so- he worked for the Sheik in Detroit. He he worked uh you know, for Nick, he worked a lot of places that people don't realize that he worked. Yeah. He was a traveler. Central States, the big news is that the St. Louis Wrestling Club has gathered its resources and will promote a show on December 8th at the arena. The old Checker Dome. Dave has no de- details on this show. However, he's not sure what the rental at the arena was. Only that WF was losing money there. So they're going to have, to have a big one. And both Harley Race and Bruiser Brody will be in, in Japan on that date. What All right. A, what a what a great city for wrestling. Oh, yeah. And it just, by 90, it's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's been burnt out, you know, and uh, WWE burning out. They ran so much. And, of course, the, uh, the wrestling club didn't help each, didn't help the causes. All right, they did not run on December the 8th. They ran on November 29th at the Keel. So there you go. And it drew 5,000 fans with Flair and Dusty on top. They did run the arena on New Year's Day, 86, and it drew 3,600 with Flair and Harley on top. So, All right, the AWA, Mr. Electricity, Steve Dreglin, Gordon Jimmy Garvin are still the AWA Tag Champions as their September 29th decision with the Road Warriors wasn't reversed. It was explained that the cameraman who took the films of the match was focusing on Precious distracting the referee and Hawk beating up Regal and Miss Michael Hayes jumping on Animal, which led to the pinfall. Coincidentally enough, that's also a true story. <laughs> it is true. Anyway, yeah. the wrestling observer anyway, the wrestling observer isn't good enough for Stan. He's yet to see these things where he can reverse decisions. Stanley Blackburn. Uh, Dave was told that Garvin and Regal beat the roadies again on October 16th in Atlantic City with no interference. One would think the roadies will leave for Crockett, however, they aren't being pushed in that area. And are built for many future AWA shows. But just you wait, Dave. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that is a true story about the deal there with uh, Michael Hayes and all and being involved and how the camera missed it. So you don't you don't have that finish. So that was intentional, though. 
Yes, it was intentional. Yes, yeah, right. Everyone look that up on YouTube. They just zoom in to make it look like the Road Warriors lose clean because they just completely have the camera off the interference. Yes. And Regal and Garm are such an odd choice at this point. It's either be the tag champions. They're yeah. a makeshift team, you know, and they're beating the mighty Road Warriors. It's just an odd, odd choice. No, by the way, why were the AWA figureheads Texas guys first Blackburn, then Blanchard? Well, Stanley Blackburn was the was the figurehead. Well, I mean, as a figurehead guy from Texas, while the Carbo wasn't. True, but still, Blackburn was. I guess guy. Give a gra- I guess they can try to give it gravitas. Is that? But no one would know looking. who Blackburn was. They'd know who Blanchard was. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, he would be there eventually. So I don't know. Maybe Joe Blanchard didn't want to do it. You know? Well, they they had quit dealing with the AWA in 82. So there's that, too. When they wanted to go, when they started doing the USA Network, they quit dealing with AWA. I mean Blanchard later. Well, like I said, maybe he didn't want to be involved. Mm. I don't know. Well, Tully's in, Tully's in Crockett, so that could be a reason, too. I don't, I don't know. Kamala won't become here after all. Since Vern's already has one challenger, Stan Hansen won't lose and doesn't want another. Suppose that Kamala's walking out on Mid South has something to do with this. Yeah, we talked about Mulligan earlier and all the promotion he walked out on. Kamala uh, was setting records in 1985 on the amount of promotion he was walking out on, but. Oh, yeah. Yes. Crockett, Watts, uh, Central States. Uh, he walked out on. Oh man, he walked in some of his promotions. Walked out on twice. Yeah, you know, so he's a repeat offender in some cases. But God Lord, but he's Kabbalah, you know. And these places would bring him back, knowing what they're getting into because he's Kabbalah. I mean, the gimmick is a main event gimmick. Yeah. You, you could get forgiven a lot of times when you're a main event guy. Look at Austin Idol. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Dick the Bruiser promoted AWA versus WWE card on October 12th in Indianapolis, which drew only 1,000 fans. That, that was understandable because they announced the Raw Arena for three weeks as the arena they announced was the one that WF had a card in for the same week. So with the confusion, WF drew 8,000 fans <laughs> at Market Square Arena. Oh, my gosh. Then Spike Huber ran a show the same night as Bruiser with no TV and drew 200 fans. (laughs) D-I-V-O-R-C. They announced the wrong arena. Three weeks. How is that possible? See, WCW didn't invent this stuff, folks. (laughs) Right. Is Ken Mantell booking here, too? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, it's about to get better. Oh, I saw that. The, yeah. the attendance dip in Anchorage, Alaska continued on October 15th as they only had 1,400 show up, which was 1,200 less from their first show in August. Larry Haley did show up because of a shoulder injury. Rip Martell's show was different. That's while in Japan doing a press tour for his upcoming match player in all Japan. He lost his passport, went to the Canadian Embassy where he got some temporary papers, then got a flight to Seattle, but they wouldn't let him in because those papers only allowed him entry into Canada. Wow. Torberg 
who was the booker for this group, told the fans that Custis went and led him over the border. I'm sorry, there's no way that Torberg was the AWA booker at this time. No, the booker for the Anchorage crew, the Alaska crew. Oh, that he booked a tour paying the yes, AWA. He was, okay. He was, yeah. he was the promoter for the tour. So this is Torberg. Well, also, wasn't Torberg working in the office anyway? Yeah, and I'm not done yet either, by the way. <laughs> As uh, let me, uh, I, I put it below the the results here. I need to push it up uh, to this because it uh, relates to this. Speaking of Torberg, he tried to get JCP to send some talent for his shows, but he felt their demands were too high. Well, we know what that deal was. They wanted to have half the show. Yes, and he's like, no, it's a sold show. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a sold show. That's not how that works, Jim. <laughs> oh, me. All right, attendance at Salt Lake, though, bounced back from 960, which is insane for that for that town, to the, the last yeah. show, to 3,520 for the show on October 15th, where Crusher, Blackwell, and Drew, and Sardis Slaughter were no shows. The announcement was made. The fans booed the announcer out of the arena. The excuse they were given was they were fogged in in Portland. The card they worked in Portland was on September the 24th. The fans chanted, Fatwell, Fatwell. And a number of them went to get their money back. I want to be told there were no refunds. Um, Chris, should I explain why this is particularly bad? Sure. Jerry Blackwell was the draw for them in Salt Lake in this era. Yes. And... Uh, so so they they basically just started to kill their one last really good town. Yes. AWA everybody. <laughs> Eric and wouldn't give the refunds. Best. Yeah. And then but wouldn't give refunds, Bo. Carter's not... stubby to change. Yeah, but still, that's not what cards are yeah. to change change means. Cards up to change would cover an actual flight issue. I know yeah. that, but... Um, wow. <laughs> oh, oh that, uh, oh, that reminds me... Oh, I lost track of... Uh, I was losing train of thought of what I was about to say. I've brought this up once or twice before on here, and I really don't think it gets brought up enough. Of your major big money territories, or maybe we should say the promoters of your major big money territories... Vern Gagne was by far the carniest. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not close. Oh, yeah. You know, like, well, if LaBelle had a bigger territory, you know, if he had a bigger money territory, LaBelle would be up there, but he didn't. You know, when you think about the other big cities, Dallas wasn't like this. No. No, the NWA had the, had the worst stories. Yeah. Absolutely. And the bullshit even, you know, extended to just the on-air stuff, too. Like, all the weird vacated title stuff. No, I don't think it comes off well that you strip the tag titles from the High Flyers because Jim Brunzel is vacationing in Europe. <laughs> That's a very creative way of doing that, yes. <laughs> He's on vacation, he can't... I'm... I remember the first time I read that in the PWI Almanac, I was like, what? <laughs> you keep seeing the tag titles getting vacated, and it's weird enough, and then it's like, Jim Runzel was vacationing in Europe. Insane. 
Anyway, results from the Salt Palace. Yes, in front of the 35-20. Jimmy Garvin over Buck Zumhoff. Steve Rigo over Jerry Oski. Stan Hansen over Kevin Kelly. Yeah, nails. Brad Rangins over Borda Zukov. Nick Buttwinkle and Greg Gagne went to a 20-man draw. And Stan Hansen won a 16-man $100,000 Battle Royal. A Battle Royal was spent over 28 minutes. So there you go. Salt Lake City. Mad Dog Bashan, who still works for WF, worked the NWA show in Winnipeg on October 18th. Timmy mm-hmm. and Nick Botwinkle has turned babyface here, beating Chris Markoff and Boris Zukov. The big deal here is that Botwinkle and Blackjack Lands have taken over Winnipeg recently, and they booked Bashan, not Byrne, who won't take him back because they're left for the WF. Another bout Candy Devine lost the women's title to Sherry Martell. She also lost the same title in Chicago, but apparently we won it either in the ring or in a card game. Dave's not sure. Says Candy defended it in Anchorage two days earlier and retained it. Other bouts, which shows Mad Dog's presence and Nick being a babyface draw for all the fans. Uh, had Scott Hall beaten Steve Regal, Jimmy Garvin over Buddy Lane, Kelly Kaniska over the Iron Duke, Jim Mitchell, and Stan Hansen beat three guys, Brian Jewell, Ed Wilson, and Mike Phillips, and Larry Zabisco over Baron Von Raschke. Injured 35-28. Yes, Winnipeg, it, it was not an AWA town. It wasn't an office town. No, it was Wally Carbo and Black Jet Lanza's town, and Botwinkle was part of it, too, at this point in time. But it's mainly Lanza and Carbo. Yeah. And with Dave saying Mad Dog was still working for the WWF since he's not wrestling at the time, I presume it's doing the brunch with Mad Dog, Piper's Pit, etc. Oh, he's wrestling. Segments for... Are you sure? I'm not seeing any real results for him in 86, that in the WWF at least. Oh, don't worry. We have him coming up in the next section. Well, the WWF section coming up in the notes, Bix. We He's do. working during our week. Yes. Okay, it's not on wrestling data, surprisingly. Because usually WWF stuff is What? There. What have I said about the No, eyes? but the WWF stuff is usually there, is what I mean. <laughs> if someone's working no if someone's working a regular schedule for the wwf chris it's usually up there he's working october 13th in bloomington minnesota beating tiger chung lee but you understand he works what october i'm saying 14th. right he works october 14th in milwaukee at the mecca i'd expect to see a trace of him though <laughs> not well, only having a handful of matches listed for the whole year that's what i'm saying again Again? So what talent well, was he working then? Because the history of WWE doesn't even really have anything. Bloomington, Minnesota, Milwaukee. I just called it out. No, I mean anything else. He's on the same sound. Uh, he's it, no, he's in the markets that he would be working in. Okay, yeah. but still, his primary job is probably doing the TV interview talk show segments, right? I guess, but I mean, he's still working. He's still a active wrestler. But I'm saying brunch with the Mad Dog was still, I think, a thing on the French-Canadian TV at the time. I guess. He's working in December at the Met, Met Center in Bloomington, December 28th. Yeah. Uh, he's on Piper's Pit and on the December uh, December 28th episode of Championship Wrestling. And meanwhile, uh, he's also working for International, but they're working together at this time. Uh, he's, uh, he's working in January 86. His last WWF match uh, was February 24th in Montreal. 
Okay. He went to Cedar Rapids, Iowa on the 5th, February 15th, 86, against Paul Christie. Hmm. So, yeah, he was working into February 86. Oh, I'm an idiot. I cl- my finger slipped. I clipped the. I, I hovered and clicked on the 86 link and said 85. That's why I got confused. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. Um, so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, yeah, this Winnipeg stuff aired on TSN. It's really fun stuff. It's different because it's not your traditional AWA you know, presentation. And, uh, yeah, Bob, this is Bob Winkle's, he turns Bayface here first before he turns Bayface in, uh, in America. And he got over and the fans were into it, which leads to Dave talking about this. Dave assumes Bob Winkle had a falling out Ray Stevens this winter as Dave figured that's what Ray was brought back for. Originally, Bob Winkle was the fall of Bobby Heenan last winter, but Heenan left for the WF where it could happen. Hmm. That would have been interesting. A few we didn't get. Babyface and Bot Wingle against Bobby Heenan. It definitely would have been interesting, especially for the promos. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Greg Boyd and Leon White is uh, very high on AWA's radar right now. Uh, they're ex football players and both have been working in Battle Royals recently. Well, Greg Boyd basically faded away from the business, but that Leon White, I think he ended up doing pretty good. I think he did well. Smells bad, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Possible. But well, there you his go. gear smells bad. Um, Yeah, Greg Boyd. Here's the thing, though. Leon White was going to build for being Los Angeles Rams. My favorite was they would say he was a first-round draft pick, which was completely false. He was like uh, the last round. I think it was the 12th round draft pick of the Rams. Uh but Greg Boyd actually had an NFL career. He actually played in the NFL. So, yeah, all these guys, all these guys that were talked about being NFL players, well, Greg Boyd actually did play in the NFL. So, in fact, he was an Atlanta Falcon at one point in time. And also complicating this is that uh, there's another Leon White that plays in the NFL a few years later. After wait, later. <laughs> yeah, and he's black, so there's a big difference there between those two. <laughs> He played for the Bengals. So, yeah. Oh, so Big he definitely there. never would have been brought into the AWA, though. <laughs> no. Uh, Scott Hall has great potential. He's bigger than Hulk Hogan, has a lot better physique, and is better looking as well. He can't wrestle, but he's about as good as Hogan was at the same stage of his career. Yes. But what did you think about the, the magazine push of Scott Hall in this era? You know, he was he was definitely getting uh, getting the run. Yeah, I I had seen him here as uh, American Starship. Yeah. And then, you know, they didn't do much with him, but he was green as could be. And then all of a sudden, he's in every magazine. And then I saw him on Burns TV. You know, it, I mean, it took him a while to get there, but he got there. Oh, he sure did. And by the way, real quick, we should make a distinction with Vader, since we were talking about the football stuff and, you know, and that kind of thing in more detail earlier. He was more than a training camp guy. He was on the regular season roster, but he was on the injured reserve most of the season, but he was on the team and got an NFC championship, right? Yeah, but he's, again, when you but go to pro football. But he didn't play football, in any actual games, right? You go to pro football, right? You wouldn't even know he was in, even that way because they only put people that played. On the Pro Football References uh, website. Right. So. right, but the difference between him and the people we talked about earlier is that he was actually on the team roster. 
Yeah, just on injured reserve. All right, uh, Masaino was turned down his request for parole and will have to serve at least until next fall for another hearing. Dave was given reports to say he had been a model prisoner and was the nature of this crime, which is why he was turned down. Campatera has been less than a model prisoner. He was recently transferred to a maximum security prison and will almost surely spend his entire two-year sentence behind bars. Gee, I would have never thought that. You have such a wonderful attitude. Campatera being unstable? Come on now. I So... Just to add to what's here, because I remember looking this stuff up when Saido died and I wrote that article about it. They were at like a like a work farm initially. Like they, they were at either a minimum or medium security facility. It, you know, on in the grand grand scheme of prison, it was not that bad. And Vadera fucked it up for himself. Shocking. Uh, um off the air, I have a recent Ken Patera story. Oh, okay. Well, there you go, folks. You know what my favorite Ken Patera is just a curmudgeon story is, though? Him putting his phone number on Facebook because he doesn't know how it works and people were calling him? No. So there's a grain of salt to a degree because of who's telling this, but I, I kind of believe it. Not really, I, I but... It it sounds in character for Ken Patera. So there were some kind of profiles of wrestlers on the other arena website back in the day. Most people used it for the forum, but they had wrestler profiles too. And apparently Ken Patera took issue with his in how it made it sounded like his career ended and somehow got Frank Jewett's phone number and called him to complain while making scrambled eggs, if I remember right. <laughs> Just watch Ken's shooter interview with Feinstein. It's a hoot. Oh gosh, yes it is. <laughs> oh, that's I haven't seen the whole thing, but that's like oldie level telling Feinstein to shut up. Oh, it's just amazing. No, that's just amazing. I get him drunk too. It's amazing. Oh, oh yeah, Saido was a model prisoner though. He basically became the personal trainer for a bunch of the inmates and was teaching them how to cook Japanese food and stuff. Like he. He took it seriously and did his best with it. Yeah. All right, Portland, October 19th at Sports Arena. We have Ed Waskowski over Steve Pardee, which just should be the Mega Maharishi gimmick of Ed Waskowski. Tom Zink over Timmy Flowers. Chris Colt going to a draw with Scott Doring. Joseph Odie and Steve Simpson over Mike Miller and Moondal Moretti. And Ricky Vaughn over Bobby Jaggers by disqualification in your main event. And Savolti and Simpson here, I believe, are the original version of the SNS Express, right? That's right, yes. Which Savolti would also have with Vic Steamboat and... Of course he did. Well, who else would you expect him to have it with? <laughs> and didn't he... Did he ever have a version with Eric Sprayshire or anything like that, too? Uh, that's your that's your uh, hero's picks, the New I York mean, I hero. I usually remember Eric Sprecia teaming with Phil Apollo as the dynamic duo, but I feel like there's at least a th there's a third SNS Express. You know, as much as uh, Bo pines about you know Tennessee heroes, and I have Georgia heroes, you 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 got to pine for your uh, New York heroes picks. He's from New Jersey, though. Yeah, but I see they've been a lot of shows in New York. Though. That's where uh, home, home, almost home base. So No, Parsippany's the home base. Well, close enough. When you ring the doorbell, it plays the line. It's all the tonight. same to us, bitch. 
<laughs> what was that, Bo? I said, said it's all the same to us. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Portland is... I feel like they're better than they were earlier in the year at this time, but things are about they're to They're better than they're going to be. Yeah. 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 Oh. Oh. Yeah, this looks like uh, Mid-South compared to what's about to be in uh, six to eight months. But also, uh, but it's all, but it's also better than a Bob Della Sarah past his prime as an evil German as the top heel too. <laughs> yeah, he's just doing that gimmick in Japan now. So <laughs> great. All right, let's close out by going to the World Wrestling Federation. WF has big pay-per-view shows set for more than 100 cable companies with pay-per-view capabilities on November 7th in Chicago. They've won a bid against the WF being successful, and the Rolls-Royce giveaway, which is actually legit, has undoubtedly caused a furor as well. However, as a whole, pay-per-view for sports has been a miserable flop. The only pay-per-view event which has ever been successful on more than a local basis was the Sugar and Leonard Thomas Hearns boxing match in 1981. WF is great at hype, but there is no way they can hype an event to those kinds of proportions. The most recent review event, a tennis match involving Bobby Riggs and Vetus Gerolitis against Martina Navratilova and Pam Shriver, which I had no knowledge of this, lost to promoters a big bundle. However, again, Dave sure Hogan and Piper have tons more appeal than any tennis match. Dave told Crockett will also test the pay-per-view waters with the Starcade show, which... Does not happen as far as we know, but yes. it, would, it would not be the most shocking thing in the world if some random cable company had it, though. No. You know, Mania, you know, we found ads and we know it aired on pay-per-view in yeah. various ways. But um, also, like, we should note, too, with this, it's very unclear, even in the limited homes, what... WrestleMania had done on pay-per-view earlier in the year because I've seen numbers, I think it was like a Channels Magazine article from the 80s that said it did 100,000 buys, which sounds very unrealistic. And I just happened to find over the weekend before we recorded this, oh, I forget what the name of the thing was from. They weren't like an entertainment trade, but it was like this place that does research papers and stuff, and they interviewed Meltzer and they did an article, I think, in 91 about pay- pay-per-view and its growth that said that the first WrestleMania did 30,000 buys, which seems a lot more believable, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and pay-per-view is just so early in, in the stage here that, I mean, Bo, I mean, you, you could try it out here, but you got to understand what your, what, what your ceiling is at this point in time for running pay-per-view. I think, yeah. they, I think they knew that. Yeah. We didn't get pay-per-view until 89. I never, well, I've told this story before on the show. I never had it until I got direct TV in December 96. Huh. Yeah. Because I didn't, I mean, my cable company had it, but I didn't have the, the box to get it, but we did have the scrambled channels. So at times you could, I mean, you could hear stuff, but at times you could. Yeah. They, they, you would hear the pre-show let's put it that way you'd hear the pre-show and then once the pre-show was over with you didn't hear anything else mm-hmm. um, I want to add a couple things from some of the trades here it's not necessarily from our week but it's the coverage of this you know coming up around it 
So Broadcasting, the Future Broadcasting and Cable, in their September 16th issue has this little blurb. Uh, World Wrestling Federation announced a series of five pay-per-view events to be packaged under the title WrestleVision. New York-based Video Techniques, Inc. is marketing WrestleVision to cable operators and coordinating satellite transmission. WWF said suggested retail price of uh, $12 per event will be split evenly between WWF and the cable operator, with a minimum of $6 going to the promoter-slash-programmer. Showtime Pay-Per-View has signed up for all five events to be offered on systems uh, representing 460,000 addressable homes. In addition, they also signed up various others they mentioned. Uh, The first event is Thursday, November 7th. So, yeah, it was a Thursday. And it will include top WWF names, including Hulk Hogan. Four other events are scheduled for next January, March, May, and August. And outside of WrestleMania, they don't run another pay-per-view for two years. Yep. And then the other thing here, we had an article from... The November 1st, hold on, which trade is this again? It doesn't say, I have to scroll down. This is, oh, cable television business. All right. Uh, anything extra we've got here? Let me zoom in a little bit. Uh, yeah, so Showtime again saying 460,000 homes. Oh, here we go. Vince McMahon, president of Titan Sports, which produces and distributes WWF products, says pay-per-view events in general should be carefully selected. Pay-per-view's image suffered setbacks this summer with disappointing results for both an exhibition tennis match and a rock and roll revival. Me, is it me or does it feel like Dave read this article? Probably. <laughs> uh, not doing closed circuit. They're specifically mentioning that here. Uh, oh, not to offer the event closed circuit where cable operators plan to offer it for addressable subs. So I guess that meant they were wanting to do it in places where they didn't have pay-per-view coverage. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So I get... I don't know if we've ever had a real buy figure for this show, have we? I don't remember seeing one. It must have done very badly, though, for them to completely drop their plans. Yeah. Well, it's it was an interesting a, show. It was a big show, too. It was Thursday night or something like that. Yeah, so, and it's a tournament plus Hogan Piper. And... Okay, it's been a while since I've watched any of that TV. How much did they even hype Hogan Piper on TV? Little. It was mainly about the Rolls Royce in the tournament. That's, That's main, weird. The main... Yeah, I mean, they mentioned Hogan and Piper, yeah, but it was the tournament and the Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royce mainly was getting more coverage than the tournament was. Yes. All right. The other big news from WF comes from Japan. Real quick, I'm just not thinking about it. Bo, that's something. Uh, WS stealing uh, the uh, the southeastern car gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A Rolls Royce is, is is better than in a van. <laughs> when you when you come in, you put your name in the box of the wrestler that you think is going to win the tournament. <laughs> oh man! But they actually did give away the Rolls Royce to the fan, though. So there yeah. is that. This isn't a southeastern deal where. The, the the wrestler didn't actually win the vehicle, so there you go. And the mink coat always went to a woman with the last name Welch for some reason. <laughs> or Thank fields you. or golden or... <laughs> yeah. The other big news from WF comes from Japan. It looks like Vincent Company are go- said to go in Japan on their own next year. As I mentioned earlier, Andre and Adonis were both pulled from the tag tournament next month. 
almost everyone's theorized today that if McMahon takes his circus troupe into Japan, where he would use the Women's Federation promoters as the local promoters, Matsunaga Brothers, that he will lose a bundle fast. Actually, Dave thinks it's success or failure depends on a lot on where they can get a network TV deal there. Without TV, yes, he'll be a failure as any promotion would be in the U.S. They wouldn't be surprised to see his brand of wrestling if they pulled the same tricks they do here, completely rejected by the Japanese. However, they may have many good wrestlers in the contrast, several of whom can draw in Japan, like Terry Funk, Hulk Hogan, Ricky Steamboat, and the like. In addition, raiding Bob and Anoki stables could give them some native stars. Competing with Bob and Anoki in such a small country may run down the entire business over there. The real key is McMahon's ability to get network TV. Here we go again, Bix. Don't <laughs> Japan in the 80s. It's a mid-80s observer, so you know what that means. It's And, and it goes for years. And this is something they they des- I mean they desperately wanted to do, but never did it. And then the only time, the first time they actually do it on their own is a decade after they started talking about it. And then when they decide that they finally create their own uh, Japanese office, they kill it. Which NXT one are Japan. we talking about? Oh, that NXT okay. Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, because you were privy to some of these, people do not realize the insane rumors that were floating around when NXT Japan was going to be a thing. Like, clearly uh, they were bullshit, but remember, like, the roster of people who they allegedly secretly signed and stuff? Well, it wasn't just secretly signed. It was that pe- people that were going to work there, you know? Um, Junakayama was mentioned. Marafuji. Sekimoto, I mean, of course. Yeah, Sakamoto, of course. Yeah, so. Yeah, for those who don't know, when Sakamoto did the uh, did that indie weekend, God, that's that two years ago or three years ago now. Um, that he, I believe, was in the country specifically to meet with WWE. Yeah. So you know, beyond GCW, ICW, whoever, they didn't have to pay for his flight or anything. Yeah. All right, uh, Dave says, actually, I don't have much news from here. Paul Love and Bob Orton were both fined, and Dave believes Orton was suspended, steering from a chair throwing an incident in Pittsburgh. The suspension only applies to Pennsylvania. However, the October 26th Spectrum main event, Bruno and Orndorf against Orton and Piper in the cage, hasn't been changed. And the main event of that show ends up being, in practice, Bruno and Orndorf versus Orton and Piper in a cage. And isn't that funny how that works, Bo? When it's time to you know have a big main event on the show that's gonna call you know make some money, we'll look we'll we'll look past that. Yeah, it's it's the commissions because they get their their checks. James J. Bins, brother. Bo, I know you're a big fan of the commissions. They they just they're out to grab your money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think Frank Talent gave everyone a speech before the show? Biggest crowd we've ever had in this building. No brawling in the crowd. Yeah. Now, regarding Barry Windham, as we talked about earlier in Florida, Dave said, that's okay. If Windham's really gone, they will still build him in every city for six weeks. They still can't figure out why at this time any wrestler would leave WF. The money's good. The fame is great, as you'll get in this business. Travel's tough, but the work gets too dangerous, at least in comparison to other areas. For the most part, you play before big crowds to stay at first-rate hotels, which is different from many other groups. Besides, Wyndham is important to WF because he feels a demographic category, which would be void without him. 
It'll also make Rotunda worthless. No jokes, please. Growls are generally good here, but there are exceptions. Okay, who is feeding misinformation to Dave about WWE covering the well WWF covering the hotels? Hmm. That's weird, right? I I don't know. Yeah. Basically, Wyndham's homesick. I mean, that's why he went. Plus, his dad's you know back in in there, so in Florida. So I mean, yeah, we talked about earlier. I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, just that simple. He was he had a Jack Briscoe moment, basically. Well, and he he and Rotunda were being phased out anyway, or phased down at least. And everybody that worked there during that time had at least one breakdown somewhere on the road where they just like, I can't go on. Well, yeah, something we should stress because this is not nearly as well known as it should be. Is this? Um, it's not until 1988. Forget how far into the year. I think it's after WrestleMania. The the company is even paying for flights home. You are responsible for getting yourself home. That is maybe the biggest contributor to those endless runs some wrestlers would go on. When you hear guys say I was on the road for 30 days, they weren't necessarily working dates on 30 consecutive days. They were on the road continuously for 30 days because it cost less to get a motel room for a night or two than it did to fly home. Especially for people who live further away like Bret Hart. So, well, And you got doing, they're doing double shots, you know, on the weekends and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's grueling. And that's why a lot of these guys were going to drugs. And they were on the first flight of the morning every morning. Yeah. Uh, so they were at the arena still late, the end of the room, very little sleep at the airport by four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and repeat. Yeah. And there was no real routing or anything to. No. So, by the way, at least newspaper wise, looking at newspapers dot com, it does not look like they false advertised Wyndham for weeks. No, it wasn't long. They did it for like a maybe a week or two. But yeah, like you just see it go straight into Florida clippings and stuff. Yeah. You know, and also remember, he is on the November Saturday night's main event around the beginning of the month. So they're also hyping that up and sort of obscuring that he's left. Yeah. On top of everything else. But so his last date was when? Um, It was... In October, um, because we're about to talk about him not showing up, coming up. Okay. So. And when is when does the match where he returns with the bandaged eye and they come out to Real American, that, that the last weekend of TV for the month of October? Mm, I, I don't know. Okay. Um. I... I'd love to see what the alternate universe where he sticks around there looks like. Or even one where Rotunda doesn't come in and he gets his singles push that was originally planned. Yeah. All right, Wyndham's last uh, TV was October the 12th. Tape or air? Air. Okay, um... Which is right for our week. Day four. Right, okay, so yeah, looking at Cage Match real quick, the title change of the Spectrum was... Uh, August 24th, 
He takes a month off, returns at the Poughkeepsie tapings on October 1st. That's where they get the real American entrance. And at least for shows we have results for... His last result is October, yeah, October 16th in Buffalo is at least what's on Cage Ranch. And what date did you say? Or you just uh, last TV? Oh, his last TV appearance is October the 12th. Um, what did you say was Buffalo on 16th. what day? 16th. Okay. All right. Yeah. That sounds right. Now, his first uh, Florida booking on record is October 22nd in Tampa. So, but, but he appeared on the TV. So he, I think he did like a thing, an angle on the TV. So his first Florida appearance, well, no, he couldn't have been because that would have been on the 16th. But anyway, he, he's in Florida on the 22nd working in Tampa. So. Yeah. And at least on newspapers.com, obviously I didn't check the other sites. The only clipping I can find for him after he walks out promoting him is for the Keel Auditorium show on the 25th. Yeah. So, at least in this era, they're proven Dave wrong. But that obviously would change. Yeah. All right, Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, October 13th, for the 17,000 fans. Wow. Shown live on closed circuit TV across Southern Ontario, Eastern Michigan, and Western New York. I'd love Featuring to see clippings from that. Yeah. Um... Gorilla and Jesse on commentary. Uh, this is the result. I mean, all these matches aired on primetime or All-American except for one, the main event. Uh, uh, no, two, the tag titles didn't air. Yet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the rest of them all aired on the same episode of primetime on November 19th. Which I love that. Um, but, oh, uh, when they did one episode in the, sa- in the same. Well, uh, I just love showing these, showing these different matches. That's one thing about... Both, I love them about probably primetime and All-American and stuff like that, is you would see the matches from the arenas. Yeah. And Toronto with a big ramp. It gave it that different... It's a different look. And a Crockett run. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, Scott McGee or Barry O in your opening match. Uh, Tony Parisi of Rene Gallet. That's a Canadian match. Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov over Corporal Kircher and George Animal still by disqualification. Iron Mike Sharper over Special Delivery Jones. Terry Funk over Steve Gatorwolf. I hope he punched him in the eye many times in that match. They attack titles the Dream Team, retain them over British Bulldogs. Tino Bravo over Mr. X. And WF Hitway title, Hulk Hogan retained over Randy Savage, which that's the house. And that's got, that's one of their very first matches. Yeah, so early, early match in the run. Yes, and I looked this up pretty recently. This feud, in all of its iterations in the WWF, especially early on, but even later, might be the closest to we sold out every night that there's ever been. Oh, it was that was a big money feud for Hogan and Savage. Absolutely, I mean it's insane in all of their incarnations. Everything we have attendance for, pretty much, is like sold out or ninety percent full. Yeah, all their incarnations, whether it be this incarnation in '86, both CM in '87, and in Bristol, I mean in '89, I mean all the incarnations, they they did very well, very 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 well. 
And Bo, I mean, it's an easy match to go to, and people want to see it. Yeah. And and you believe that Savage had a chance of beating him every night. Yeah, because it kept Savage so strong. Yeah. And because he's also just such a superior athlete to just about everyone else on their TV, especially heels. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, there's another crew out that night. Bloomington, Minnesota at the Met Center, 2600 on October 13th. Tony Gurria over Steve Lombardi. Jim Neidhart over Cousin Jr. Oh, here we go. Uncle Elmer over Big John Stud by disqualification. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Mad Dog Sean over Tiger Chung Lee. Sure. Andre the Giant over King Kong Bundy. Would you say that would be a colossal jostle? <laughs> All these matches are something else. And then we get Jim Brunzel or Bret Hart, which that could have been really good. You mean White Bear Lake, Minnesota's Jim Brunzel? Yes, and then Ricky Steamboat and Tito Santana over Magnificent Morocco and Mr. Fuji in your main event. I wonder what's up with Tito teaming with Steamboat here instead of JYD, because JYD was his partner around the horn for these matches. Well, here's a reason why. Let's go to Montreal on October 14th in front of uh, 18,000 fans at the Forum. Wow. Barry Windham might return, then Ivan Pusky did not appear as advertised. We have Corporal Kirshen over Rene Goulet. Joe LaDuke over Special Delivery Jones. Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov over Scott McGee and Tony Parisi. Randy Savage over SUNY Warcloud. Yeah, some of the Montreal guys are working. Tito retained that title over Iron Mike Sharp. Junkyard Dog over Terry Funk. Which, if we look at the results here, um, JYD may have been somewhere else. I don't know, on the 13th. Uh, and then the Dream Team over Dino Bravo and King Tonga to retain the tag titles in the main event. So, yeah, we got our mix of Montreal locals and WF guys here on this show. 18,000 fans of the forum. Because this is during the per- period, the very brief period, where uh, they're co-promoting with uh, Promotions Varasak International. And, and notice who's not on this show, Hogan. He worked Toronto, but he's not in Montreal. But he's not in Milwaukee, because that's where the other crew's at. Yeah, and he, has he established himself as a draw in Montreal yet, or is that still to come? I mean, he had done it, but yeah, it's not like what it would be. But yeah, I mean, I don't know where he would be at on this day. But anyway, Milwaukee, the Mecca, in front of 7,000 fans. We have Tony Atlas over Tucker Chun Lee. Jesse Ventura over Tony Gurria, subbing for George Wells. Mad Dog Vachon over Tom Rocky Stone, subbing for the missing link. Cousin Junior and Uncle Elmer over Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, the Hart Foundation. Wow. Vanessa Morocco, Ricky Steele by DQ, and Andre the Giant Hibbley Jim over Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy in your main event. And in Quebec City, at Colisade at Quebec on October 16th, Tony Atlas over Tiger Chung Lee, Corporal Kirshner over Rene Goulet, Joe LaDuke over Steve Gator Wolf Biggs, Nikolai Volko over Ivan Putsky, Big John Studd over Denise Goulet, something for Paul Lorndorf, Andre over King Kong Bundy and the Hart Foundation over Tino Bravo and King Tonga. You skipped the match. Oh, Tito Ryan Sheet retained IC title. Thank you. And in Landover, Maryland, at Cap Center on October 18th, we have the Spider Lady over Susan Starr, Lanny Poff over Barry O, Adrian Adonis over Rip McGraw, SD Jones over Terry Gibbs, Corporal Kirshner over Moondog Spot, Nikolai Volkov over Jose Luis Rivera, someone for George Wells. 
The Heart Foundation over Killer Bees. Morocco over Steam by DQ. Tito Santana with a spoiler. Still working shots here. And a $15,000 by Sam Johns for the World Heavyweight title. Hulk Hogan retained over Big John Stud by Countout. And then Denver in Nichols Arena October 19th. Les Thornton over Jose Luis Rivera. Adrian Adonis over Steve Gatorwolf. Bob Orton Jr. over Lanny Poffo. Uncle Elmer Hillbilly Jim over the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Dream Team retained the world tag titles, beating Mike Rotundo and Mr. Wrestling number two. Something for Barry Windham. And Andre the John over King Kong Bunny by disqualification. All right, Bo, what are your thoughts on uh, some of this stuff we just went down here? You definitely wanted to be in the A-Towns. <laughs> and a lot, you know, a lot of no-shows. Yes. And, but, I mean, they're going so hard at this point in time, it's expected. Guys are freaking out. Guys are hurt. Uh, there's no time. I mean, it's just you got to make the town. And that could have been thing with JYD. He meant they may give him a day off. You know? Yeah. I mean, he could he could have still been around, but they may just give him a day off and work the next day. You know? I, I, but I, I think here too, there's definitely three towns running tonight. I'm just checking. from how guys guys are showing at different places. Um, History of I mean, WWE only has uh, Toronto and Minneapolis for the 13th, at least. Yeah, th- th- there's only two crews here at this time. So th- they're, they're probably giving people some, some days off. Because Cincinnati was on the 18th with, with Landover. Um, yeah. Rochester and Lowell, Massachusetts. And, well, wait a minute. I was wrong. Salisbury, Maryland, Lowell, Massachusetts, and Rochester all ran the same day on October 17th. So there are those dimes. And three yeah. separate crews? Yeah. Then you got Buffalo, White Plains, and Quebec City on the 16th. Yeah. Yeah, they always had three crews running at, at this time. We just didn't always... We don't always have the results. Right. Which I find... Believe me, I'm finding a lot on them. Yeah. Things. A lot. Yeah. yeah. That stuff that's not, that wasn't around. So... Found a lot of a lot of attendance, uh, uh, right attendance numbers too, contradicting some of these attendances that we had reports of over the years. That and were uh, clearly estimates as opposed to uh, clearly estimates and lowballing. Let's put it that way on a lot of them too. WF did a lot more business than people thought. Let's put it that way. Yes, and uh, real quick, we should note too that for those of you who may have skipped the uh, international section, we do talk about the WWF show in Puerto Rico with the rainstorm there. Because it's yes, head to so head with a double double C show. Yes, that's why it's there. All right, George Wells is apparently up the World Wrestling Federation. So he's missed all of his recent bookings. No, it's just George Wells. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's going through George Wells things at this time. He's back. He had some issues. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, Richmond, of course, we talked about them and Crockett earlier. Only draw two thousand fans. Well, there's a promotional war in Richmond as WF is uh, heating it up as the NBC affiliate has picked up both WTV shows. And of course this would lead to the whole arena situation coming up where um, they're trying to get exclusivity on the Coliseum. Yes. It was uh, going on all the way back to 1959. Yep. There was, there was a thing when I was doing uh, research for the sixties that it came up uh, 
I just found something from 59, so I went back through it because the office then was in D.C. Crockett's also running uh, Richmond through uh, what was the promoter's name? Um, Joe Mernick. No, 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 before him. Um, before Joe Mernick in Richmond? The guy, that gave the, the guy that gave the pony away. Joe Mernick had Richmond forever. Now, yeah, but... This, but but anyways, they were they were fighting over Richmond then, and the commission got involved, and because there was a law then that only one promoter could run the city, and they were trying to get that changed so the Capital Sports, which became the WWF, could run Richmond as well. So the Crockett's and the McMahon's war goes way back than most people even know yeah it's a long time and then they made peace though and were sort of kind of not exactly working together on the dc virginia corridor because you know when uh elephant boy why am i forgetting his first oh uh bill all of us gets into his issues yeah as far as um with trying to promote towns it's vince crockett senior and bill lewis in virginia who worked a bill lewis bill lewis yeah yeah okay where was that a minute ago bix (laughs) (laughs) i had to research it i'm sorry yeah because everything, everything you see is that, that it's just Joe Mernick. And then yeah. I did, went to my spot where I knew I would find the right result. So, And they were running uh, at that. The Coliseum hadn't even been built then, I don't think. They were running the fairground. Richmond Arena. Richmond Arena. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and people, and too, a lot of people don't realize that Crockett went into New York City opposition. Yep. Oh, Crockett and... Well, it was Crockett was running more upstate in Buffalo, but I think he ran like one show in conjunction with who was it, Pfeffer at the Garden? Well, they were running Sunnyside Garden opposition. Oh, really? And and had and had TV in New York City. Yeah, I knew they had TV. I think right because Crockett was building around uh, Rocca as the star. Yes. There you go, folks. Learn stuff all the time. I knew that, but yeah, that's not, that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. I'd love to know how much Vince's dad told him about that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, random thing I just found digging around on ProQuest. Wrestling Classic started at eight thirty p.m. on a Thursday. Yes. Kind of strange. Wow. Yeah. It was only ten bucks though. Yeah, it wasn't expensive. All right, uh, let's close out with our only clip here. And we always like to play the Piper's Pits from this era. So let's go to uh, Roddy Roddy Piper along with uh, Madame Samarako and Mr. Fuji. I wonder if anyone's going to wind up here as the owner of a lonely heart. (laughs) Perhaps the owner of a broken heart. Let's sit down. We don't need this one here. 
I just watched Rick and Steamboat in there, and first of all, not only was it distasteful and disgusting to watch him, and for you to have to even put your hands on him and wrestle him, I can imagine, but the illegal things that they are allowing Steamboat to get away with, the illegal kicks, the illegal karate moves, or whatever you call it that he's doing, in my mind, is just a bunch of baloney, and it should be banned, and I think, I think it's... That's what makes you a wrestling genius. That's what makes you an expert in the sport of professional wrestling today. Do you understand that? Because you can realize that this man is nothing but a cheat and a slut. But, but, all the illegal moves in martial arts that there are, everything you have possibly done, every counter, I have the sensei in my corner. The master of martial arts, Mr. Fuji, the greatest man to ever step from the land of the rising sun. Isn't that right, Mr. Fuji? Hey, you, Ricky Steamboat. I, Mr. Fuji, master of martial arts. Would each of you a challenge? Challenge of the martial arts. I'm high just watching that. <laughs> Why am I scratching That's... my nose all of a sudden? <laughs> that is four guys right there you would not want to face. Oh, no. <laughs> In different ways. No. Yeah. Oof. And Ivan there... Morocco were big time buddies. Yes. Why is there a mirror on my bed all of a sudden? <laughs> Piper Morocco and Orton definitely had, I mean there's the history there of those three uh, running together especially in Fresno, California yeah. <clears throat> and after they're done with you Fuji's gonna poop on you <laughs> kill your dog yeah <laughs> oh my goodness how is that Fresno right... story not more legendary anyway I don't know I really don't know crazy alright um we talked about that before on the show, folks. So, you know, those you remember your memory. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Uh, so February 86, something like that's when it happened. So go back and find it. All right. Um, uh, oh, real quick. I just found something interesting. Um, oh, wait, never mind. It's something that was mislabeled as a World Wrestling Federation show when it was not. <laughs> I was looking on ProQuest and I found something, but then I see like Dr. D. David Schultz. And I'm like, well, wait a second. He's not there at this time in 1985. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for us this week, Bo. Go ahead and plug away, my man. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at King of Kingsport, Facebook.com slash Pro Wrestler Bo James. Check out the Southern States Wrestling Network, Southern States Wrestling Network. Pivotshare.com. We are going through the year 2000. 1996 plus some stuff from 2021 all going up this month on the uh, network as we did fairs and festivals this summer. So you'll get to see some of them there on the network. They're coming out, uh, got delayed a little bit because the guy that does my voiceovers had a little bout with COVID. So it slowed us down a little bit, but we're back on track. So a lot of great stuff on there all the time. Check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash King of King sport. Two ninety nine a month. I do two podcasts a month. Uh, by the time this show drops, 
the first one of October will be up, and it'll be Memories of a Superstar with Bill Dundee Part 2. As I'm going back and playing the audio uh, of me and Bill from a few years ago that I did on the DVD set, the most in-depth interview you're ever going to see with the wrestler, and it's two guys that's known each other for many years just sitting there, no script. I knew his career, and we go through it. Uh, first part's already up where we talk about him discovering pro wrestling as he lived in Scotland, then moving to Australia, breaking into wrestling after working in the circus, and we go through his first two or three years in uh, America. So a lot of great stuff coming on part two. We're going to talk about Chattanooga. We're going to talk about Mid-South and, of course, Memphis. So check that out. And WrestleCade weekend. I'll be going to WrestleCade for the first time this year. Friday, me me and Tom Pritchard are doing a uh, seminar and a camp presented by Carolina Big Time Wrestling. Steve Fry, you can check that out. It's only $40, 12 to 4 on the Friday. Then Saturday, Tom and I will be signing our books and pictures and stuff at Carolina Big Time Wrestling's table there at WrestleCade. And then that night, I will finish up at WrestleCade at 3 o'clock, jump in the car, and drive to Dandridge, Tennessee. And we'll be there Saturday night for internet pay-per-view for World Fighting Showcase. It's a new promotion here out of East Tennessee that has television in East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, West Virginia, and Kentucky. Five different TV stations carrying us every Saturday all across the Appalachians here. So you can check them out on their YouTube and all their social media, We Fight Strong. A lot of great young talent there, and I'm very proud and happy to be helping produce the TVs and a lot of stuff I'm doing there behind the scenes. Plus, I'm managing the TV champion. And, you know, Christmas night, back to Kingsport for our big annual event we do to help Hunger First to feed the needy in the Model City, my hometown. I just dropped off two large boxes of food to them uh, Friday before we record this. So always happy to help that. That was my mom's favorite charity. My mom worked real hard at helping the hungry in our city. And I lost my mom a year ago this week. And this is something that me and my family are very proud of and very strong feelings to help. And we will keep helping and keep doing it. And I've even taken Waylon, my little grandnephew down there before when I've dropped food off because I want him to continue to do it through his life too. It's something my mom got us all involved in and and we're happy to be and be a part of it and just so happy to help michael and all the people at hunger first and as the holidays are coming up their donations drop every year if you can make a donation to help out hunger first you can just look them up hunger first of king sport they've got a little donation if it's five bucks ten bucks whatever you could give it will help feed a family through the holidays and i know they will greatly appreciate it and last year I made this challenge on this show and on my on my uh, podcast, and several people stepped up and helped. So hopefully we'll do it again this year. Absolutely. Great cause. Absolutely. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1993, and we are scheduled to be joined by our dear friend Mikey Blanton of Black Level hey. Pro Wrestling. As we discuss Halloween Havoc 93 at WCW, and what a show that was. Oh, no. <laughs> we got a lot of thoughts on that one from both Dave and Wade, including Dave's thoughts on violence on television, which is going to be interesting, and violence in wrestling. And he has a 
he has a uh, strict lecture about what is to come in wrestling if this stuff keeps doing like it's doing. And we'll have all kinds of clips from that, plus Saturday night and other assorted WCW news. We'll also uh, have all kinds of stuff from the NDC, including, uh, oh, God, uh, some interesting stuff with Mike Samples and the and the Sheriff. We got Championship Wrestling from Indiana to talk about. Plus, uh, Brian Christopher turning babyface in USWA, or he's heading that way. So we'll, have, we'll talk about that. We got uh, lots of clues for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, including uh, Jim Cornette pissing off the Bruise Brothers. Not the best thing in the world to do. We got all kinds of indie news, of course. And oh, yeah, well, I'll save that for the end. Uh, <laughs> we got uh, news from Mexico. We got uh, Japan. We got all the stuff, you know, that you normally would hear on these shows, including World Wrestling Federation, where we have the Build a Survivor Series coming up. And talk about Jerry Lawler and his nights. Sabu working tryouts, three nights of tryouts. So we'll talk about that at TV tapings. We got Raw. We got all that stuff. But the main store in WF is the aftermath of Randy Savage's infamous Radio WF appearance uh, where he went off on Hulk Hogan. Uh, Chris, I have a transcript of that from the Wrestling Flyer. Now, that didn't happen during our week, oh. but the aftermath did happen during our week. Okay. <laughs> so we, we, won't, we don't have the inter- Save that for when we do the interview. Now, okay, we just, haven't covered I that mean, week. No, so you can save that for them. I mean, we'll probably have to mention some of the stuff. Yes. Or if it's not mentioned in here. but yeah. It. yeah. Yes. But we we have thoughts on that. And whether this could turn into an angle or not, but the story, the, the most interesting story of our week takes place in Queens, New York, at the Ramada Inn. John Arezzi's Weekend of Champions including quite the story between John Rezzi and Sabu. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. Is Kerry Von Erich mentioned at all? Oh, no, wait a second. That's 92. Sorry. Brain fart. <laughs> He's dead. Yes. He's dead. He's wait, dead. So 93. Dead. So, yes. So our guest list here, if I remember right, Conan, Sabu, Terry Funk, Kevin Sullivan, Woman, uh, Medusa. Those are the main convention guests, if I remember right. Yeah. And this is the uh, weekend featuring my Terry Funk story, or the first half of my Terry Funk story. So I guess we'll have to tell that for the first time in probably five years. And plus, like I said, Sabu and John Arezzi go into war with each other in the Pro Wrestling Torch. All oh, that, that sounds fun. I don't think I've ever read that. <laughs> yeah, all that more next week of Between the Sheets with Mikey Blatton. But anyway. All right, Bo, thanks as always for being on the show. It's always a hoot. Yeah, thanks, guys. Always enjoy it. That's right. Vix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon, special edition number 60. Five full years. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, here we go. Five years. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. And we obviously thank everyone who's been sticking with us or however much they can support us throughout all this on the Patreon. Yeah, so that, some of you people have been supporting us for 60 months, basically. So, uh, wow, that, that is amazing that uh, that you've supported us for that long. And of course, those of you that have uh, came through at various times, left, came back, whatever, we definitely appreciate uh, all of you and everyone that has uh, took part in the Patreon, uh, whatever – little or big you gave we definitely appreciate that and we hope that uh you continue to support us as best you can as uh we're going to continue the patreon series with a lot of great ideas uh, going forward um you know some some ideas uh we thought maybe could be one time maybe at the way you know with, with uh how these formats go on these shows uh, so like this one, I was hoping to get this one done in one show, but that didn't happen. So we're going to have two shows on uh, the one, the subject we're going to talk about now. But We uh, knew that could happen. Well, hopes hopes were, were there. But anyway. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, this is uh, an interesting show as we're going back 25 years to discuss the birth of the new world order. And... Um, Hard to believe it's been that long, but um, here we are, and wrestling was never the same after the the New World Order and the the whole the beginning angle and everything going on. And it's it's definitely interesting to go back and look at a time in wrestling history where I mean, when you watch the television like I do, and uh, watch the older stuff, especially the mid nineties. I mean. The contrast between pre-NWO and after the NWO is staggering as far as television, how everything's presented, especially in WCW. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, oh, absolutely. If just because, for better or worse, the NWO adds a little bit of an edge. Well, it just changes the whole thing. It changes the dynamics of, of everything in the company. Yes, yes. I, you know, I don't think it's actually mentioned outright here, but the one, the one big, I mean, the biggest change is that you end up for a while with this weird limbo where everyone sort of has de facto babyface moments in WCW, even if they're heels and feuding with other babyfaces, and it kind of it's something you want to have happen in the scenario. I mean, I don't know if they pulled it off as best as they could have, but it really does shake up everything. Yeah, because I mean, traditional—it's not traditional wrestling anymore. Um, what was you know wrestling before? It's changed because now you have this faction of these heels that are these cool heels. Yeah, but there was the full horseman and stuff like that, but there was nothing like this where you had this group that was declaring war on a whole company. And yeah, whether it's babyfaces and heels in the traditional sense, they all have the, sh the common rival of this faction. And 
as we'll talk about more more about this as we go along but yeah it just it completely changed the business in in that way and uh and for the and for the better in a lot of ways because she got back and watched that wcb television from early 96 and it's like wow you know they're in that period where hogan has got his creative control and all the main angles are involving him are just garbage. Women's shoes, hot coffee, the Alliance 10, the Hulkamania, Z Gangsta, the Ultimate Solution, Doomsday Cage. Yeah. And they got good talent underneath, but it's just like, wow. And, it, and then it, the outsiders come in and it's just like Nitro's changed forever. So let's get into it. All right, let's uh, go to the week of June the 3rd. Torch, June the 8th, and Server and Lariat, June the 10th. In one of the most tumultuous weeks in the history of Titan Sports, had a pay-per-view nearly destroyed by Mother Nature. It had its own spoof comedy segments knocking this competition turned into a strong angle for the opposition. And had the man scheduled to be their pay-per-view main event heel, scheduled to be their main event, pay-per-view main event heel for at least through the end of the summer, give notice. Toning down would have been up to that point considered one of the company's most creative storylines in a long time. Uh, who was that, Bix? That has to be David, right? Sounds that way, yeah. Yeah, because King of the Ring hasn't happened yet, so he has a pay-per-view main event coming up. And create one of their most creative angles in a long time. I can see why they why Dave would call it that. And why did he give notice again? He just gave notice to be able to renegotiate his contract or and test. Yeah, because he stays. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't leave. But you had to be able to give notice to do that. Yeah. Striking back gets the work from interpromotion angle started one week earlier by WCW Nitro. Vincent Mann and what appeared to be prepared lawyer statements in the June 3rd Raw show that Diesel and Razor Ramon were no longer part of the World Wrestling Federation, but that they intend to portray themselves as the stars they once were and were participating in a ruse that they're still part of the WF when they're under contract with a rival wrestling organization. They then encouraged their fans to call their 900 number. Or log on to America Online for more details of the ruse perpetrated by Diesel and Razor Ramon. The stars they once were. In the addition, stars they once were. They were what? on your April pay-per-view. One of them was in the main event. Find that real quick while I read this. I want to hear Vince say that. Yeah. Uh, in, let me see. That's the June third raw. And uh, let me see if I can find it on YouTube because it's a, otherwise I'll have to switch to the VPN in the middle of the thing. But let's see. All right, in addition, WF released a legal letter sent to Scott Hall, which informed Hall they believed he was infringing on Titan's intellectual property rights by still portraying the Razor Ramon character in WCW, and that Titan would be withholding all future payments, virtual merchandise checks, and, and the main in-your-house pay-per-view payoff, along with other monies not yet paid him. They owe Hall until the matter is settled. All right, the WF's online message stated... In an effort to further the blurred alliance between Ted Turner's wrestling organization and the World Wrestling Federation, Scott Hall portraying WF wrestling character Razor Ramon recently appearing on WCW's television programming. The World Wrestling Federation wants to make it clear that there's no agreement with the Turner organization, nor will there ever be. Therefore, the following letter was sent to Scott Hall in an effort to make him aware of the copyrights in which he and World Championship Wrestling infringed. Dear Mr. Hall, this letter will sort of put you on notice of your deliberate infringement of Titan's intellectual property rights in connection with your appearance this past Monday on WCW's Nitro show. Having reviewed the tape of your appearance, the text of the various statements made by you during your appearance and the explicit references to past and ongoing storyline to Titan Sports, it is obvious that you were attempting by your appearance to suggest that the consuming public 
that you and the others from WF were now going to be appearing on Turner Networks and WCW programming as some sort of interpromotional storyline. The entire theme of the program, buttressed by WCW personnel afterwards, was that WF wrestlers were going to be wrestling WCW performers and that you were leading a group of WF talent in that effort. This is, of course, completely false and was intended to confuse the public. To further this attempt to mislead and confuse the public, you stay completely within the character portrayal of Razor Ramon and register trademark of Titan Sports during your appearance on Nitro. Indeed, both you and WCW personnel never mentioned the name you intend to wrestle under WCW, choosing instead to tell the audience that they knew who you were. You dressed like Razor Ramon and utilized a Hispanic accent given to you by Titan as part of the character portrayal. Titan, of course, has no objections whatsoever to you portraying a new or different character devised either by you or the WCW, but will vigorously exercise its rights in connection with your intent to pawn off or suggest to the consuming public that your WCW appearances are in the character of Razor Ramon in the capacity as a WF wrestler or as part of some interpromotional matches involving WF's participation. Accordingly, this is advised you that Titan has exercised its rights under the contract it had with you and will be withholding future payments from you until this matter is first cl- further clarified. Titan further reserves all rights it has to take any and all further actions as may be appropriate. And it's noted here, the letter seemed to make no difference to WCW and Hall, which continued their planned angle with no backing down on June 3rd's Nitro. It's believed it had been the first time since war in 1984 that a promotion has called another promotion's angle a ruse and tried to hurt a competing group's top angle on its own television show. All right, it looks like I found the uh, part of Raw where Vince reads this statement, which is in the middle of the Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Jake the Snake Roberts main event. Huh. I guess I don't need to screen share for this, so here we go. No, no, just, yeah. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Into the arm bar now. Jake the Snake Roberts would like nothing better in his career to be the king of the ring. Jake has made a triumphant comeback to the World Wrestling Federation thus far. Despite, by the way, his 43 years of age. Yeah, well, he better hope he wins king of the ring because for sure this is his last hurrah. And speaking of last hurrahs, of course, Ted DiBiase is at his last hurrah here in the World Wrestling Federation. But likewise, a number of other individuals also have had their last hurrah no longer associated with the World Wrestling Federation in any manner. Big Daddy Cool Diesel as well as the bad guy Razor Ramon. And it has been reported that both of these individuals intend to pawn themselves off as the stars they once were here in the WWF. And to furthermore perpetuate some sort of ruse that they're still representing the World Wrestling Federation while actually under contract to a rival organization. And right now, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is taking an exit <laughs> as it relates to Jake the Snake Roberts. And Jake the Snake thus far has befuddled oh, Hunter nice. Hearst Helmsley. Furthermore, it's amazing how he can do that and then go right back into the match. <laughs> Why even do that during a match? Why not, why, why not just do that in the aside? You know, I guess because they're not live in the building. It's obviously pre-tape. Yeah. Or they're in, the, they're in the studio. So I guess they can't do some type of... There's something you could do where it's not wedged into the middle of a match. Do it during the ring intros or something. During the entrances. Even. <laughs> a ruse. The stars they once were. Six weeks ago. <laughs> you know, we haven't talked about this yet. It, one of the crowning achievements of Eric Bischoff's angle here is the fact that he used 
all that bull, being or Ted bullshit in his favor. Yes. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Vince's pettiness towards Ted Turner basically set all this up. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't include in the notes, but there are various, uh, it looks like the Time Warner uh, Turner merger is going through items in the newsletter. Well, you know, yeah, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter here. But I'm just saying, it's hilarious how Vince's petty bullshit, and which we talked about on, on this show before, how it was a big waste of television time to do all that stuff when you could be pushing your talent, but yet you're pushing this bullshit you got in your mind against Ted Turner. And then what what does WCW do? Use that shit against you in this big angle. And also, something we should remember, too, because I don't think this part is really looked at or talked about enough anymore. Those Billionaire Ted skits did eventually get very unfair and twisted and mean-spirited. Are you surprised by that? <laughs> no, I mean, this is but the, specifically, though, the, the lithium stuff. Oh, yeah, we talked about I mean, we talked about that. I mean, I it's... Know. It's, it's just, that's Vince. That's what Vince does. But especially through the lens of like 25 years later, kudos to Ted Turner for being so open about his mental health issues. Yeah. You know, like, it was it was bad then, especially since Vince also kind of tried to imply, including later, like a few years later when he's on Conan, he tried to tries to make it seem like, like lithium is like a drug that gets you high. And that Turner's abusing it. It's just so stupid. So it's like, yeah, good for Eric. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.